0: Hello, Craig Barton here. Now, I know what you're wondering. First, where the flipping heck is the fancy music that normally kickstarts the show? And second, why am I reissuing an episode that is nearly four years old? Well, the reason is, after five years of doing this podcast, I've finally decided to switch my podcast provider. Basically, my previous one was charging me a small fortune, and my new one, Anchor FM, seems to be free, as far as I'm aware anyway. Now, as part of the switch, I had to transfer all my old episodes across, and for some bizarre reason, out of the 150-odd episodes, the only one that recorded an error during the transfer process was... Part one of my interview with Danny Quinn that I recorded way back in April 2017. Now, regular listeners of the show may well remember that interview with Danny as being probably the most controversial episode that I've ever had. There was numerous complaints. At one point, the NSPCC were on my case for things that Danny was saying. It was absolutely brilliant. Brilliant for listening figures anyway. Um, but as I say for some reason that episode didn't copy across now I'm suspicious Um have the NSPCC got something going on with uh, with Anchor FM maybe trying to ban this episode who knows but the only way I could think of to get around this was to reissue this as kind of a new episode so it would still sit within the podcast feed so there's nothing new here um, apart from this little intro bit it's just the 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 original episode as it went out back in April 2017 but if you haven't listened to it for a while it's worth it giving it a listen because if you're Remember, three years after this episode, uh, Danny um, and her team at Michaela got the best GCSE results in the country. And Danny's now gone on to to even even better things now, working as an advisor with uh, with Arc Schools and Mathematics Mastery. So um, perhaps you want to listen back to where it all started here with Danny Quinn. But I'll be back with some regular episodes in the near future. Take care of yourselves. Bye for now. <laughs> Hello and welcome to another episode of the Mr Barton Maths Podcast with me, Craig Barton. A show where I interview people who interest and inspire me from the world of education. This time around, I spoke to Danny Quinn. Danny's the Head of Maths at Michaela Community School, arguably the most discussed, scrutinised, controversial school in the country. It's a school whose policies and practices divide opinion in both the teaching and political worlds. So having read Battle Hymn of the Tiger Teachers and seen Danny speak and thoroughly enjoyed both experiences, I couldn't wait to get her on the show. Now in a world first for the Mr Barton Maths podcast, this interview will be split over two parts. Why, I hear you ask? Well, because it's so flipping long. I just had so many questions to ask Danny, and then loads of things she spoke about prompted new questions. So, the part you're about to listen to covers the planning and delivery of math lessons in Michaela, going into minute detail about how each component works in practice and what the justification is, together with a discussion about Michaela's homeworks and weekly tests. Then, Danny and I, so long as this experience has not put her off, and it might well have, will then reconvene at some point in the future to discuss the practice of drilling, Michaela's behaviour policy, wider issues in maths teaching, her big three, advice for teachers, and probably a fair bit of other stuff as well. So, in a wide-ranging interview, we covered the following things and more. Why do maths teachers at Michaela not think in terms of planning lessons, but in planning topics? What what do student topic booklets look like and how do teachers use them to aid their planning? When might it be right to teach the how before the why? We then go off on a bit of a tangent and discuss introducing linear equations and why making it more difficult for the students in the initial stages might be a very good thing to do. How does Danny use the material of former podcast guests John Corbett and Will Emney together with Joe Bowler's number talks? One thing that really struck me when reading the Tiger Teachers book was the emphasis on a period of reading in each lesson. So how exactly does this work in the world of mathematics? How are misconceptions addressed and resolved both before and during lessons? How does differentiation work? What does actual classwork look like? Why does Danny not bother with plenaries? Now, Michaela students get maths homework every single night, but what do these homeworks look like and why don't Michaela teachers mark books? A key component of the learning process at Michaela are the weekly tests. What do they look like, how are they marked and how is the resulting information utilised? And then what about this, how does Danny use competition effectively and why is controlling the narrative of this competition so important? And if like me, you've always shied away from publicly condemning students' poor performance in front of other students, you'll find this bit of particular interest it has really got me thinking and then finally we end part 1 with danny describing a bad lesson she taught and what she learned from it and please stick around for this one as it is an absolute classic with a very important message well, I'm going to come right out and say it. I found this conversation fascinating. Danny was incredibly open and honest, and as a head of department, she clearly and passionately believes wholeheartedly in what she's doing. You may not agree with a lot of what she has to say, but it's clear that each component of Michaela's approach to teaching mathematics has been carefully thought through. So if nothing else, it should give you plenty of food for thought. Now, just before we get cracking, as I've discussed in the last few episodes, these interviews are really making me reflect on my own teaching scrutinizing routines and practices that i've religiously followed for the last 12 years of my career without really giving them a second thought so inspired by the likes of dylan william tom bennett greg ashman mark mccourt and will emney all former guests i've started to judge my approach to teaching under the microscope of educational based research and i tell you what it has been a flipping eye-opener So I've reviewed over 60 papers from the field of explicit instruction, memory, problem solving, fluency, cognitive load, theory, formative assessment and more and then for each paper I've provided a brief takeaway where I describe the impact the paper has had on my teaching. You can find the page at uh, www.mrbartonmath.com forward slash teachers forward slash research and there's a link to it on the podcast page. I plan to add to this over the next few months and indeed for the rest of my career. I really hope you find it useful, And in fact, as a little teaser, I'll be discussing the retrieval effect, one of the pieces of research that has just blow my mind in relation to Michaela's weekly test in the takeaway at the end of the show. And it's something that anyone can incorporate into their teaching. As ever if you enjoy the podcast please share it with your colleagues and seeing as we will have Danny back on the show why not make a note of any questions you have for her as a result of this interview and tweet them to me at MrBartonMaths and if you have time to give us a review on iTunes then the egomaniac in me would be absolutely delighted. Anyway without further ado let me introduce to you Danny Quinn part one. I could have spoken to her all day and in fact I pretty much did. I really hope you enjoy this interview, and as ever, I will see you on the other side. Okay, Danny. so let's start as ever with your math speed dating questions. So question number one, what is your favourite number and why?
1: So this number has always been my favourite number, and the reason it started is really naff, because other people have... (laughs) really you know, really amazing, beautiful ones that are speaking to really beautiful mathematical relationships. Mine's seventeen and it started because that's my birthday. You know, when you're like two, you're like, Oh, this is obviously the most significant number in the world. So it's one about me. So <laughs> but then it, it and I would have moved on from that, except then I realised mean, my parents' anniversary, so I was like, Oh, that's really special and then it's St Patrick's Day, so that's really special and then it's a, once I found out what primes were, it seemed like the most special prime. And when I was, I was <laughs> so I'm not a numerologist, I don't like think there's a special like binding thing in my life about it. But then also when I was young, when I was in primary school, um, I loved colours so much that I saw, I thought every number had a colour, and like the every times table, the ones that were multiples of other colours had like a colour that was based on mixing it. So <laughs> like eight was green because two and four were blue and yellow like they you know and they had shades and 17 has like the nicest color which obviously just came from me really liking it of course <laughs> but <laughs> but in my head now it's just the most perfect one and even uh, mom sent me a card for st patrick's day and it said 17th of march 2017 and
0: she'd written and i could hear it in her accent like
1: isn't this just the nicest color daddy and i said yeah mom it
0: really is <laughs> <laughs> well of course because 20 being 2017 this is an absolutely ideal year <laughs> for you this isn't
1: it <laughs> so it's there's no um mathematically
0: it's totally solipsistic no one else would have a reason to think that's a, why 17 is nice but it's why i do <laughs> oh that's a absolutely brilliant answer i like that one fantastic well uh, question number two what was your favorite topic in maths as a student um definitely
1: geometric proof i think um i mean i liked well, like a lot of kids, I liked maths in primary because I was good at it. You know, people, kids are always like, what's your favourite subject? Whatever. Is it your best subject? Yes. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <Duh>. <laughs> so I liked it in primary because I found it easy. I mean, I think for if you have good proportional reasoning, primary maths is quite easy. Um, and then in secondary, it's also when we began to look at geometric proof and have a really strong memory in year, memory in year seven of um, Mr. Hobson showing two line segments crossing and pointing to the two vertically opposite angles. And he'd shown us a few that that they are equal and explained that they are, but they said, all right, girls, can you, I was in a uh, girls' convent school, can you figure out why? And it was the first time a teacher let us just sit there for, it was, I mean, obviously I was a kid. I thought it was 10 minutes. It was probably 30 (laughs) seconds. but I remember just looking at it so intensely, being like, why? Because I thought it was amazing that that happened, and thinking about it, and having that feeling of going, <gasps> oh, and explaining it. And I think that memory stays with me. And then I went on to really love geometric proofs, and I, they're my favourite thing still um, to, to do and to look at. And I find them, I, I sort of, I like the way they sort of, they feel like they really bind things together, and they're really lovely. And I think that stays with me because I remember when I started teaching the first few years, I was like, oh, I want all the children to have that experience because I remember it felt so profound. And I really, and and that is true. I really do want them to have that experience. But I think what happened was I remembered it from the lens of just me, which was I had that experience and I had that really gratifying feeling of uh, understanding it and feeling really smart and all those things. But of course, 29 girls didn't have that experience. 29 girls had to rely on my explanation, which probably wasn't very good because I was 11 and actually it was something that my memory of it, is it, wasn't a, it wasn't actually a good episode of teaching. it. I don't mean Mr. Hobson taught us badly, he was a good teacher. But that moment wasn't an example of 30 girls all having a revelation. It was one precocious girl having a revelation and thinking, well, that's going to work for everybody now. But of course, even that isn't what happened in that moment. So it's something that I, it was a memory that affected me very strongly one way for a few years. And now I see it very differently of don't fool yourself. If one kid's had a light bulb moment, the other children haven't had that yet and don't assume that it's happened for everyone else, which I think when you're a more inexperienced teacher, you think, oh, it's clicked for them. It must have clicked for everybody. And of course it hasn't.
0: Flipping, it. that's uh, that's that's a fant- That's probably the deepest answer we've had to a math speed dating <laughs> question. I like that, Danny. And yeah, we're, we're definitely going to pick up uh, pick up more on the on the teaching side of things later. On that, that's that's phenomenal, fantastic. And I was going to ask there as well: Is your um, your love of geometric proof does that translate to algebraic proof as well, or is it just is it just mm. the geometry that does it for you? Oh, I
1: love algebraic proof as well. I think I like geometric proofs, you can find well you to do it with algebra anyway. You can find multiple ways to form it. You could form it with just using um, just using lengths. You could, you could assign algebraic values, but then you could prove it with without the values afterwards. And I really, I, I think it's sort of like a an extra rich algebraic proof the way I see it. I mean, algebra, the variables we're using are just a way of representing relationships. And when you do it geometrically, that's just another way of, with shapes and lengths you're just another way of representing the relationships anyway but then you might give it variables too so it's just i just use an extra rich version of algebraic ones
0: got it fantastic and uh, my final speed dating question for you is what job would you like to do if you were not a teacher
1: oh i was hoping you'd say if you weren't a math teacher all right my next <laughs> my next my next like top three jobs would be english teacher or geography teacher or art teacher. <laughs> Flipping, <laughs> so, eh? <laughs> I was really hoping you'd say not a math teacher. and Then I'd be like, "Wow, Craig, I've got like five alternative careers
0: I pursue." <laughs> well, I'll tell you what. Students. I'll I'll let you off on that one. If no. you if you if you'll tell me why um, why an English teacher as well? Cause that they don't often go hand in hand, right? Like if, <laughs> if you ask most math teachers, it will be math teacher, then maybe a science teacher after that. But you're straight maths or English. Right? <laughs> I mean, my uh, I I wanted to be a te- I mean, Even in
1: primary school, and you're playing games, we'd play school, and I would be the teacher. And then, <laughs> <laughs> and then, at secondary school, I was a babysitter. I used to babysit several times a week, and I would be their teacher. <laughs> and, and, and and in um my sixth uh, uh, my sixth form, my teacher, she was my English and history teacher. Said, "Has um, Danielle considered being a teacher?" And then I was like, "Yes, yes, I have, Miss Brennan. I absolutely have." <laughs> so that sort of made me feel set on the path. Um, and I thought, if I couldn't be a teacher, because it's quite hard to get teaching jobs in Ireland. Yes. Um, and at the time, I thought, well, I'd like to be a museum curator and look after the education side of the museum. <laughs> I did not realised that's a much harder job to get than being a teacher. I hadn't realised that, like, one in a hundred people get
0: that job. But, um, so it, 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 but it really has been kind of teaching all the way for you, though, right? Yes. <laughs> <laughs>
1: I, I think uh, in school, maths wasn't my strongest subject. But in secondary school, I found it a lot harder than the others. Um, with I mean, within, this, I mean in, within the scope of, secondary, uh, of sc- secondary school, I certainly don't hold a candle to anyone who's gone on to degrees. I found English and history and geography and art very easy. Um, so I thought, oh, I'll teach them because I'm really, really good at those. And I never thought I'd teach maths because it was always, it took work to do well at A-level maths. Like it was really hard work. I think if my university offer hadn't been contingent on an A-star in maths, I wouldn't have I might have just thought, eh, let slide as an additional subject. I don't actually need it. I wouldn't have cared if I'd gotten yes. A or as only because my offer was contingent on getting the A star. I started putting more time into maths than everything else combined. And then I realized, oh, my gosh, this is – I mean, I always had liked it and thought it was nice. But, you know, just I suppose I had a very fixed mindset then. I thought, oh, well, I find it hard because I'm not a maths person. I'm an art and English person. Yes. And then it was the experience in university that I was I, – there's a, a really – well, I thought it was great. Who who knows how you evaluate charities? A charity I was involved in called Chikari, which was Oxford has a lot of um uh, recent refugees and recent immigrants um, I suppose they're not, like, just, they're not just economic migrants, so uh, kids from Albania or Somalia, and they get paired up with uh, undergrads who help them with uh, English and maths to help them settle into life in England. And I remember teaching them and finding, teaching them maths was actually pretty okay. And teaching them English, I realised was unspeakably difficult. <laughs> and I realised I found English so easy that I couldn't understand why it wasn't easy and I couldn't uh... break it down. Whereas I had, such a, I had such a strong memory of finding maths hard at A-level, I could see why it was difficult. And I could empathize with that. And even now, if I go watch other teachers in my school teaching English and the children say something, I, in my head I think, well, what an idiot. Why would you think that? <laughs> Whereas even like yesterday oh, no, two days ago, one of the kids, I said, so what's the same as half in and half in again? And they said divide by three. And immediately, and immediately I was like, ah, I can see why you yes. think that. Whereas most, I said that to my housemates and they said, what an idiot. I <laughs> so couldn't see why someone would think that. So that's why I like teaching maths because it wasn't as easy as everything else whereas i realized actually i think i was too arrogant to the other subjects to be a teacher at those
0: that's that's fascinating that and this um this this has been something i've been i'm thinking about for a while because you often you, you hear two schools of thought on this sometimes you hear the best math teachers are the ones mm-hmm. who are best at maths themselves because they've got such an in-depth subject knowledge that they can see where the mm-hmm. subjects go in mm-hmm. they know when it's appropriate to teach kind of tricks and shortcuts and when it's appropriate mm-hmm. to have that embedded knowledge but then you hear the other school of thought that says the best math teachers are the ones like you say you struggled at math themselves can empathize with the students can predict where the students are going to go wrong and so on so have you have mm-hmm. you, have you found that it, it has been kind of more the latter for you that your are n- not kind of weakness in maths but the fact that you can remember finding maths difficult has really kind of served you well in your teaching career so far
1: i think a memory of finding it difficult or i'm trying to think our, our departments 50 50 people who have either economics background or have maths degrees um i don't think i think that with if we didn't so my last department in Bradford, none of us have maths degrees, and I think that was a real weakness that there was no one, um, because we couldn't see our own blind spots. And there are really important and significant contributions that Tom and Brett and Abbey are able to make for my blind spots. But I think what makes them really, really good is not just that they are so good at maths, but that they have that imaginative power around what yes. children are experiencing. But then that's the thing that Hinta and Avin have as well. So I, I think what's making them really good. I mean, even I sometimes think there are a few kids in Year 9 where I think, I could probably just let you teach the Year 7s. No, I mean, the way Michaela is, there are a few kids in Year 9 whose behaviour management is already pretty good. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> so I think, I look at a couple of them and think, you can really understand why other children struggle and you can explain things really well and you've got very high expectations of children's behaviour. Actually, I would back you to stand up at the board and explain this beautifully and ask good questions. But I think what's the thing there is the imaginative power around being able to see, almost being able to see multiple connections and imagine the connections someone would make and why they would have thought that. So that's not about being good or bad at maths, but being interested in thoughts and interested in connections, if that makes sense. Because um, so, obviously there, there's the trope that everyone says, like, well, we had Professor so-and-so us maths and he was the worst teacher I ever had. Yes. The saying about Professor so-and-so was his lack of interest in what was going on in his people's minds. Um, as opposed to his lack of interest in maths, if that makes sense. Yes,
0: that makes that makes perfect. Oh, that's
1: that's the trope around that that teacher that we all hear about.
0: Of course, no. That, that makes absolute perfect sense. Um, well, you, you've kind of touched upon a little bit of your your career to date so far, Danny. So I wonder if you could pick us up from uh, you're at university. So um, you went to Oxford, is that right? And what, what yeah. di- and what degree? I, did, what degree did you do? And I, then I did you... PPE, like pretty much everyone. Knows. <laughs> nice, nice. And <laughs> and become, just become ten a penny. <laughs> <laughs> and then yeah. just take us through then. So you you're at you at Oxford doing a PPE, and how did you get from there to where you are now?
1: Um, so I, I, mean, I did PP just because it seemed like such an appealing degree, and I did really love reading about politics, current affairs, philosophy. I mean, I thought I was really, I mean, interest, my original interest in education was as a transformative thing for society, or the transformative potential of education, which was, I thought, PP. I mean, obviously, I think a lot of people go into PPE yeah, um, for multiple purposes, but lots of people pick it for that, they think, yes. oh, I mean, maybe it's a saviour complex, who knows. Um, then, uh, I... Wanted to be a teacher. It's really hard to get teaching roles in Ireland. And at the time, I don't know if this is still true. Almost the the overwhelming majority of the schools are Catholic, which is neither obviously neither good nor bad thing. But the, at least when I was a kid, the quality legislation was such. I remember talk because I talked to one of my teachers about being a teacher, and she she knew that this would be a bugbear for me. Was that if, for example, a child says, "I think I'm gay," what should I do? Um, Remember, my teacher explained to me that you have to tell the child it's a sin and pray with them uh-huh. to say. Um, and, I, and of course, it could actually have just been very specific to my school. It could be something that now is true because it's not the early two thousands anymore. Um, but I remember at the time thinking, "Oh my goodness, I cannot teach in any school here." And there's a tiny number of um, non-Catholic schools, but they're. Um, well, <laughs> now I'm like, well, they're very progressive. I wouldn't want to teach them. But they're very, 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 very hard to get teaching jobs in. Teaching is much more respected. And it's very, it's better paid, much more holidays. And, and it's also just um, seen as a very good career to go into in general. Like teachers, have, My impression is teachers are viewed very well, so it's incredibly difficult to get jobs. So all those things conflated to make me think, oh, this isn't quite what I'm looking for. And the reasons I want to be a teacher, uh, I heard about Teach First. And I seem to speak to all the reasons I wanted to be a teacher. Um even if it, they aren't the reasons now. So um, that's why I stayed in England. So I went to a really great school in Sheffield. I was placed there uh, where I stayed for three years, and I absolutely loved it. And then it was for um, – because my partner changed the job. We had to move to Bradford. I was at Dixon's Trinity as head of maths, which was a, f- a new free school at the time. So it wasn't like taking on a full department because I was only – I did only have three years' experience, um, but it, it was a much smaller job because so there only were two-year groups. And that was an, that's an absolutely exceptional school, Um so that was, so was there for two years and then again for personal reasons needed to move down to london um and thankfully i already had met Bodil before who'd helped to set up the maths department well, she has set up the math department at michaela so that's so why i came down so i came down as just a teacher last year at michaela i say just you know what i mean they uh, had because i had been a head department so that's why i meant by just i don't mean um <laughs> no, should, i mean, it could, it could have sounded Catty, and of course i didn't mean that um uh, at all as i came down to work with bodil um, at Michaela and she's had this really amazing opportunity which is why she's moved on to Unlocked where she's having an amazing impact so it was just made sense for me to fit into the head of department role because it's similar to what I'd already been doing so there's only seven years of teaching so far.
0: No, oh, That's that's fantastic and can I can I just ask before we move on to the the teaching maths what was it that um, made you move that jump from kind of head of department to non-head of department was that ever a concern to you that it'd be kind of seen as a, a backward step or what was the law of Michaela just kind of too just too exciting a project to turn down
1: um oh well, there are loads and loads of schools in London that I mean goodness knows when you when you open up your laptop and you google um T, TES math yeah. jobs London they're like they're like can you come tomorrow? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, some schools are so desperate, they're like, "We will give you our firstborn child, please." <laughs> it wasn't. Um, I mean, certainly, there's not the. There's not a. I mean, for math teachers are incredibly lucky. There's not yes. a challenge. I mean, at least within London, there's not a challenge of finding jobs in urban areas. Um, it was that I needed to move down to London. There were lots of schools I was considering. I think the reason at the time I was to- I, I was totally wrong. I thought. Dixon's Trinity and Michaela would be very, very similar because they're both very much uh, school. They're both new free schools in the mould of high expectations, no excuses. Um, similar approaches to beliefs around children and their potential. I mean, obviously all schools believe in children's potential, but you know, similar ideas around um, how schools should be run. Very strict, very structured, um, very challenging for the pupils. Uh, which is what we expect in terms of expectations yes. around their behavior, so I thought that'd be a very similar place to go, and wouldn't be as big a shock in terms of career stuff. I mean, at that stage, I'd only been teaching f- five years that's actually not it's not that weird to still be a teacher when you're in your six year of teaching at all. I, I think a lot of the time in schools you end up getting promoted because the school's really just struggling to get yes. um, especially in maths department. It's very easy to get promoted quickly, and that's not necessarily. I mean, not, this is not, often it's not because the person is so great, but the department just hasn't got the depth to let people who have experience and talent go into these roles. Yeah. They kind of just like we'll take the person who's closest to it, we we'll just hope they get the experience. Um, I mean, I say that when I was at my department by the start of my NQT year, I was the KS3 coordinator. That doesn't speak to how great I was; it speaks to that they just they needed someone to do it yeah. <laughs> more
0: than anything. No, you're right. And the the, re- the The reason I ask it is just it's a, it's a kind of trend that worries me a little bit in maths teaching. And that mm. you, you get people promoted as you say, like far too fast in in my opinion. Like yeah, I, I, I'm I, in my like 12th 12th year, something like that, of teaching now, and I I didn't have anything until kind of yeah four five six years down the line. Yeah. And now you are seeing NQTs being second in departments, people yeah, in the second in yeah, head yeah. of department. And I think it's just an important message to to kind of put out there the fact that I, I don't know if you agree with me here, Danny but you've got to kind of get your teaching sorted first that's got to be the top priority you've got to put the time in to get your teaching sorted it's a flipping long career that we're going to be in here get that sorted first yeah. and worry about the other stuff later I don't know if that's something that, that you'd agree with.
1: Oh, I, I totally agree that's part of why I was at, I was happy to go to Michaela because I knew I mean Catherine's very upfront. I knew going that there's no way Buddha wasn't going to be in her roles at maths and she's such an outstanding I mean it's a a loss to the profession not to have her but um because she's outstanding um I don't mean the Ofsted sense I mean in the sense that she's uh, she's brilliant um but I knew I'd learned so much from her and I had a real sense uh Trinity that I was learning loads and loads but my practice was improving but actually my eye was always going to be on department-wide things and school-wide things and all those things I could tell that I, I was—I could feel that I was going to stagnate unless there was an impetus behind me to push me back and think about my teaching. But of course, schools, especially in the north, especially in Bradford, the demand for middle leaders and senior leaders. Always exceeds the demand for improving your practice, which yes. is oh, there it takes ages. I mean, you could spend twelve hours. I think probably in my teaching lifetime so far, as well, twelve hours trying to think why do children think dividing by two and dividing by two again is the same as dividing by three. <laughs> There's not. I mean, the return on that will be tiny, but powerful for a small number of children. Whereas promoting someone who appears to have some talent to a minor senior leadership role appears to have way more impact, and the demand is so high. When you've got recruitment problems, especially in Bradford and lots of places in the north of England and coastal areas that, I mean, from the school's point of view, there's no point in investing in the tiny aspects of your pra- what look like to them, the tiny aspects of your practice, because they've got such big holes to be filled Um that then you never get to deal with it. You never really realise because you get further and further away through the classroom, you don't even realise there are gaps in your practice. So I was really happy to have a year that I could go back to that and be around teachers who expected so much of each other in a school with so much accountability. I thought this will, this will be the kickstart I need to get back into improving my practice rather than thinking about big picture stuff.
0: Perfect. Okay Danny, so we've come to what's probably one of my favourite parts of the whole show and that's, <laughs> that's where I'm going to ask you to, to talk us through your lesson planning process. Now you can, you can take this however you want, it can be a single lesson, a series of lessons but if I can ask you just to um, give us a bit of context about the class, mm. uh, the year and so on, how long you've taught them for, how many are in the class and so on and then just take us through in as much detail as you can where the lesson planning process starts for you right up until what happens when your kids leave the door at the end of that lesson.
1: Absolutely. So it's um. But I um spoke to a couple because for some of the sort of questions you said you're going to be asking, I thought, oh, I'll ask my colleagues about these to see if we're on the same page because we we do really care about all being on the same page yes. with everything in the department. I mean, I say actually that's not true. In the school, Catherine's very very focused on the idea of rowing together and how important it is to row together. Um, I mean, for multiple reasons, there are interesting broader problems about retention and recruitment to be talked about there uh, or or about what that fixes. And it was funny, and I said to, for each person, I said, one of the things about planning less than, and each of them Either would sigh or roll the rice, <sighs> not about lessons, is it? <laughs> that was so funny. <laughs> there was such a common, I mean, there was such a common reaction that made me laugh so much that, um, I was like, gosh, I hope we're all right because we're definitely all going very quickly down the same path together. I hope we're, I hope we're going down the right path <laughs> when we're as we do this. Um, so the, so to, um, Well, you can tell me if this sounds like it's going to take far too long for me to describe, but I think to describe to you how we approach uh, lessons in the maths department, it's almost what we we approach is we think of the unit of the entire topic, which could be up to six weeks. Uh, It could be just three lessons, depending on what the um, topic is. Then I'll describe it at the lesson level, because that's at the point that we then plan for the class. We plan for the unit, then we plan for the class.
2: Yeah, and then I'll describe super. what the
1: what the class experience of the week. So we've got a routine that they have over the week, as well as their routines for the lesson. If that sounds okay, that sounds amazing. So, <laughs> so if I take an example um, from earlier this year for Year Nine, when the units was angles and polygons, uh, they're doing they've done some basic work on it in Year Seven. Like right now, the Year Sevens are doing a bit about. Uh, angles and straight lines and a little bit of angles and polygons. But that's just as a as a vehicle for them to practice their four, cal- their four operations and their calculations, as opposed to we're not trying to get them to have deep understanding of how, uh, why, uh, that angle, their measures of turn, for example, or what it means. We're not trying to go deep into, like, an angle on a line, something to 180 is actually angles at a point on a line or 180. Like, we've not gone into, you know, the imagery we might have a single segment with multiple um Little lines coming out of it, and children think, "Oh, they're all 180." when actually, you've got four lots of 180. We're not going into any of that
0: with Menu Seven. So can so the I? Children do can, f- can I be annoying and just just stop you there, Danny? and Just ask this, and I'll I'll do this multiple times throughout the <laughs> process. So with those with those Year Sevens there. So is that um you say you're using the the angle facts to to practice mm. four operations? So is that mm. literally saying to them, "Look, angles on a straight line add up to 180." Now. Let's use that fact to practice things. Yeah. And a point. <laughs> yeah. And so yes. you're literally telling them that fact. With the kind of promise that we're going to go into why that's the case in year nine, is that right? Yes,
1: and there's a dual purpose in that. um <laughs> We might uh, in, a, in an hour we'll eventually get to the, uh, <laughs> yeah, uh, of, of course, the of course. Of nine, because uh, this is something that we've thought very deeply about why we do it this way. So obviously, I'm, I'm really thankful to get on this podcast because I'm sure some of your listeners listeners will think, "Well, that's the stupidest thing I've ever heard," and they'll <laughs> say why, and then I'll think, "Oh gosh, that is interesting," and so this is great for me <laughs> or for our kids. um And the reason, so the dual reason for that is in year seven. And that i'm sure you've experienced at every age group is um the children can learn a procedure a process and obviously a lot of addition subtraction, multiplying dividing is they don't to use the algorithm but as soon as there's a new degree of complication they forget about how to do one of the parts so children can subtract perfectly well but as soon as they're thinking about it in a particular context then they forget to borrow and they start finding the difference again or they're perfectly good at dividing but as soon as they've got an extra thing to think about they start Uh, writing the remainder up above or whatever things like that so we want to bring in multiple contexts to get them to um practice being fluent when they're also thinking about other things as well so that's um within reason we i mean it's not we don't care at all about what the context is because those are useful things to practice it but what we're really practicing there is fluency with the operations and using them and fluency using them in kind of set piece contexts and then the the corollary is that coming to your nine it's been great that when we went into trying to really understand why angles in a turn are 360 and looking at diagrams and turning little shapes around like we had like little birds that we put inside polygons we're showing the birds twisting and how much the bird was turning around it's kind of cute um well the kids liked it um is that they they know they already know well i'm really good at finding the missing angle so i I'm not worried about it in that. I already know that I'm a real boss with angles. I mean, they think that, of course, they have no depth of understanding at that stage, but that's what we're about to, to build. But they already have that confidence in themselves and their teacher that they are good at angles, which means their minds aren't holding new ideas around calculation, that their confidence isn't, isn't um hanging on a thread, that they are really comfortable looking at the deep, challenging ideas around what's what you are measuring when you're measuring turn and so on, because their ego isn't tied up in it. Does that make sense?
0: It does, yeah. And I guess, I, I don't know, I'll probably be playing devil's advocate throughout this That's interview, good. but does it... <laughs> um, does it kind of take a bit of a way of, of, of the surprise element, or the not discovery's not the right mm-hmm. word. I don't mean that, but just the fact that they come into mm-hmm. year nine already knowing angles on a straight line of one hundred and eighty and around a point of three hundred and sixty, <laughs> and so mm-hmm. on. Does does it kind of take some of the power away of of you convincing them why when they when they already know it, or or is it an advantage that they already know it before you I explain think, to them why?
1: Um, I'd say a few things that are, I think we. Mm, poor primary teachers I think we underestimate how much they have already yes. been told of primary I mean goodness knows any child who's been entered for the level 6 paper seems to know an amazing amount of <laughs> yeah, math I feel terribly sorry for them I wish we could make a special class for those <laughs> five or many children because their circle of work is great <laughs> yes. shame they don't get to do it again straight away um, uh, so I think we underestimate how much they have already been told when we do it with them in year 7 we do they we do look at patterns in numbers and things and the children really enjoy um, thinking they're the first one who's realized, Sir, do you realize that for a triangle it's 180 and then for a quadrilateral it's a 360, then you add on 180 for a pentagon and you go, <laughs> Really? That's incredible. I had not realized. <laughs> <laughs> and so they're getting all the pleasure of the pattern spotting with that, but we don't go into showing how, I mean, the the teacher might then show them, um, if they've got the time, the lesson about how the polygon is built up of multiple triangles, and actually it is, but they're not, they're probably not going to then go into showing them in deep detail why it is, um, the turns aside, or or I'll describe what we do in Year 9 with them to uh, you can either think this satisfies your question or it doesn't. Sure. Um, that would be interesting. Is it's, it's difficult to describe without a visual, but imagine, uh, so I do with a, a, a little bird. that they, that's like, It's very obvious which side is its uh, beak, and it starts uh, f- on one of the vertices, and I say, and I describe, you know those roller coasters you go on where you get to the corner and like swings you around, and you feel yourself being turned at like 90 degrees, yes. you know those uh, They're on a level plane, so they don't have up and down, they just have turns, that type. And for some reason, the children all seem to be very familiar with this type of ride, which is uh, merciful. Um, (laughs) All right, the bird's going on one of these, but he's very nervous. He's just going to do a triangle version, because he's a nervous bird, and (laughs) and they they're all smirking at me and that's fine. So he starts at one vertex and like okay he's got one turn, so the bird turns a bit and then he goes along the line to the next vertex, and then he turns, oh his beaks facing into the vertex, his tails doing the turn, then he goes down the next one and now his beaks facing out his tails in the vertex, he does another turn. He gets back and I say, Oh, which way is he facing when we started? Oh his beak was that way, which way is he now? His beak's the other way. Oh, how much has he turned? Oh, he's turned a half turn. So then I can show that the interior angle's a triangle summed to a half turn. Nice. I mean, in a tr- well, you turn half a turn. That's why it's 180, not because they are summing to 180, but because the measure of those triangles is half a turn. And like, OK, the bird is feeling brave now. He's going to go on the quadrilateral <laughs> ride. And then they see that in the quadrilateral, he does a full turn. That's why it is 360, because, I mean, it's uh, relatively arbitrary why full turns 360 that we talk to them about why it is 360 both for historic and practical reasons so then they're, they're they're looking at something very different that is still kind of like oh my goodness for the children and is war-
0: um uh, it's war- technology sorry danny is technology involved here like how are you demonstrating this <laughs> this bird flying around this truck like, you traveling <laughs> on this track i'm liking this
1: <laughs> it's just a really big triangle drawn on the whiteboard, and then the bird is a Christmas decoration. Oh, nice! <laughs> <laughs> so it's, just, it's literally just that, and some of the teachers think it's actually they find it easier to actually use a pen. It's very obvious it says which side is the lid, and the lid is like the face ah, yeah. facing forward.
0: Um, so it's no more sophisticated than that. I like it. I like it. Fantastic. Uh, yeah. Where, where does it go from there? So you've you've done. Um, and, oh, and, and sorry, this is because we're at the stage now. Like I'm. Alvi, is this just what you're thinking through in your head?
1: Um, Oh, yeah. (laughs) So actually, if we go back to yes, uh, So the unit
0: is uh, we think about if I think
1: about myself back in September, I was planning a new year nine in around um, October, November. We're going to be doing angles and polygons. Um, So it's going to be angles. They're doing angles and lines and they did angles and parallel angles at lines and points, then in parallel lines, then polygons. Um, So. This, so we'd start that a few months in advance is we all are just gathering any interesting questions we see anywhere. I mean, Jo Morgan is an absolute, uh, her website's a treasure yes. trove, uh, Don Stewart uh, at Southall, uh, old papers, old, good old textbooks, UKMT in particular, uh, just looking for every possible kind of question we can think of. I mean, diagnostic questions gives us those as well. Um so, so really anything we can think of, we just will like look for people's blogs where they've written about um, having taught angles and polygons, different things they think of. So the idea of the bird I got because then Richard written a long article about uh, children don't really understand angles are measuring turn. You know, that's why they think the lengths, they say, they'll sometimes make a little slip where they refer to a length. And you realize they really do think angles are the length of the arc and things like that. Ah, yeah. um, so we gathered that and we sort of pick from there um whoever's like the one in charge of writing the unit um will be gathering everything and finding the hardest things that we expect everyone to be able to do so kind of thinking so i guess in a way we're setting a standard for the unit so for example i'd look on diagnostic questions at the when we were just doing circle theorems at the absolute hardest questions i could see that you were putting up as reasonable to expect anyone to be able to do if they're aiming i thought okay every kid has to be able to do that so that was so picking out from there the, the four hardest circle theorems we saw um setting aside the proofs um, for that unit and thought, okay, we need to t- we need to put a unit together where even the weakest kid in the year will have been taught enough that as long as we've taught them well and our pedagogy has been right and their efforts been high, they should be able to do this. So then, so we're kind of setting a goal for the whole unit of these are the kind of questions you need to be able to do by the end and then thinking around, okay, what's every likely mistake, every likely misconception, where are they likely to be error prone? I mean, for some units, I might think it might be that they will be perfectly fine at the actual content, but once they have to do with fractions, that's when errors might start coming in because they're getting a bit overwhelmed. Um, so, and then we start putting in order from what are the foundational ideas you need to get, and then it starts building into, you know, just a sensible order for all the ideas. So with the angles and polygons, I'm trying to think, we began with, um, well, what a polygon is, what is and isn't a polygon, about how to have straight sides, has to be closed, and so on. Has to be two-dimensional. Then going into... Uh, and why why the angle sums are what they are and multiple ways to find the angle sums both by calculation and by drawing and why it's faster with the calculation then going on to uh, calculating with them and then we also think, so trying to get it in that order then going on to the exterior angles and so on and then the, then we're thinking about how to interleave in as many old things that they've learned as possible into the units so then, okay, where can I, is, there, is there anywhere I can start bringing algebra into this is there anywhere I can start bringing f- uh, fractions into this Uh, Is there anywhere I can bring directed numbers? No, it's angles. I probably can't because it doesn't make sense. But bring them in if you can. Can I bring in old angle things they've learned? Yes, they can. Can I bring in um, everything possible? Can Can I make the questions they have to form and solve the equation? Those kind of things. So we build up the order of the stuff. Then we start thinking about things we want to keep in because we want to always make sure they stay fresh and confident with forming and solving equations, fresh and confident with directed numbers, decimals, fractions, things like that. And then, so then it's in an order, and then we think about how we want to explain certain things. We'll talk about that together.
0: Could I, can um, I just ask there, Danny, again, sorry to interrupt, but two questions just, just <laughs> spring to mind there, just on that particular bit. The first is, you mentioned that um, you were doing this for angles and polygons, because uh, you kind of had um, the overall responsibility for the unit. But is this a, a collaborative thing? And, and if so, how's it kind of managed? Do you kind of put, mm-hmm. put an email out saying... This week, we're trying to find as many questions on angles as you can, drop them in this mm, 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 Google mm, folder mm. or whatever. Ha, ha, and it's particularly when, when you, you reference the misconceptions, where do kids go wrong and so on. Mm, mm, mm. How are you kind of sourcing all those? So that will be a
1: mix of, as people see stuff, they just are send it on. So at the moment, it's mostly, pardon me, that either the deputy head Brett, he's one of the. Um, we're so, so lucky to have a, a, an experienced teacher in the department cause the rest of us are all so young i mean very young too but the rest of us are so young um uh he and i make would be the main ones uh, looking after a booklet being made partially because it's such a big job it takes almost an hour a page and for units about 80 pages so it's a huge huge Jeez. job and it's just not fair to put on a less experienced teacher and they also have full timetables as well so it's yes. just not fair for multiple reasons um but everyone's contributing. So in the sense of we'll spend time in our department meetings talking about uh, this is a thing that's going to be in the top of the unit that we know children find really hard. So we've spent we have spent entire department meeting just talking about how to help the children um, remember where to put the remainder when they're doing bus stop division. We've spent entire department meetings on like yesterday or Friday in a department meeting. We spent half an hour helping children see the difference between uh, expanding. Uh, when they need to put brackets in, if they're multi- adding algebraic fractions, sometimes they put the brackets and they think they've two, let's say it's four plus brackets, they add three. They think they have to multiply by four, you know, understandably, yes, yes. always in a bracket, and they've drawn brackets, they've seen, oh, there's a multi-term expression, I'll put brackets, that's the right thing to do. And so helping them, thinking about where should we make this algorithmic, where should we make this, they have to think, because, I mean, obviously you want them always to be thinking, but depending on the kid, too much thinking, eventually they just they've run out of space in their mind to think at all so trying to think which bits you should make rule-based or not um so we'll talk about those things we'll also i also for each person in the department i spend an hour a week with them and some of that will be time focusing on how they're going to explain or practicing with their class but also we'll be talking about the things coming up that they you know in a few months will be teaching the class like how do you teach this that sorry this will practice it on each other okay that really works okay that's what we're going to put in the, in the in the booklet so then what's being built is each lesson let's say it's a lesson on. Um, finding exterior angles will be I mean there's this the recap from previous lesson there's a number talk which is just like a nice um uh, how many how many nines are there from one to a hundred or from one to a thousand or I mean depending on the year group it might be seen a bit harder than that or a UKMt question and then the recap and then there's reading where it will be explaining why something is the way it is or how to do I mean it's just like it's basically um, I don't want to use I can't think of a better word. It's like it's like a script. That doesn't mean the teacher reads it as a script, but it's almost like a preview of if you got to go watch this lesson, this is what the person would have said. So that you're never teacher thinking, "Oh gosh, what will I say? How will I explain this?" You're reading how someone could explain it if they were trying to do it from scratch with the children, or if you were to write a script of a lesson, having listened to it. And then it will have in all the examples. We'll think, okay, we don't, we want to make sure we don't just do the most obvious examples because then they'll have no flexibility in their thinking. So we try to think of weird examples or sort of outliers or ones that use unexpected, sort of unexpected examples. We're showing multiple types of children so they get much more flexible thinking about how something can be presented and what the essential parts are and the extraneous parts are of a, of a, of a type of problem. And then, so that's to guide the teachers, like, oh, don't forget this kind of example. We all I mean, we all remember in our PhD year, in our year, we thought teaching them to solve equations was always in the form of, like, 4A add 3 equals 11, and yes. the children would get one with yes. the unknown on the right-hand side, and they go, miss, we haven't learned this. And you go, <laughs> <off."> <laughs> so I mean, that's what I mean by putting the examples in, is... It's so easy when you're thinking, okay, I have to teach them how to find the exterior angle, and you kind of think of the platonic form of the exterior angle question, and then that ends up being all you teach them. And then as soon as it's even slightly different, they go, well, I don't know how to do this. And because you haven't shown them, and I don't mean you haven't shown them that exact question, you haven't shown them what what can change and what can say the, the What's what's the essential part of an exterior angles question? because they haven't seen what's essential. They've only seen one type of thing, so they can't tell that difference. We want to show them the multiple ways it, it can appear, so they can see what's at the beating heart of, say, exterior angles. Um, and then the, then it will have um, like suggested AFL questions, especially in a geometry unit. It's really helpful if they're already in, because they're drawn, and the children can look at it. We also like it being in the booklet. They can actually look at it and draw on it on the page, rather than you displaying it on the board, because then they can't touch it or draw on it or anything, or show it to their partner
0: can, can i ask which, it at this stage danny with the, with the because you, you, you've teased teased something for us here this this booklet now, <laughs> now can i is the is it is there a case that there's but you're also mentioning um as you say for want of a better word a script and and kind of guidance on mm-hmm, examples mm-hmm, and so on mm-hmm. so is there essentially like a, a teacher version of a booklet and a student version of a booklet or or what we you know, what, what do you we provide def- for the teachers i guess
1: is we originally were trialing uh, last year we were trying to make the teacher version it had loads of comments down the sides so that were that, you know so they, they print the version of the comments and print the version of that comments for the kids instead what we found is best is so imagine that we've made the whole booklet we've got all the exercises in so you can mean it's such a long process and i'm going to be dull if i say much more but we <laughs> you know having uh but, but just to finish that off so let's say it, it's the lesson on exterior angles there are questions that are uh, very straightforward then some that are maybe just as straightforward but the numbers are now difficult say they're decimals or they're fractions so they're having to. Uh, think harder whilst doing something routine, then they are decreasingly straightforward. So there might be ones that are all linked to a specific example so they can practice that they've understood that particular type of example. Then there are ones that are mixed. Then there's some that might mix in things that aren't exterior angles they can spot otherwise so to make sure they think about when is it an exterior angles question, there might be ones with algebra, then there might be ones that have multiple steps in them that are using vertically opposite angles or other, you know, other facts and things like that as well. So that so then we put in the questions just to explain that. So it's more than any one teacher or class would need. Depending on the class, you might skip the entire first half of all the questions. On uh, another class, you might let them spend five minutes on the very routine questions to build their confidence up and to give you time to help anyone who's really stuck. Uh, so, that would all be, so each lesson would be like that in the booklet. Uh, so the uh the way the teacher uses it is we annotate the booklet in advance and for our class so for i think i've got my uh my absolutely beloved uh group 4 in year 8 so group 4 for um and I'll annotate, I'll be thinking a lot about their likely mistakes and specific things. I'll think, okay, I know that this kid always gets very confused about this. Make sure I ask them about this to check they've understood it. Okay, actually, this example is going to be very challenging for them. I'll write in a more simplified version to show them first and a slightly harder one than a second version of the difficult example, so we've had enough chances to really check that they get it so they can see it slowly build up. Whereas if I had group one, I might actually just put lines here. Okay, I'm not going to do this. I'm not going to do this with them. I'm just going to summarize this in one sentence. They'll get that. I'm just going to ask this to check that they know it. So so then so you've kind of got an over-resourced lesson yes that so, is that we see it's like everything you could possibly need and then you're thinking specifically about the strengths and weaknesses of your class and your individual pupils because we know who it. are i we, see so as... it's
0: sorry sorry danny so it's essentially That's just okay. so i can get my head around this so it's essentially it's uh, there's one booklet um it's it's got all the examples in it and everything like that but then uh, the teachers kind of before they give that booklet out to the students, whatever, the teachers will take that booklet, have a look through it, make mm-hmm. any kind of modifications, make little kind of commentary mm-hmm. and stuff like that down the side. But every yeah. student gets the same booklet, regardless of what class they're in, but they may not do every yeah. single example and there may be modifications and so on. Well, that be it's, about exactly. right.
1: Exactly. And exactly. And the, the way in which you differentiate is by time. Um, the week of the classes, the more the time they have with the teacher. So I might be looking at, for example, we have a single lesson on how to multiply and divide algebraic fractions, including if it's multi-terms, because they've already learned how to expand brackets. And I thought, (laughs) this will be three lessons. Not because (laughs) they weren't good at multiplying expanding brackets, they're actually very good at expanding brackets. I just knew that for my group, it was going to blow their minds to do it in a new context, that they would immediately start just moving things around, in which they duly did. They started trying to multiply things across diagonals for no real... I mean, they had reasons. They had this this feeling that when you've got fractions, everything's like topsy-turvy world, it's opposite land, because if you if your child defines (laughs) maths hard fractions do feel like opposite land of course um so they just start like connecting things so i just knew that we'd spend a lesson learning how to do it then a lesson fixing their mad ideas and then a lesson getting good at it again so (laughs) so i was thinking about lots more examples i was going to use lots more ones where i was going to put up I was, you know, p- thinking of, OK, I'm going to show this example and I'm going to show one's the right working and one's got three mistakes and they have to find the three mistakes. So planning in, you know, based on the t- typical mistakes they made would make and things like that, including even for them, you know, once the question gets hard, they know how to square. But as soon as the question's hard, they'll write four squared equals eight just because they're getting overwhelmed and they're falling back to system one thinking. So just planning that sort of stuff in, which if I had group one there's no way they need to do that Then them you're just saying then obviously you expand the brackets <laughs> I meaning like, that's you would do an A level group you say and then obviously you just solve for A and I'll go yes of course with, and with some groups you can just say that uh, whereas man, I'm thinking know, we'll practice how to solve for A <laughs> and,
0: and so and on can I ask it on a practical level there then if you if the kids have got these booklets and you um, you you discover that you need to give them extra examples um, and so on just to kind of get the concept secure and so on wh- mm. just practically where, where do they write those do they do they have like oh a they, separate they, don't, bit of- they
1: don't write any of them done were very very focused on the children learning everything by heart and memorizing things i mean they, they might annotate examples that when they're doing the first few they can look at their annotations to remind them how they do it but the booklet already has worked examples in it both if a child's ill or they want to revise they can take the booklet home with them as well either because they're ill for a few days so they can keep up with what the class means in math is quite hard but they have a, a fighting chance of keeping up with what the class is doing because they can see well this is exactly what the teacher is going to teach the class they just miss out on the um questioning the conceptual development things like that of course and the feedback um but also um they can look at their annotations but if there are additional examples they just look at them and then they get wiped because the only purpose is to provoke their thinking and for them to remember Ah, anyway we don't ever the children ever take examples down we might very rarely take one down together that's really annotated so they need their book because the book is just not got enough space but that would be like that's an entire teaching exercise to do anyway with the children
0: flip it i mean this is me playing devil's advocate again here danny because this is this is this is fascinating this so the the examples that the just tell me if i've got this right the examples that the teacher is okay. going to go through have been kind of pre-selected in this booklet but you may choose not to not to do every single uh, question yeah oh yeah.
1: you might think oh i like that but actually i'm going to do slightly different and then they can look at that as well like the stronger groups they often think i'll do one that's quite similar and then they might want to read an extra example just to check they've understood it and they can go at their own pace, things got like it. that. So um, I might think, okay, I've got a really weak group. I'm going to do five much easier versions first to really build their confidence up so they think they're really, they feel really good about themselves before we look at the scary version together, um, those kind of
0: things. Got it. But so those, but the, crucially, those those extra five examples, they wouldn't be recorded or written down by the kids anywhere. They're just kind of you on the board discussing um, with the students yes. and so on but yeah. the kids are relying on the examples that are in the book and possibly their annotations of those examples. Would that be right?
1: Um, I say if relying on, we don't want them to be looking back. We, we want to get as quickly as possible to their remembering things and recalling right. things and putting up their memory. So even... Um, which is why we don't ever get, we almost never will get them to write examples in their books because, I mean, we'll get on to, I'm sure you'll want to ask about this. We don't mark their books, they don't look through their books. When they finish them, we say, throw it out if you want, keep it if you want. <laughs> um, <laughs> so it just doesn't mean, as far as we're concerned, it's just all rough work, so who cares? Um, and it's just, I mean, the main thing a book is, to me, is evidence of, oh, they working hard, not of uh, the teacher. But we'll get on to that. Um, so I think the big thing that's an easy, very understandable misconception to have because, especially some of the words I've used, like pre planned examples, pre planned explanations, is to think the teacher speaks teaching from a script which is yes. just so yes. much not at all what's happening i mean I think what's interesting for me to see with teaching in my school um and i see this in other subjects as well though i can't say this much is how much the teachers are just feel it feels like they're so totally being themselves and i know we'll talk about behavior later but both the combination of having you're planning for your lesson means you're actually planning for your class rather than trying to plan the topic when you're planning you're not thinking oh gosh angles angles and polygons how will I teach this? What will I do? And you're trying to think of everything. And that's nuts. It's totally ridiculous because that's that's far too big a job. And instead you have, okay, I've got here some, explanation, some conceptual stuff. Like so often the teachers will come in and say, oh, I just... You know, I think, that, I remember Hinta, he has Group 1 and the nine came here. and he goes, I never thought of showing them how to half turned this way. And then he showed it to them and actually could hear a little cheer come out of the room and all the kids were like, whoa! Because, <laughs> I mean, that's such a nerdy group. And they were all like, oh my God, sir, you've blown our minds. And he was, and... He he's not he hasn't got six hours to go looking on we haven't each got it. If one of us does it then everyone benefits from that time. So it's just the time must be spent, but the time needn't be replicated is the way that we see it. So what you have in the in the booklet is it's more like a launch pad rather than a path that you must follow. It's a suggested path where you choose how you're going to deviate from it. But you know within the context of what we think good is, you know it's a good path and a safe path. Like I would if someone had, was perfectly, comp- I mean, for example, one of our French teachers, she loves maths. She would perfectly well teach maths in based on these booklets. She might not have as much of a sense of the kids' misconceptions, but would we'll show her, OK, this is the thing to explain. These are key ideas. The booklets already uh, pull out the main misconceptions. You always have a little picture of Homer with classic mistakes, and every mistake we can think of the children making is already in there. The teacher might skip half of them, but they, they go, oh, yeah, they might do this. Oh, yeah, they might do this. Oh, yeah, that could happen. Just so it's in their mind before they teach it. So then your planning is just for your class rather than for the topic. So it's actually genuinely lesson planning, whereas what most teachers are doing is lesson resourcing and then they haven't got time for actual planning. So
0: yes. they class. Can I can I ask then Danny, can you just spell out for me so I've got my head around it, this this booklet, what are the um, what are the kind of sections in it? You've mentioned there's kind of worked examples and mm-hmm. then there's 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 um kind of misconceptions outlined. Are they are they broken up by concept or by lesson or or what's what's the kind of structure and the, the content of this booklet if that makes sense?
1: Um, so it'll be there's always a little number talk uh, which is just like an, an interesting puzzle for them to think about at the start yeah. of the lesson. It'd be kind of it either be sort of an AO3 thing or um, it's kind of a UKMT kind of feels sort of question or a brilliant sort of thing from brilliant.org that yes. kind of question. Then the recap, then the reading, and the reading will, it will really depend on the topic. Sometimes. Um, we judge it that actually teaching and the procedure and then the understanding is going to work better. Sometimes we think, depending on the topic, the understanding and the procedure, pardon me, or the facts first, or we kind of think there are three main things to try and teach, which is the facts of something, which are you know simple recall like angles and a line sum to 180 this conceptual why do they sum to 180 this procedural how can i use this um to be uh, sort of simplistic about it and depending on the topic we might do them in varying order then the classic mistakes would be there's a little bit of reading about uh let's say what it means for angles to be a measure of turn and lots of stuff about so in the start of the angles book the very first angles book, lots of examples of angles that look bigger because they had longer arms but actually were all the same and, yes. and some explanation about what that means and then there'd be a little afl um of lots of angles are these all the same size or which of these is the biggest and the one that was actually the most turned had the shortest arms and you know, that kind of obvious yes. that sort of thing um and to check have they understood what we've just talked about um or there be which is the odd one out these angles those kind of things and they have to explain why and, and might prompt them to use certain words the teacher might, might just say i want to hear the word turn i want to hear the word arms and your answer that kind of thing then there might be um or unless there might be after a bit of explanation or there might be an example explain the procedure there might be a list of steps and at first if it's if it's multi-step problem there might be they're going through doing the steps sometimes it might mightn't be broken into steps because it's not it's not suitable. Um, then there might be Homer saying, Homer says that blah, blah, blah. What is his mistake? And they have to, you know, they'll talk about that together. So they know when they see that, the, that means they'll get to talk about mistakes that someone's made, um, that kind of thing. So that will just really vary and it just builds up. And there's, again, there's more of that than you need. It really depends on the class. And it's mostly really reading for the teacher to check for them, like, oh, gosh, I would have forgotten about that. I want to make sure I have that idea in my head if they talk about it or, oh, I would have forgotten that. I want to make sure I tell them about this. So it's, uh, there's not a set order to that. It really is. We'll think about what's a sensible order if we're going to, because it, it sounds really odd to say I'll teach the procedure first. It sounds like, well, it sounds like you hate children. You think they're not capable of <laughs> conceptual understanding, which is, um, very, very, very far. What we want is for them to have deep conceptual understanding and really high confidence and command, uh, with maths. And I think what we've all found in our practice so far is that, uh, thinking my priorities understanding doesn't mean the first thing you do is understanding that sometimes you try to teach why something works before they know how. It's just actually really overwhelming and confusing because the conceptual stuff is usually abstract and abstract is hardest to hang on to. And if you haven't got the concrete examples of lots of procedural stuff, both you have no examples for your mind to hang ideas onto and to make connections with, we yeah. also like confidence in thinking you are competent at it. I mean children obviously they think I can get lots of ticks. I am good at this topic. Whereas you might say, yeah, but you don't know what an angle is, sunshine. I'm thinking that. <laughs> and, I'm, and I'm kind of going, and I'm Um But they now think they are the king or queen of angles. So now they're ready to have a difficult, challenging uh, discussion and challenging ideas about what angles are actually doing and what they're measuring.
0: Well, this this um, is this is fascinating, Annie. Can I ask as well then? Just just at that point, what's the flip side of that? Could you get you've, you've mentioned angles as something that you'd maybe introduce in year seven to get them very confident mm-hmm. at it, and then get get into the why in year nine? Would there be a topic where you would feel it was important to teach the conceptual um, before the practice of it?
1: Uh, yes, uh, solving equations is one where we f- think it's really important to do the conceptual first because. Um, I mean, the, the obvious thing you think of, and, we some, and 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 even then you still might make a judgment as a teacher. And we, the important thing is we've talked about it and we know why we're making the decisions, is that if you begin with boxes, the children start um, doing, they don't realize they're using the inverse. If you show them three at box equals ten, they think seven. And they don't really know why they knew it was seven. They just knew because they know the number bonds so well. Right. And you as a teacher think, oh, they're doing really well at this. They can use and to solve equations. And they're not. They're not solving equations. They haven't actually understood the really important thing is the, that they must be two statements of equal value. And if you do think to, something to one side, you must do the same thing to the other side. And it can then make them think they don't need to learn a method to do it because they think, well I already know how to do this. And it now seems really weird that you're even showing them why. Whereas if you begin with, uh, let's say thirty-four take eight equals thirty-four take two take blank, and getting them to see that these are two statements of equal value and spending a lot of time on what it means for two things to be equal. And they know variable I mean there's a variable in the sense there's no, it's not a variable, there's an unknown in the sense there is a box. But it's very focused on Just understanding what is going on, and then you can gradually show it becoming more abstract. That you could have a minus eight equals a minus two minus box, and so on. That still the same process will be happening. About, or you could even give them say ten equals eight plus two. Okay, I'm going to add one to the left hand side. Now it says eleven. Oh, it's not equal now. What do I need to do? The other side? Oh, I have to add one there if it's going to stay equal. And that's building up a lot of conceptual. Because if they're going to know to solve, they need to know they have to do the same to both sides.
0: Now so, this is this, this 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 is fascinating, this Danny, because this solving equations is is one of these things that yeah I've thought long and hard about because you're <laughs> absolutely I mean, like every little, teacher yeah, yeah so my, my kind of like this you um you, it's one of those things you, you can make fairly rapid progress with, with mm. students whether you teach a kind of function machine approach or as you say a boxes approach mm-hmm. or even mm-hmm. flipping changing side changing sign and all that kind of mm-hmm. stuff
2: mm-hmm. but
0: you're absolutely right I think you can make rapid prog well what looks like rapid progress, um, doing that. But all it takes is for one little twist or the Mm -hmm. unknown to appear Mm -hmm. on both sides or some some, some slight little problem. And then it all falls apart. And you almost have to then say, right, I'm actually going to teach you a new method because the way we've been solving equations in the past isn't actually the best way to do it because now we've encountered some difficult ones so now let's start again yeah. and and it's, it's 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 bad right it's quite it's quite kind of difficult for the students to forget all that's yeah. gone before or the end up yeah. thinking right well for this equation I'm going to use this method for this one I'm going to use this method and so on
1: yeah
0: and I, so it ends up being rule-based teaching we yes don't do yes what,
1: what can happen we I mean this is why we like
0: to, we try to prepare
1: an entire unit in one go as even though as daunting as that task is um, because if you if you have the final goal in mind, you think whatever I'm teaching them to do the first step must apply to this final yes. type of, and it forces you to keep that. So even though sometimes, I mean, at the early days of teaching solving equations, you feel like a bit of you feel like a bit of a lunatic for teaching mm. them to do the same to both sides. And you're like and the kids are like, Miss, all it says is a at four is eleven. Why are you making me write track four on both sides? And you, you do look like an absolute lunatic. And
0: what teacher. do you say there, Danny? Because that, that that was what I was going to say. Because the, the kids, and maybe they've been introduced to algebra at primary school, and maybe um, mm-hmm. they they've done it one of these other approaches we've talked about, or as you say there, if it's a at four equals eleven, they can flip and see it's seven straight away. So what mm-hmm. what what do you do there? Like, how are you convincing the kids that it's in their long term interest to do it a way that they're definitely going to see as more inefficient? And, and ultimately more frustrating for them
1: yeah so we um, so the guiding principle we have and we share this with the children is that we do we when we call them the um, we're trying to teach you the 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 idiot proof method or the foolproof method, the way that will work no matter what. And we try right. to, for example, the way we do proportional reasoning, we try to use the same thing for percentages, the same thing for all sorts of problems, so that they have one way that's always going to work and it generalizes well with solving equations. That's why we use the same sides approach rather than function machines or um, yeah. change sides, change of sign or inverse or any of those. Um, what we do then, this is something that uh, Hintai h- hit upon about a year ago, which is when we're teaching it with, say, just simple additions subtraction, traction, there will be a whole lesson just on in the form of A and B equals C, where you're trying to find A, um, is don't use simple numbers. Uh, you might Your example might be uh, right. A plus 3.7 equals 2.8, and actually open with that example, because there's no way that they can just know. Maybe even worse, make it 2.08, just something that is impossible to do in your head. So then it's not obvious what to do, and then you say, okay, I'll do an easy version of the left-hand side. You split the board in two into a T-shape, and you say, here's A at f- 4 equals 11, and here's A at two- 3.8 equals 2.07. Okay, how can I do it on this side? Okay, I can see it's 7. Why can I see? Yes. Oh, so I've subtracted 4 from both sides. Oh, that will work over here. So you're showing them that... And also teaching them the thing that you, I'm, I'm sure you do, and all maths teachers do is that we think of a method, we think, ooh, well, this works. So you test it with little numbers, you go, yeah, it does work. Okay, fine. So, getting them to learn that habit straight away of you think you have an idea, test it with some little numbers, and then now you're fine.
0: I tell you what, there's two things immediately struck me there, Danny. The first is I'm, I'm a bit, I'm getting a bit obsessed with um, educational research at the moment, in particular um, Robert Bjork's work on on making learning more difficult, and, and and the kind of big implication I've taken from that, and what you're saying from from um, from, from that description of introducing linear equations, is it, if if that lesson was being watched. It, by, <laughs> by, by the untrained eye it would look a bit of a disaster right because say you introduced the mm. say you say you interviewed the kids at the start and said how do you feel on solving linear equations and you gave them something like uh, you know a plus uh, four equals 11 or whatever they'd be like oh yeah we can nail these no problem at all now there's yeah, a chance yeah, yeah, yeah. by the end of that lesson they're going to come out thinking actually i don't understand linear equations or i found that a lot yeah. harder than i thought and so on and and obviously like Having done this reading, there's a big difference between learning and performance and so on. But <laughs> for, I guess my question there is that, well, you've, you've answered it in the sense that the um, you, you convince the kids by saying this is part of a long-term strategy. This is a foolproof yeah. strategy that's going to work with you for everything. And I wonder if you could just touch upon here. I mean, I mean we'll get back to the lesson in about three hours. <laughs> <laughs> and, <laughs> but, and eventually we'll finish up the unit on polygons. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, yeah, we haven't even talked about an angle for ages. But I wonder... <laughs> I wonder when people are observing um like your lessons mm-hmm. is everyone at michaela kind of aware of this that perhaps the the lesson isn't the unit that we should be kind of studying progress yeah. against and and kids will find things difficult and appear to be making no progress is that is that an underlying ethos that's that's important to, to michaela
1: really important i mean we as, um I'm doing slightly less at the moment just because we're trying to get this stuff. I tried to see everyone in the department at least once a week. We tried to we I mean, we really want everyone to f- be observed about once a week. Catherine tries to watch lessons as much as possible. She does it deliberately I mean, this makes it sound funny or this makes it sound um <laughs> depending on your pre existing biases, it it will confirm your biases either way. Uh, <laughs> she tries to stand so the teacher doesn't know she's there, so she'll stand because we keep her doors everyone keeps their doors open. Um And I mean, unless someone's having an incredibly exciting lesson, um, then they'll close the door, um, (laughs) where the kids are like cheering as the bird goes around the polygon. (laughs) Of course. (laughs) But that, I mean, even then, it's so nice for other classrooms to have to hear it anyway. Um, She can, she understands that actually the children can see that she's there, but they don't change their behaviour when she, uh, which is an amazing achievement because she's a real Wizard of Oz character from the children's point of view. Um, She often does try to stand outside classrooms because because she knows the teachers will always be at the front <laughs> yes. because that's a very something we care about very much at the school. They can't see her so she can see into the classroom, she can hear everything that's being taught and she can see how the children are doing and she can see just so she gets a temperature feel for the school um and even she'll say i'm never going to give any feedback on your subject because what do i know about teaching math i don't right. know anything about teaching right. maths and right. even though her subject is mfl she doesn't even feedback the mfl teachers because they teach it so differently to how she taught when she was yes. at school because the entire framework's so different she she'll say well what do i know about teaching mfl in this school nothing which is amazing <laughs> um uh, expression both of understanding of uh, her role as a leader rather than as someone who has to well it's 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 um It's uh, it's just so different and it's really um, freeing. But I think what's important is we're all observed so much that you're never thinking about a as performance. If anything, Catherine says, if you've changed what you're doing because I've walked in the room, that's really, really bad. That mustn't happen. You should really be thinking to yourself, why am I doing that? Because either it's something you should have been doing and you shouldn't have started just because I came in the room, or you feel like you're having to perform for me, which means you're now not doing the right thing, uh, and that's really bad, because you, what you are doing before is what you thought was the best thing to be doing, so there's no way you should ever be changing if I walk in the room. Um, we know that we haven't been off it yet. We should be any time up to the end of this academic year. Who knows what they'll think, because we all see it as very much the... Who knows, they could love it or hate it. I mean, anything from... <laughs> any, any outcome is possible, because the way I... I mean, in a lesson that... We, we just, especially in maths, it's so easy to make the children appear to be performing really, really well. Yo, I mean, in, I mean, and really all they're doing is imitating what they've just seen. And often the more narrow you make it, you can make them appear to make extraordinary progress, oh, provided yeah. you've made the examples and question types um actually very algorithmically similar. So to the untrained eye, they appear to be very different questions because non-maths teachers think, all oh, maths is really hard, so it's really easy to impress <laughs> people who aren't <laughs> maths teachers. But you're not really because actually the thinking the child is doing is the same thinking every time. So that's just such a terrible game to be playing with the children uh, or uh, at the expense of the children. So we, we just see that it's, like so important to avoid that and perf- we're perfectly happy for the children to have um, a lesson where they think gosh that was really difficult when say this equation's one they come out going gosh it's very difficult to solve these linear equations when it would have been very easy to have them walk out going well i'm the king of equations this is the easiest thing i've ever seen but the problem with that is not just that the children uh then dismiss the need for a an approach that's universal and will work is the teacher thinks the children are really good. at, And I think that's actually the bigger problem is the teacher thinks, well, these kids are nailing equations. Let's move on then. And of course, if you'd given them one where the solution was negative, they would all fall apart. And then you as a teacher are now in a very naive position. So we almost think it's it's just as important to allow that difficulty to happen as the teacher is not naive about where the class has gotten to
0: well can i ask then danny and um, because again I'm, I'm a great believer that a lot of lesson observations are an absolute waste of time purely purely based yeah, on this purely that we again what we've discussed here that you, you can't really judge progress and the kind well you sorry you can't judge learning and the progress that you see may actually be to the detriment of, of long-term mm. learning exactly as you've mm. said there for, for two reasons one that you teach it in a very narrow way, um, so the kids think that, that they're learning and that they're they're very confident. And yet, if there's a twist at a later date, they're going to be screwed up with that. But also, yeah. as you say, because the teacher, if they if they base their judgments on the uh, progress that they believe kids are making, and yeah. then you're absolutely right, they may not address kind of misconceptions and, and variations later on. And um, but so what what do you look for in a lesson observation? Then what what is what is the head yeah. teacher looking at, and what are you looking at when you when you see your fellow maths colleagues?
1: So Catherine almost never feeds back to people. She might feed back on things around um, behavior, classroom culture. She wants that to be highly consistent, not necessarily that the, certainly not the personality or character of the teacher or the way that they teach. Some are very laid back, some are very, very high energy. Some it's a very, very calm, purposeful. She wants all the environments to be purposeful, but some it might be, like sometimes I'm near Joe Kirby's room and I think there's a fight going on and I I I, I, I run to his room and actually he's just acting out a scene from Julius Caesar and getting each children to roar at him as he does it I'm like, okay, (laughs) fine, this is fine (laughs) and other rooms I've had times I've passed people's classrooms and thinking, gone, oh, I thought they were teaching now, that's fine. Then they go back and go, oh, they are teaching, it's just so silent, I had no idea. Because <laughs> um, the children are basically working away. Um, so it's, there's a huge variety, and you'll have somewhere, there's loads, ch- t- some teachers love to do loads of singing with their classes. One of the um some will do loads of competitions loads of like the kids are getting really psyched up some wanted to be very calm and purposeful just building up quiet confidence for the children so within the the all that variety Catherine does expect to see that there are really high expectations around people's radar that they're picking up every time a child turns around or is maybe asking silly questions or that the teacher has a good command of the room and is like, so things that are just really generalized, and I suppose in some ways tick box in the sense of to us, it is tick box that you should notice when every time a child turns around, yes. that you should notice if a child is dropping their equipment on purpose. Um, if a child, you know, just to be just to be a pest, um, that you should notice that a child that you told everyone to start work and one child didn't do anything for a minute other than pick their nose, that kind of thing. Um, so that sort of thing, but that's, um, I think it makes it sound like she's doing tick box um, observing, not at all. She doesn't have any boxes. She's just, knows the temperature she expects to see in the rooms around behaviour. And that's just for her to get a sense of in the school the children gaining a very consistent experience from the adults of how they should be behaving. Since without consistency, we're doomed. If you're going to have incredibly strict and high expectations, they must be utterly consistent yes. in order for the children to meet them. So that's a really important role for her in SLT to play. If I'm observing people or if we observe each other, we observe each other all the time. Other people in the department will observe me, observe each other. We send each other feedback, emails. There's no set... Um, structure to those emails there's no uh to the feedback i mean we'll talk about it as well but just send an email straight away so you don't forget what you've seen it might be oh i love this it might be saw so something that was really lovely and you just email the whole department, being like oh i just saw the way so and so did this it was really interesting just for them to know because it's interesting um it might be uh so, i mean there's uh, one teacher he's get very frustrated the small number of children in his class aren't progressing as well as the others they just they're just not learning as well and they can't figure it out so i go in just to watch those children yes. and uh just to and say is just you know, one of them i was like just you know every single time you even look at another child he is messing around not messing with me I say messing around by Michaela standards meaning he looks out the window um, <laughs> or he checks his pen and <laughs> he's not doing a dance <laughs> and said that. but I mean in the sense of that teacher was trying to figure out what's happening and actually that child all of his en- attention and energy wasn't going on to maths it was going on to watching his teacher so that he could see when he could do what he felt like doing which was pick his nose scratch his head look out the window and things like that so it's it might be, it's very much thinking about something like that. It might be, I mean, a lesson, I think, oh, that explanation worked really, really well. I'll just tell them about that. I might say, um, the examples you picked, you actually, you could have gone for a much harder one straight away. This class, we're understanding it. Like, have confidence in them. Do go quicker. It might be, they were a bit boggled by that. Try this kind of example first next time. It, could, it would just be anything. It might, it mean, might be, um, your voice needs to vary more. It's getting a little bit monotonous, which sounds really harsh, but we really... Um, we're really candid with each other. I try, I mean, I, I, I hope I succeed in this. I have. I couldn't have a better department. They're just so wonderful. They're so committed to the children, so committed to improvement, so committed to uh, what we hope the children in the school will achieve, both in their character and their academic academics, that um, they understand that feedback's a gift. And if you're saying, you know, you need to modulate your voice more, you're not saying, I think you're a boring person. I'm saying <laughs> you need to modulate your voice so you get the outcomes that you and I are both really committed to, um, yes. or whatever, whatever sort of things um it's hard for new people because they're not used to being told things like that or they think oh gosh this mean i'm now on the special on um uh, an improvement plan of course it doesn't mean that it just means vary your voice more it doesn't mean mo- neither more nor less than that or it might be you know all those sort of things um so observing all the time i can never tell from one lesson have the children learned i can just see what's not working and that, which obviously means feedback ends up being kind of negatively skewed but then you have the the positive every week and I'll describe this uh, we can see how much the children's learning because so we quiz them every single week and that's where I can really celebrate with the teacher look at these incredible gains they've made with the children.
0: Got it. Fantastic. Right. Well, to, I'm going to try and subtly now shoehorn it back into angles <laughs> and polygons. So, so so let's assume we're at this stage now and, and just stop me if I've, I've left anything out here where you've you've looked an entire unit of work. You've mm-hmm. um, you've put the booklet together. So let, let's mm-hmm. assume that the booklet's ready. That's been kind of given out to all the staff and they've looked through it and kind of made made their changes and made their annotations and so on. Can you. um is there anything else that needs to happen um before the kids are coming into the room to teach this lesson that you're going to describe to us
1: so the other things we'll have before i mean we'll do drafts of it and feedback to it we might practice together how to explain specific concepts and that in the hour i spend with each of the teachers once a week some of it is just them practicing uh how they're going, like if it's a very difficult procedure a very difficult concept or what kind of questions they'll ask also practicing how to make things memorable so a silly one would be with um uh, angles and parallel lines. There's alternate angles because they make a Z. There're corresponding angles. They make oh, an S. I use that. And I say I'm glad <laughs> yeah, someone else yeah. uses that one. No, I'm happy <laughs> yeah, <with> that. <laughs> yeah, the kids obviously like roll their eyes at us, and that's fine. <laughs> that's completely fine. Um, so then we. I'm just trying to think. So then they we teach teaching that. So then over the course of the week, what happened? I mean, I, th- I think um um we, we want to, one thing is we do want to make sure we're very consistent on the methods and the explanations we give, partially because we like to we children move around classes all the time because of the catchment that we have being in the kind of urban area we're in in Brent we have very high churn because a lot of the children are in social housing which means they get moved around an awful lot or a lot of them will have family in other parts of the world or the countries so they move around so that's a really high frustration for us is a very high level of churn for reasons beyond uh, the families' controls the controls of the, fa- the control of the families um, so we need that mass that huge consistency for that reason to make it really easy for children to move between groups and between teachers between years and things as well um so much as there's it's really lovely to have the kind of freedom of oh i can teach this any way i like and that feels like a really nice kind of freedom and autonomy the way we see it is you sacrifice some types of freedom like getting to teach equations any way you like for a different type of freedom which is redu- reduced workload and better outcomes for the kids you think what do you really want for you to feel that you get to act upon your your kind of transient preferences or for you to achieve the goal that you say you really really care about which is the maximum amount of progress real meaningful sustained progress for the pupils that is the goal that all the meaning you know, that all math teachers have so we mean you know, a quote we have up in the staff room is you don't help bees by harming the hive by which we mean that one bee might feel great that they get to teach equations any way they like but actually hurts the overall hive which is the industry we're undertaking which is to make the children brilliant at maths so then once the hive's been hurt then the bees will ultimately suffer. So the, you sacrifice some small types of autonomy in order to have the actual autonomy of the children who have become really good at maths. Now we can do some actually hard maths. solving equations is just a stepping stone to the great maths.
0: Can, um, can I ask Danny at, the, at that? Because this this was something I, I interviewed with Greg Ashman for the, for the mm, last, mm, last podcast. And he said something that, that's similar to what you said there. And it really struck me, because so I never thought of this before. That he, he they, they they, in their department, they do something similar where it's, it's joint planning in the sense that there is i don't think it's quite as and i know scripted isn't the word but it's not quite as directed as as to have a booklet for each lesson but they would certainly have a way of teaching linear equations yeah, and yeah, a way yeah. of doing this that's consistent um, and i don't think you get that in many schools so my question that i asked greg and the one that i'm going to ask you is that um say another teacher comes along and has a has a different way of doing it what what let's take solving linear equations what would it take for them to convince you that either they are okay to do it that way in their lesson or even on a bigger level that the whole department should change its approach um
1: well one that we've done the uh equations we all agreed on because we had we all i think because three of them are math graduates the other three of us love yes. math well three of the equations we're all like well obviously it's the only pure way of doing it and <laughs> um, so that ended up being actually quite easy there was no debate on that one other than we all agree that, yes, it's a little bit harder at first, but it's worth it. And we all kind of like, come on, stay together. this, <laughs> <Yes. of> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Don't give up, don't deviate. Um, but one would be um, calculating with directed numbers, uh, things like getting children to be better at questions like, um, say, 32.5, subtract uh, 47.38. I mean, that's just n- nightmare territory trying to get yes. to do those kind of I mean, even goodness help them even if they're um even if they're expanding brackets like a at four times a takes seven i mean it's kind of 50 50 if negative three a is going to come out in the middle of, yes, yeah, in the middle yeah, yeah. of that expression <laughs> um, <laughs> and that's only four and seven um so that's one that we have had so much not just debate we have done so much work on trying to find the best way to teach us so we've now had four different iterations of ways that we've tried we've actually said okay you try this with your class uh-huh. i'm going to try this because we can't we took us we we think we have cracked it but it's not we haven't fully so what we've gone with now is when we were doing things where they're drawing them on number lines we were doing things with bars we've tried things <laughs> where they had five rules that they followed we had that like, oh my goodness we had <laughs> number lines we've tried everything and it was just and so what we couldn't find something universal and we're trying to think like, what is it we're doing in our heads? I mean, we just say that to children. We realized in our heads we were we had a really strong sense of um, difference or total movement and things like that. And we were still using terms like absolute values in our minds. We're like, no, yes. that's not work. That's still too. So because obviously what we really want to say just have what we have because what we have is efficient. Um, so what we are now trying is a combination of we use our number line. And we think we've now settled on this, that we're going to make an, a final decision for next year in about a month um, from all the different things. we've Poor current year sevens. But, a real, <laughs> roller coaster. but because we, we haven't been able to figure out what works best, what we think we have is, let us imagine you have um, negative four add seven. I mean, Obviously, for us, we just think we'll just do seven take four. But that's we've realized that actually there's still a rule that we're following in our mind of when you know that you can rearrange that, right. um, which still makes it too rule-based. What we've gone with for now with the children – and we'll decide at the end of the year if this has succeeded is look at two at a time so if it's the string ignore everything else just look at the first two terms uh, decide if there's more positive or negative so you've got four take seven there is more negative you've only got four positive you've got seven of negative so the answer will be negative then look at the signs same sign get the sum different sign get the difference because it is what it always is you're either finding a difference between the two values or the sum if they're both negative it's the total negative and, so on. and that both has like a memorable aspect to it because same is some difference is different or different is difference. And it's just two simple steps that work every single time. Um, So we think that is succeeding. Um, So that's one where there's been huge amounts of both debate and we've just been watching each other, trying, trying all sorts of things with the kids because we weren't settled. So there's total openness to changing things but the reason you want to it has to it'll only be really accepted if the reason you want to change things is it's best for the children not just oh i like it i mean it's it's, i mean there's nothing wrong with wanting to do things your own way but it shouldn't but your job isn't to be a teacher who gets to act on their whims your job is to make the children really good at maths um if that makes sense and that's what your mission is in the, as a as a math teacher. So as long as there's something related to that goal, there's a reason for doing things. Everyone will be really interested because we all share that goal.
0: Got it. Right, Danny. So here is now attempt, probably number 15, to bring us back to this angles and polygons. And this this, this is absolutely fascinating. So... Let's assume now we've got the booklet, the booklet's been written, we've had our discussions with staff about the, the kind of best way to, to teach it, we've done some possibly kind of rehearsals and discussions in departmental <laughs> meetings and so on. Are we at a stage now where we're ready for the, the kids to come in the room and, and do the lesson, or, or does anything yeah. else need to happen?
1: I think, I, th- I think we're good to go for that.
0: <laughs> cool, okay, fantastic. So, well, well, talk me through um, yeah, <laughs> as much detail as you can, um, Yeah, what happens when the kids enter the room, what's the first thing that happens in your lesson?
1: Uh so the children so I mean uh, these can be little teaser trailers for um what Michaela is like. So the uh <laughs> you have to I mean for dual reasons, you have to get out in the corridor to go find your class, both because they walk in silence. So you mightn't realise they're there. <laughs> I've had times where I've been at the computer working away and thought, Oh gosh, you're a bit late, great, I can get things done and then after a while I hear, Miss, we've been here three minutes, can we come in and I'm like oh god, come in <laughs> now they were there. Um so but also it's really important that everyone's on duty, both it's so essential that we're there constantly um Greeting the children, making them feel known and loved and cared about, that we're really present. It's also essential for good behaviours. The corridors are really safe, nice places. It's a fairly small building that we're trying to operate with, a fairly narrow corridors, so you just need that adult presence so it stays a really calm, purposeful, nice place. when I mean, uh I'll talk more about behaviour later. So you're out greeting the children at the door, uh they come in, in line, they come in, they stand behind their chairs. In some classes the teacher will say, Hand the books I I have for maths that from the moment the first kid comes in, I start counting down, means alternated with good morning, good morning. So it's thirty seconds countdown. Um, that by the time I've gotten down to one, that they should all be behind their chairs, their equipment's ready, they've already handed their books out and they have their little booklet ready for the for their starter. So then the so I'll say, okay everyone sit down go and then if it's my year nines it's nine Zeus. i'll put on some um they're all named after greek gods uh to I mean they are streamed but we're trying to disguise that from the children which is part of why we have the same booklet for everyone because we can then say truthfully well we all learn the same work i be yes. possibly upset if you're all learning the same thing um, which is just stretching the boundaries of truth because they aren't in sets they're in streams and so we say you're not in sets <laughs> we are <laughs> we're skirting close to what truth is <laughs> uh, um so then uh, i 'll put Egypt and classical on. they might make if they 've done the best last week in the quiz, which i 'll describe later, they can ask me which mu- suggest the music they want. they um are obsessed with furlies um, and we'll have, so that will take two to three minutes where they do two pages of corporate math. so I use um, Casernia nine I use the numeracy and the foundation one so it's, they have a booklet with about forty days' worth of it printed out, so it 's on a double page spread, so they 're doing that in the booklets and they're doing that on their own. And that's just time that they're getting in and getting settled and so that they do a bit of um, generalised retrieval practice at the start of the lesson. It also flags up things for me that we go through it. There might be some occasionally there'll be things they haven't learned yet. Um, let's say something like they was sharing in a ratio recently. I showed them really quickly, like, this is how you share sharing a ratio. Um, we're going to be learning that soon. And... Have a go at this one and they've just seen all, all it has been is a totally algorithmic demonstration of how to do it. And they're like, Oh, that's not so hard. And they can do it. So by now, we've not on probability, but they're already pretty good at finding simple probabilities just thanks to Corbett Maths. And they're pretty good at finding at sharing in a simple ratio, thanks to John Corbett as well. So it's going to be very easy to teach it to them later on and they now know how to do um, frequency trees, which I was hoping I'd never have to teach. So <laughs> thanks to John, I might never have to teach it. Because I get to do it about once a month.
0: And can I ask and, as well, is that the kids are doing those um, the five a days or the the, the numeracy yeah. things so they're doing those in silence is, is that right
1: yeah, yes and they do yeah they do it in total silence i mean they don't ever work with their partners the, the default expectation in school in general apart from certain times of day in certain parts of the school we have a default expectation of silence the, i mean I'm, I'm sure we'll talk about behavior more but actually the reason is we think that's fairer on the children is if it's unclear when you do and don't expect silence yeah. then it means that they can fall on the wrong side of that line because of a misunderstanding if you have a very clear expectation about when there is silence and when there isn't. Then it's very easy to make the right cho- to make the the right choice around behaviour because we're always expected to be silent in lessons unless the teacher said it's a time that we are talking. So that's just a default expectation in the corridors and the classrooms. They're not silent classrooms where the children don't speak. They speak all the time, but it's on the invitation of the teacher and on like when the, when the teacher said because it, we want the talk in classrooms to be very purposeful or because you know, it's building relationships or having fun. But with the teacher um being the person who's in charge of that uh so they're doing that if they're in year eight they're doing numeracy ninjas um i think you've had will yes um, yes yes i mean that's that's another one that's just brilliant for the year so again that that mixed practice every single day they get to they have um <laughs> i don't know how it ended up this way i think because the first the first song we picked for it was kung fu fighting <laughs> right. the, the seven the 70s version of it and then we're like where do we go from here so we end up just doing it's always funk and soul for the year eights and for the year sevens it's um always rock music because nice. teaching um so because we're trying to pick music that kind of broadens their world a little bit so we've said if, for, for a brief while i said if you're first in the quiz you get to pick and we get to listen to that blasted dab song and I'm never doing this again both because it was monstrous um as, as, a, as a on a, an aesthetic level that was monstrous um but also realized this is actually the music is another way to just open, in, open their worlds like they read so much at school and they read such great literature and actually musically this is just more ways to open their minds to new experiences and give them new experiences even if they come out they think well funk and soul it's not the music for me um that's fine. Uh, Hintai, I think, always plays Charles for his. Like He plays a lot of uh, 1940s Charles, which is really nice. <laughs> but that's always a nice kind of fun start to the lesson. And then they mark it and we do Mexican wave. Mexican wave, if you got eight or above, blah, blah, blah. Um, year nine do not want to do a Mexican wave anymore. That is fine. But they pat themselves on the back if they've gotten 10 out of 10. And I note down if there's anything that they've all struggled with, I just put a star next to it, which will feed into that week's quiz.
0: Can I, ask, can I ask at this point, Danny? And again, apologies that I keep interrupting you here. So this is this is the start of the lesson and this is still referring to the kind of the, the call up maths, the kind of fiver days or, 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 yeah, yeah, or yeah, the new yeah, changes. And yeah. um, now, well, two things first. The first is a question I asked John himself when he was on the podcast. If um, you do come across a, um, a question that the kids can't do, whether it be because it's something that they've, um, they've never studied before or they've just had difficulty with it, my first question is, do you, because um, obviously you don't want that to be the main focus of the lesson, you've got <laughs> other things to get through with the booklet, is it a case that you have in your head like a, a set? Time limit here where I'm just going to go through it on the board, and if, they, if it's clear they don't get it, as you say, you're just going to make a note of it and, and deal with it later. Or will you kind of divert your lesson towards dealing with that particular issue there and then?
1: Um, I definitely wouldn't divert my lesson so I won't have any resources, so I end up having yes. totally unplanned examples. I mean, I think of it this I mean Obviously, in the context of expert teachers, I'm still a very inexperienced teacher. But relative to the median service of a teacher, I'm an experienced teacher, <laughs> yeah, which is horrifying. Because so I'm still so aware of how I I know <laughs> and have still to learn. And if I think, "Oh gosh, we're really struggling here on um, dividing fractions," I haven't got um, I haven't got examples planned to show them to remind them. I haven't got questions ready to hand for them to practice. I haven't. Uh, it'll just be all on the hoof. They'll sense my sort of not pan- panic too strong a word but that it's also even that the facade of calm uh, i don't use a control but calm purpose the teacher having a sense of this is where we're going to yes. go gets lost and that's like creating a space for children to lose confidence in you because they can see your confidence isn't as high now um or for a a more childish child to think i had t- this is obviously a lot more distracted she's trying to write 20 questions while i sit yes. here this is my chance to have a chat with another child um <laughs> which it's just silly i mean it doesn't have to be dealt with that moment and i'll say to the class like oh god we're really forgetting how to do this they know that we do revision every friday and i'll say we'll deal with this on friday and they can see me put a star next to it and note it down they yeah, know okay. that i'm going to do it and sometimes on Thursday they even say miss you are going to do that with us tomorrow like, yes, yes 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 i will <laughs> <laughs> thank you for my doing <laughs> um, because they do want to know if it's something small they've forgotten for example two days ago they'd forgotten what triangle numbers are, which mostly was feedback to me going, Oh Danny, how could you have let this go six months? You haven't gone over it for some was thinking, thank you, John. <laughs> if it wasn't for you, I'd have told about triangle numbers. <laughs> um, so then that was when I just immediately I just showed them what it were, reminded them they Oh yeah, yeah and I said, okay, you've got thirty seconds, write out the first ten triangle numbers good. The next day, I just we're doing a we just did a little oral recap. I said, "Tell me what the triangle numbers are." They didn't. I said, "Okay, that's fine." But I, I, I then did put it in their quiz that week anyway, just to be sure. So if it's something quick that they have learned, and I can see it's just they've uh, they just need to be kind of reconnected on a memory, like they've just forgotten the connection between the description of something and how to do it. I just tell them straight away. It. If it's that they're really muddling how to do it, um, I know that needs more time and for me to have time to think about it. And I say we'll be doing this on Friday. And if it's something they have not learned. If it's simple, um, like there are some counters, what's the probability, which is such simple probability, they just haven't done any yet. I just show them and they go, okay, that's easy. So just draw one more and say, do this one, guys. And they go, yep, still easy, miss. And they feel great. And I'm like, oh, you guys can do basic probability now. And they go, ooh. (laughs) And we all feel very good about ourselves. And frequency trees, I'll say, Oh, there's this very famous math teacher called Miss Muldani, and she just thought freaks and would be so difficult. And look at you, nine Zeus, You're so good. And, like, then, so poor Mel, she's my example all the time of, you know, they should post about something her year 11s have found hard. up am Miss Moldani said her year 11s found this very difficult, and they, like, smirk. <laughs> <laughs> so, they say, poor Mel, I've portrayed her year 11s as useless and never for kids. <laughs> then, she's my example teacher for us to go to for everything. I like it. From my class's point of view. So that would be, uh, I tried. I mean, we don't um, time it, but we—if it's more than five minutes, the lesson you're still on that starter booklet—that's way too much time. We yeah. stop corporate maths or numerated injuries usually within three minutes. Um, or a mental math starter. So we we were doing TT Rockstars for the first few months. And because they're doing it every night for homework, after three months, you realize they just don't need to practice their time's tables anymore. Yes. It's a wonderful place to be at. Yeah, <laughs> the kids definitely. really do know their tables. So now they do a mental math starter. That's um, sort of things I showed at the mass conference, like times you divide my powers into 10, half in and doubling, rounding, the again, sort of just formulaic uh, or algorithmic things. So they're just practicing and they have rock music. And we all go like, woo, to celebrate how well we've done and be proud <laughs> of ourselves they've got 10 seconds to put it away and another 10 seconds gets booked open to get the title down
0: and no, we start the it. can I ask you can I ask you on Because there's, there's another thing um, you've kind of touched on there that I was going to kind of talk to you more about at the end but I think it'll be make more sense to do it as a, as a running thread throughout our conversation Danny and that's that's this element of kind of competition and and maybe <laughs> and, and kind of almost Kids being aware of how well each other's doing in the lesson, because again, there's, there's 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 two schools of thought on this, right? There's there's one school of thought that says um it, you, you shouldn't, kids shouldn't be bothered how each other's doing, blah 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 blah. They should just know themselves. It's bad for their confidence and self self-esteem yes. and all that. Um, but then there's, there's your approach, which, uh, if again, correct me if I'm wrong here, but it's, it's it's making it very explicit who's got eight out of ten, who's got nine out of ten, and ten out of ten, and so on. So can you just talk us um, uh, through a little bit about that, if that's all right? Your views on competition.
1: I mean, with to, to be honest, I mean this is uh, maybe, who, who knows? I think this is actually probably something I've not explicitly talked about with my colleagues, and they might hear this and spit <laughs> their drink out. Um, <laughs> I have no idea if the children have actually gotten 10 out of 10 they could they could be mexican doing a mexican way for 10 out of 10 every day for the last six months and i won't have a clue <laughs> because it's, it's it's all self-report mm. i call the answers out for all i know they're writing them down i mean I'm, I'm circulating around i know which children i want to check on and i'm going to them and while they're doing their corporate maths they put their hand up and they'll say you know they've got three minutes where i'm going around they say miss remind me how to do this or i show them one or things like that or quite a few are all getting stuck on the fifth one so i'll say okay everyone pause i show an example then they go oh yeah and then just keep going things like that but I mean the competition there if a child's very um, has that fragile and ego they can definitely just lie every day but that's one where I'd say because the stakes are so low so low even to the point of I frankly don't care if they're lying about that because I'm not recording the information in any way. Like, I'll do things like there are a few kids who I know find it really hard. And if I say Mexican Wave, I always say a low one. stuff if you've got three or above and their hands up, <laughs> Mexican Wave, you've got five or above. hands up. Mexican Wave, you've got seven or above. And I might even have looked at theirs. And I'll say, oh, Sam, you got to seven. That's so good. You're really improving, smug face. And like, well, done. And then, then 10 out of 10, I'm like, good. <laughs> <they get happy. laughs> so it's um depending on the child if they need a bit of a boost or, or you want to like draw attention to that they've improved so most of the praise narrative around achievement is narrative around improvement rather than uh absolute outcomes because they can improve they can control that more, and that's more important thing about are you better than you were yesterday rather than are you absolute in an absolute sense good because that they'll never be in an absolute sense good. we're still learning maths, so goodness knows they're going to be learning maths for a long time as yeah. well um so with um well, i suppose I'll, I'll then so we have the I'll, I'll get on to the ideas around um competition and you know each other's scores when i talk about the weekly quiz but just to finish on a lesson that we'll then have a mix of the we do the number talk which is just a nice little thing to think about where they might have i often say read the question think on your own for 10 seconds now turn to your partner whispering and they talk to their partner what they think it is Okay, ten seconds, three, two, one. Hands up, and then like say how they think they could do it. There might be. It's usually questions that can be solved multiple ways. Like the one we had recently was um, that I did with you eight was uh, 480 times 1.25. How could you do this? Some of them had turned it into 48 times 12.5. Some of them had turned it into 240 times 25, and then turned it into um, 120 times 50, then turned it into 60 times. 100 and that was trivial some of them had done a, a full calculation all sorts of different things that they'd done and that's and that's fun and some of them had turn it into an eighth and then 480 over eight and then simplified that so that's so we tried to aim for those kind of questions where and, there's an interesting conversation to be
0: had and that's say um, and that's so again if if i'm right in saying that's a number talk in the sense that say joe bowler would do a number talk yeah this, this yeah, isn't yeah. this isn't something directly related to the content of no, the lesson. no this it's, is it's, this is so you, you kind of corporate maths is is practicing your general retrieval, and then what what's the kind of aim of this this number talk? What's what's the rationale of having this? Well, it's this, funny this now
1: that you said, I'm thinking. My first thought was because it's nice, and I was like, that's <laughs> yes. a terrible rationale. <laughs> so you really, really think. I think it's partially that we do want the children to see that maths isn't just about a single method; it's about right. having a toolkit, and these are the sort of questions where you, both it's a chance to go because the corporate math questions or the numacy Ninjas questions, the mental maths really aren't ones that make you stop and think. They're,
2: yes.
1: They're fairly straightforward. I mean, they're deliberately AO1 questions and that, that's fine and good. And we want them to, you know, it's, part of a it's partially a guaranteed chance to go, huh, with a more extended question that really makes them think. It's also a chance to see, gosh, there are lots of methods and for helping them to see... The connections between multiple methods and that things like times it by 0.125 how that is connected to divided by eight how that is connected to writing as a fraction over eight how having in doubling strategies are very similar to writing as a fraction divided by sides by two and things like that as well so for them to see how things are connected and also to see that they all do have, have valuable contributions to make on things that they have already learned that there aren't that that yes the teacher is the expert at the teaching but Once she or he has taught you something, you guys now also have expertise to share with each other as well. So I suppose that's the purpose. I mean, it's it's relatively short. They take 30 seconds together, then we might take a minute to talk about it, and then we're on to the lesson. But about, adding in the recap, about 10 minutes at the start of every lesson is some form of recall or retrieval or things that aren't necessarily related to the topic at hand for that day.
0: Got it. And just before, in case I forget to ask, Danny, how long are your lessons? Uh, An hour. An
1: hour, and, and we do benefit. I mean, some of the things I'll describe. Some, I, I hope it isn't um, irritating for listeners. We we do benefit from because this, Catherine has set up a school with such um, good behaviour. Uh, I mean, the children leave one lesson within 20 seconds or 30 seconds. They're at the door of the next lesson within 30 seconds. They're sat down with their books open. So we get 58, 59 minutes. With them, where they actually are working. Um, I mean, goodness help them if they don't know the corridors. <laughs> so, I mean, you see your sevens, and they are running to their lessons. I mean, a lot of the demerits are for running to lessons, which, out. which is um, obviously quite funny. <laughs> well, I mean, what a nice problem to have. <laughs>
0: Jeez, flipping out! <laughs> yeah, I can't. As I can't wait to get onto the behaviour stuff. Here, yeah. Um, on so we're, we've so, done. So the, we, we we've, the... yeah, ten minutes in. We've done the number talk. Yeah. What's happening now?
1: So then, depending on the class, so it might be. Um, especially the class is a bit well no we really d- depending on the last the class is one, I might do one preview example, um so would I say with my year eight group four. Um I sometimes do uh a- a- Athenians, because they're eight Athena this is what you're going to be able to do by the end of the lesson. I show them like the hardest example and they all go, Ooh, and they like have <laughs> little frightened faces. And I say, who thinks this is going to be impossible? And someone put their hand up and I say, who thinks I'll be able to do this and put their hand up and like, Oh, that's interesting. And, you know, and then I'll show them, then I'll just model one and I'll say, who thought they understood everything I just did, and someone put their hand up. Who thinks I understood some, but some of somebody was confused, and put their hands up and say, who thinks I'm more confused than ever, and now I'm really worried, and someone put their hands up. <laughs> right. and, I'm, and I'm like, okay, and that's just kind of like, it's kind of for fun, but also so they get one look at an example before we get going, and also to make clear that everyone's in different places, that's all fine, and it's also just kind of fun, um, just so we can have a bit of a giggle together.
0: And then we will read, so the, um, Ooh, the Can we, I just ask there, Danny, again, just because everything you say, just, just brings so many questions to mind just just to, just to play devil's advocate on that one again i'm just and i've got to shake myself away from this this mindset of kind of observations and so on but i know it's so kind of prevalent <laughs> in teachers minds and a lot of teachers listening will be will be in the state where they're, they're being observed or they have been observed and so on and i could imagine an observer saying at that stage and i'm just interested in your response yeah, it, yeah, yeah. the kids who so you show that a, a hardest question and you model how to do it um, and you say, who, who reckons they can fully understand that the kids who put their hand up there to say, all right, I, I do fully understand it." What's your kind of justification for continuing on with the lesson, essentially building up to this hardest example when they have claimed that actually they're there already. They're, they're at the point where you want them to be at the end of the lesson. It would be two answers.
1: One is uh, children's totally mature uh, understanding (laughs) of the word understand. What they mean is, I saw the steps he did miss and I reckon I could imitate them in this highly (laughs) specific example. So the idea that they actually understand it is absolute. uh, ridiculous. Of course they don't understand it yeah. whatsoever. They've they've seen me follow some steps and they reckon they could imitate my <laughs> steps. So there's no way they understand. I mean if they actually understood it, that would be extraordinary. <laughs> um in the sense that they could conceptually explain why it works. They could right. um, be flexible with it. So it's more for me to be like, you know, then we'll maybe tease. you know that's more like partially a teasing thing and with the class I'll be then I'll go on to the first example I'll be like Alexia, you understood that really difficult one. What should I do first? And, they'll say, right. oh, I don't, oh, and I'll say and they'll say, Oh I don't know. Um, so I was like, Ah, so you do have something to learn, and me yeah, all <laughs> right. tease. And then the kids were nervous, They're like, right, right, are like, Oh, she's in the same boat as me after all. So it's, I mean, that's it's partially all just fun. It's partially just to see how they're feeling because you might have ones where everyone puts their hand up and says, Oh my gosh, I didn't understand that whatsoever, and of course they don't understand it and expect any of them. But it lets me see who's. Um, possibly a bit overconfident and maybe won't listen because they think, oh, I get it, um, ah, right, who's okay. underconfident and really needs building up. It kind of tells me a bit about their state before I do it. And also, by modelling one really quick one where I'm not using it as a teaching example, it also means they get to see, oh, this isn't that hard. It only took me 20 seconds to model it. This can't possibly be that difficult. I just don't get it yet. Got because it. often we're actually doing our modelling examples to teach. They're much slower because we're explaining as we go. So it's partially so they can see the end goal and see the end goal is not as daunting as it as that because it does only take i mean anything you teach your keys
0: history only takes 20 seconds to do once you know how to do it got it um, so it's not um it's not in a strict kind of formative assessment sense oh you're gosh, not oh gosh, you, no, you, no, you no. are not going to change your teaching based no. on this this is purely a tease and for you to get a little bit of uh, information as you say about who's likely to be a bit complacent possibly kind of going into the rest of the lesson is that about and, right
1: and for them to have a sense of the goal they're aiming towards, yes. we are doing a really talks about that, the sense of a learning objective. I guess in a way it serves as a learning objective, be like, this is where we're trying to go, guys, to be able to do stuff like this with confidence and uh, to understand how to do it. So it's a sense so they know where they're going, what the lesson's going to be about, like, oh, so it's going to be about this kind of problem and kind of intrigue them. Because, I mean, all of them will see and go, Gosh, that's hard and difficult. Want to be impressive when I can do this? Yes. And sometimes my, if a lot of them say they're nervous, I'll say, Who will feel like a genius if they can do this? Go question at with the lesson, and they're like, Oh, I'll feel like a genius, miss. So then <laughs> like, so you can make a, like, who's getting closer to be the genius over the course of the lesson? And so they're like, Oh, me, me, me. And you go, oh, Well done. <laughs> and that kind of thing. So it's partially just to give a sense of direction. And sometimes I'll put a second one just like it that they're allowed to try whenever they're ready and it'll be a really difficult version of whatever it is and on their whiteboard halfway through the lesson they might go you know suddenly like leap to their whiteboard and do it and say this is this it and that's interesting you know that's kind of it creates a like, uh, motivation to listen really carefully during the lesson because you might be the first one to do the really hard question so then you get to be like cock of the walk kind of thing <laughs> but it, you know, it's just also for me it's feedback I'm like okay i have explained enough that you can do it but i've not explained enough that you even think you're kind of a hope at this question yeah that's interesting like it gives me a bit of feedback where i, I mean so we might necessarily that that'll be the teacher judging it by the class but that's that's just like a little thing to start the lesson to, yes. to show them where they go in and to check it. the temperature and kind of Play with them a bit um, in a fun, in a, in a kind—not like play with your food, as in play with like, fun. <laughs> I mean, in the fun way, not the cruel way.
0: Yes, got it. Um, um,
1: so then we, the 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 explanations, the reading, the descriptions, the examples are all on lines So other you know, way it, you might have seen it is sometimes in academic books, or often in um when you're reading plays, like Shakespeare plays, there, there are line numbers down the side, yes. the line, and we'll say, okay, ruler's ready on line thirteen, starting in five seconds. And everyone has both hands of the ruler, it's for accountability with reading. Uh, and say, "And sign us off, please, Fatima, and then she'll start reading. And the teacher will pause here and there and explain things. The teacher might then summarise the reading. Sometimes I'll summarise it first and then we read. The reason for that is we want them to have access to really high quality technical vocabulary for them to see what the words are actually like written down. Also just they are practising reading all the time in multiple contexts because they read fiction all the time. But actually reading non-fiction is very challenging for a child. Reading maths, I mean, I'm sure you know as well from when you get to university oh my goodness, It maths reading is so yes. dense and difficult that we want them, I mean, obviously we're writing it for their, for their reading ages, we're writing it, it's highly scaffolded. it's nothing like university books, but reading at university is so challenging, we want them to begin to experience that process of reading um, dense academic writing, I mean, I try not to write in a dense academic way because I'm not horrid, um, <laughs> but to begin to have that experience and also it... Uh, give some experience of those words and, we'll, uh, and that style of writing and so on and then of course we do then explain it and teach it so what it means it's a double whammy they read it then they hear it from the teacher then they see it models so there's just more ways for it to go into their minds as well and for them to begin to recognise the meaning of the word on the page because sometimes you could tell them what integer means and they know when you say it but they don't they see the word integer on the page they go what's an integer so it's for them to kind of get those multiple experiences of the meanings of words and the now, meanings explanations as well
0: now this is this is fascinating, this because one of the things that really struck me when when I was re- reading the uh, the Tiger Teachers um, the, the Michaela book. Was, was this this use of use of reading? And I, f- I forget which teacher <laughs> wrote the chapter on it, but I remember thinking, flipping. I, I'm not convinced this is going to work in maths. I couldn't quite <laughs> visualise. I could imagine it obviously in English and even um, <laughs> science. You know, explaining definitions and and so on. But could you give us a kind of a practical example? What 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 are the kind of things the kids are reading? Maybe in this uh, angles in polygons lesson. Um. I'm just I should
1: have brought the book home with me to read that to you. So it might be, oh, I'll see if I. If if within ten seconds I can get a booklet up and I give an example of what it says, this will be um, an excruciating. Uh, <laughs> um, this would be excruciating for me to have my reading written out. So let's this is the first. This is the division booklet and the first okay. lesson. So this is
0: just this, got, this is like a world exclusive. This I'm very excited about. Uh, <laughs>
1: the first lesson, the division booklet, just to give a rundown, is uh broken into several. The first lesson is division and remainders. It's just folks on finding remainders because. We all as math teachers know that's very challenging for a certain proportion of pupils. Um, then the next was short division just using bus stop, then decimal remainders, recurring decimals, fractions, decimals, multiplying, dividing with negatives, so with decimals, division with decimal uh, negatives I mean, directed numbers I mean, then the mean, then geometry problems with division. This is where I talked about using other contexts, and then dividing by a decimal. So that's the the path the booklet takes on sure. division with them. So they've done their recap, then reading, so Starting on line seven, reading. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, it says, so the teacher might explain first and preview a few words. They might do, talk about the words with the children, they go, and words are in bold that are words that are most likely to be talked about. Uh, division is an operation involving sharing out equally. Consider 15 divided by 5 equals 3. That's written with the symbols. 15 shared into five groups gives precisely three items in each group. When you see a division, the second part is called the divisor. That's involved. The teacher will talk about that and might show a few examples on board like this is which one the divisor is, which one's the divisor here. This is what we are counting up in or sharing into. In 21 divided by three, the divisor is three. We are counting in threes or sharing into three groups, so partially to get them to see the word in multiple contexts and multiple meanings. There's a diagram showing that is sharing into three or counting up. So 21 is shown in three groups where there are seven in a group, and in seven groups with three in a group, so counting in three, so you can see it both ways.
2: Yes.
1: What do we do when we have something like 16 divided by 5? If we imagine it's sharing 16 items into five groups, we would have three items in each group, but then one left over, and then a diagram showing that. Then it says finding the remainder. Then there's example. The examples described. So that's like a that's very simple little bit of
0: it reading. I mean that was, that was quite dull because it's just no, the process no, no, of dividing. It's fascinating. <laughs> yeah. And it's the fact that it's it's because again I didn't know quite how to take it when I read it in the book. But it's it's reading, but it's kind of interactive in the sense that you maybe kind of pause them there, then go to the board, a bit of a talk about that, then back to the reading. It's not it's not just them kind of just reading through it. Then there's no oh, more discussion of oh, it. That'd and be be yes.
1: <laughs> oh, that'd be terrible. Oh, that'd be awful. <laughs> the point is, because then you don't even know if they've understood. So yes. the lesson, and the next thing is how to find the remainder. And it's for the first example, seventeen divided by five, and it shows you, how you can roll your numbers to five, ten, fifteen, twenty, like shown. There's a little uh, little visual of how they can record their work if they find it's. I mean, even finding a remainder, actually, there are three things going on in your mind: you know what to count up in, what you got to, and what your yeah. remainder is. It's actually very overwhelming for some children. Then the next example is um, 14 divided by 5. And then there are three questions for them to try uh, for, um, 17 divided by 5, 19 divided by 3, 54 divided by 10. And there's another example, 14 divided by 8. So that's one where it's one remainder something. So that's a specific example to go in because children find it really confusing when it's one remainder something because they feel like they go, 8, hey, 16. Oh, God, it's already over. <laughs> they feel like they've done something wrong. It's also been picked because we found there's some children who go To the nearest one, so they think 8, 16, 14 is really close to 16, so I should use 16, and they say 2 remainder 2 for understand very understandable. Uh, all right, yes. So that example's in there specifically to have a chance to check they've understood that, and then there are three more for them to try 12 divided by 9, 94 divided by 20, 30 divided by 10. That's in there specifically, so you get one that doesn't have a remainder. Then there's a whole section about when the divisor is bigger than the number and spotting when it's going to be 0 remainder something, and there's always this pattern it's always 0 remainder whatever the, the dividend was, um, and so on. We don't use that word with them, so it's not as, use, as useful. Um, and getting them to spot that. Then they've, they have five questions to see which ones will be in the form zero remainder something. So just have you understood that. Little visuals for them to look at and draw out themselves to see if they've understood it. Then there's a section of their 12. They have to circle the ones that will be in the form zero remainder something. You know, so that's And that's just like half the lesson on finding remainders. Does that make sense? Yeah, I,
0: th- I think I've got it, and it's um, <laughs> <laughs> was it, a, it like a load of things have, have struck me, and I'm, try, I'm trying to keep them all all in me. The, <laughs> the first is that um, I guess I mean, as I say, I'm, this is my twelfth year of teaching now, and, I, and, and even though I spend half my life looking at misconceptions on diagnostic questions, I still don't know all the misconceptions uh, kids are going to make, and it just. But I certainly didn't know them in my first kind of one or two years of teaching, and it just strikes me that this as well as obviously being an invaluable resource, these booklets for the for the student, just for the teacher, right? To, um, because if, if, if you've got teachers who've only been teaching one or two years, <laughs> by, by almost definition, and I speak about this a lot in the podcast, um, teachers are often suffer from the curse of knowledge or the fact that they've always oh, okay. found math, math straightforward and that it's very hard to realise where kids are going to go wrong. So or well, even if you even if you found math difficult school you're still a graduate who's teaching math yes. you're definitely not yes. the sort
1: of person who thinks having and having again means dividing by three yes is, or the idea that a child thinks 14 divided by eight is two remainder two because it's closer to 16 that's
0: just like what wow. yes. it's, it's
1: a <laughs> <this> mind-blowing <laughs> level of confusion
0: so you i, I, I no, you're, right. you're right and I, I guess my question is so these because these misconceptions how how, and again I, I know i kind of half asked this before but with specific regards to the misconceptions how have you got these danny is this just you making like a list and then just saying to all the teachers in the department look just let's just list all the possible ways kids could go wrong with these and then you kind of compiling them together because this for me is almost the single most important part of the teacher <laughs> version <laughs> of this booklet just addressing yeah, yeah, these yeah, misconceptions yeah, yeah. and crucially having the examples that test these misconceptions out so where well, where've we yeah. come from these um, experience. I mean, I'm, I'm better at them
1: because I've been teaching for longer. I mean, yes. I have had. I'm, I'm. I'm very at the moment really lucky because I was at Dixon's where I only had year seven, eight, and nine, and now I'm at Michaela. I've I've only been teaching. I mean goodness knows how are your levels were well, fair I haven't taught you in four years at this yes. yeah, yeah, yeah. so goodness knows how that's going to fly I mean, we'll be fine <laughs> we have other experienced teachers in the department um, also every time we see something unusual we always tell each other and we either photograph it or share it around so then it gets added into the we have like an open document of everything we see that's like oh that's interesting that right. goes into making changes next time or you write it into your copy of the booklet and highlight it so at the end of the unit you're going to add that into next year's version of the booklet like don't forget to include this kind of example like oh my goodness we also have for the intervention groups, that's about the five weakest children in, in the year, the Siegfried Engelman books, the Connecting mass Concept books. Oh right, yes. I mean, oh my, that, that man, he's incredible. Um, <laughs> but his books, like he, the way that he, I mean, it's very different to anything else, and his is genuinely scripted teaching, which is very different, but uh, actually works very well for the specific, uh, for those children because there's almost everything must, ev- you can't, you, I mean, saying no stone should go unturned, no grain of sand can dare leave leave unturned, because who knows what they, what ideas they have, no con- no concept is easily connected for them, everything needs to be uh, transferred to seeing, oh, aha. Uh-huh. Um, we, especially stuff like that, we look at how he's built stuff up, because he builds up schemas so incredibly, that the children come out incredibly fluent and confident, with, re- with all the sort of um, efficiencies that we as teachers have, that we just, ourselves by thinking but the thinking is done with the children in his book so that also so if it's very simple key stage three stuff like that we also look at how engelman taught it for the intervention groups actually if it's right for them it's right for everyone because it's the same thinking we want them to all have so his books are useful for some of those uh calculation things also just our experiences we look at people's blogs i mean i wish there were more blogs through people wrote about i mean i say this includes us as well, uh, when people wrote about, I'm, I'm just trying to teach remainders, this is what I've tried, this is what i yes, And yes. I love when people write about that, because um, it's, I mean, I love the big picture stuff, the strategy stuff, the ideas around teaching, but actually you could have all the pedagogical ideas in the world, but you still, they're still not going to make you think that 14 divided by 8 is two remainder 2. Yes, no, you're Somebody right. needs to specifically give you that example. Um, so we just try to collect them, photograph them, share them with each other, and... Experience and that—that is the problem that so many departments have. Is no one's very experienced, or only one person is, and they've not got the energy and the time to tell everyone everything that could possibly happen. They just know to show. Um, So we're trying to use the book to almost capture what—that if we had someone who had 100 years teaching experience what would they know and can we capture that in a booklet that anyone can access and gain access to that experience that knowledge
0: got it and again just so i've got this right in my head in terms of the kind of practical going through the lesson once they've once they've kind of done their reading whether it be on the division or the or the angles in polygons that we, we never talk about <laughs> no, um, never gonna <laughs> are you um these misconceptions that you've got kind of homer simpson saying um in the booklets are you addressing those explicitly in the lesson sense there and are you doing it through worked examples or how how do you actually progress through the next stage of the booklet where these kind of misconceptions are flagged up
1: so loads and loads of mini whiteboard work and things like that to see what they're thinking um it might be first you show them a question they do one in their book to check themselves then say what mistakes did you make and they report their mistakes so we can talk about them then do one of the whiteboards because so if you find the whiteboards there's so many mistakes going on you as a teacher are too overwhelmed to, overwhelm to feedback to them so we generally save the whiteboards until we're fairly close to 100 uh, percent proficiency with whatever it is we're trying to get um if it's conceptual things then only questioning really works mini whiteboards i mean you can't read two sentence answers on mini whiteboards you just lose your mind and they're writing and things um so that you're really just relying on questioning and true and false questions and things are so like um you say a question is this true or not true heads down we do the votes things like that and that's You do more of that to test conceptual understanding, where it's highly reliant on the teacher because it's um, so—it's not really rule-based. You can kind of just sense uh, if it's more about procedures or facts. You can just check that on mini whiteboards. You're just going through. Depending on the class, if they're very capable confident class you might do lots of reading samples and let them then just work for 20 or 25 minutes if with a weaker class we'll do a couple things now work for five minutes a few things work for five minutes is much more broken down
2: yes
1: and you're building them up and you're getting a lot more chances for you to check if mistakes are creeping in and things like that as well which mightn't be necessary with some classes so you're definitely adjusting how you use the reason mean, the resource is just a starting point it's not a rule book
0: if that makes sense can, yeah no perfect sense and can i ask as well about because uh, worked examples is one of my current obsessions as well <laughs> and, and, and having spoken, because i thought a lot about this and i'll just outline two approaches here so one thing i used to do was um, i would go through three or four uh examples of how to do things starting off with a simple one then a medium one slightly more difficult then a hard one mm-hmm. kids will be copying down with obviously i'll be um i well, hope i'll be asking decent questions interacting and <laughs> so on but crucially it will be a blocked a block of worked examples and then the kids will then go off and practice mm-hmm. and inevitably what would happen would be that um the kids would have forgotten what we needed to do with yeah, the first yeah, example and then it would be like hands up I can't do question one and it would be a nightmare yeah. so whereas when I spoke to Greg Ashman he was very yeah. very clear on the fact that he split his board into two there was a worked example on the left hand side that they kind of all did together and then straight away there was a structurally similar one yeah, yeah, on the yeah. right hand side for the kids to do and just been looking on Twitter and Bruno reddy he's been kind of sharing gifs of um, yes. some of his his lessons and he seems to be a similar thing worked you example and then we, the we kids, do very simple. Is, yeah, so is it, is it a similar thing with, with with you, Danny?
1: Yeah, like even here, I'm looking, there's example two, 14 divided by eight, and it's explained, and the, the is explained that it's followed by three, let's say like 12 divided by nine, 94 divided by 20 for them to do, so we have right, our support. Right. Or we might do uh, a technique that works really nicely, and I end up getting it from a colleague my an art teacher, is she often would do first silent modelling. So she'd first model it in total silence, which means yes. it was very quick, and there's no no. Um, there's much less scope for distraction because your voice is very distracting. They're trying to think about what they see and what they're listening to. So you just get to see the physical motions that you're doing. Um, then do a narrated example where you explain what you're doing and why you're doing it. And then do one where you ask questions. So I think um, my my experience from having, since I've been with Michaela, visiting other schools as well, is as teachers, we have the correct goal of we really want the children to understand things and we really want them to feel involved. And there's nothing, and that's the place you want to get to but we think, therefore, I should be doing that all the time because it is my goal. Yes. But actually, we're, we're construing the ends and the means, or we're confusing the place with the ends and the means. And actually, what happens is your first example takes two minutes to do because you're trying to explain why it works, which is really big picture and abstract, while yes. showing them something fundamentally quite algorithmic and simple. You're asking loads of questions, so it makes it feel like it's taking ages. Uh, you're getting a false feedback thinking, oh, they all really get it, they're all really... <laughs> yes. But also, you're, ask- you're asking flipping pointless questions you're doing stuff like you're showing them a really complicated thing with algebra and you say and what is 63 divided by 7 I mean, if they don't know 63 divided by 7 why are you solving equations yeah i mean what is? i mean it's not a stupid question i totally see why people do it but it it gives them a false sense that they know what's going on they don't all they've done is practice their tables it gives you a false sense that they know what's going on and it actually means that it takes ages to show just one example which makes them much more restless than if you just simply showed them really quickly Wow. And, yeah. Sorry sorry.
0: sorry sorry to get i cut you off there but it, again it's just <laughs> I, i've been re- this is the rudest interview i've ever done because i i, I never let you finish <laughs> your sentence here but it's, right. it's it's a good thing purely because you just give me so much to think about this is um again one of my obsessions is, is cognitive load theory and this is related to mm. um, i think what you've hit upon there is related to this uh, split attention effect and again mm. from speaking to greg one of the stupid things i did all the time and honestly i feel sick at myself for, for doing this would be i would i'd put an example up on the board and i say right kids off you go have a go at it and as soon as they started i'd be almost like doing a running commentary over the no, top no, think, thinking no. i was being really helpful i know but, yeah it's terrible and it's because i can't <laughs> and it was just like the kids luckily they're all polite no but they should have just told me to shut up and said look i just want to concentrate on this but Taking that to the extreme, what you mentioned there, I think it was your colleague, and former colleague, an art teacher. We refer to it as the silent teacher approach, mm-hmm. where you essentially model an example in silence. And it's only now, having you heard you say that, that I've kind of put two and two together. And that's almost kind of really benefiting from the, the split attention effect. because. Yeah you're not even having the kids to to process the kind of all aud- the oral stuff that's coming mm. in they can focus purely on what's on the board purely the visual side of things hopefully reduce the kind of cognitive load and, and process it a bit better and then you can supply the oral yeah. explanation over the exactly. top and so on so no, and i then like that Dan. questions to see the understanding because it could be split even more that
1: if you're doing them where there's a single focus for each explanation they take so much less time to do each example because yes. If I said, I mean, I'm about to describe why you might do four examples and a listener might think, well, oh, it's going to take 10 minutes. But if you do the first example in silence, it takes about 20 seconds, possibly yes. even less. I mean, yes. the only reason really it takes 20 seconds is you're going slowly so you can see what you do and it doesn't look like a magic trick. Yes. Then you do one where you simply narrate the steps that you are doing. So you give a language for them to have in their minds to describe their movements like and now i'm subtracting the same from both sides now i'm going to cancel out the or now i'm going to use the inverse now i'm going to do the same to both sides now i'm going to cross out the operation now i'm going to draw a line and you're just describing so you're giving them words to describe actions um or like building up a vocabulary of the experience and then you do one where you say but that was still quite fast That's still only about maybe 30 seconds at most possibly not even uh let's say it's an unknown on both sides then the third one you say Okay, and I'm doing this because of this, and I'm doing this because of this, and now it's the one that's the why. They've now seen the how twice, and they're like, okay, I can see the, the common aspect of the how. Yes. Now I've got space in my mind to understand the why. And then you get the fourth example, and you say, Ahmed, what should I do first? Lamar, why does that work? Why, yes. um, I, oh, oh, it says it says um, 6a here, so I need to subtract 6. Oh, no, that's wrong. Why is that wrong? That kind of thing. So by the time you go to the slow example... They've already seen three and then they're utterly assured that it's really quite simple and quite fast and they're ready to go slow. And you can also expect much more meaningful answers rather than a lot of the time. Our first example, we take answers and we ask questions and really only the ones who already kind of got it are the only ones answering. So we're really fooling ourselves and utterly losing the other children because then they're relying on the explanations of other children. Which, yes. I mean, if the other children have better explanations than you. You need to take a hard look in the
0: mirror. <laughs> <laughs> this is yeah no you're and just that whole concept and again apologies to listeners if I'm I'm sounding stupid but it's, it's just something I've not considered before the fact that how how becoming sorry how coming before the why can help you understand the why more and I think you're right because you hit the nail on the head with that when you describe the first example, often taking the longest, because he, like if if you do something on say solving linear equations, I get flipping obsessed with it. I'm going into the yeah, depths yeah. of uh, <laughs> where did algebra come from all the time, trying to solve something very simple, you know, yeah. conceptually we, very
1: simple. I think that's the benefit we get with the book, because the booklet's the very first lesson on algebra is just the history of algebra and where it came from and how the symbols came about and why do we use x as the main uh, version of the unknown and things like that. So then it frees us up from. Trying to bring it in where um, yes. you know, as a teacher, you're like oh, I really want the children to know it because it's it's awesome. Yes. It? But then you're like, it's done. It's okay. It's safe. I don't need to try to bring it in the wrong the wrong places in the wrong place cognitively.
2: Yes. it's
1: going to overwhelm the children's minds because we want to be exciting. And we want them to see the excitement and beauty of maths. Which is it's, it's interesting how often their instincts are right in terms of the big picture, but wrong in the moment as teachers. Yes. That makes sense. Yeah,
0: definitely. <laughs> It's, <laughs> it's funny one <man>. <laughs> no it's absolutely fascinating this danny so <laughs> again just to come back to our <laughs> angles in polygons so <laughs> i kind of remember what we said about <laughs> that. <before. laughs> because
1: so, that's still like 10 lessons worth so. <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah. I and mean, we'll be finished this in about 32 hours hopefully this mm. interview so we're um well let, let's assume we're at the stage where we've the, we've been kind of going through worked examples and kind of addressing misconceptions as 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 we go, kids are doing a bit of whiteboard work and, and questioning's gone on and so on. What what kinda of happens then in the lesson, Danny? Is there a point where they are working on their own? and going through that. Yeah, so well yeah, to talk us through where we're at in the so, lesson now and what comes next. So
1: let's say it was um angles in um essays finding um exterior angles with nine zoos. So we'd have done a bit about that one begins with the Y and what it means to have. No, no, that was a separate angle, separate on exterior and interior. The, that one actually, exterior angles, I do just tell them immediately they sum to 360 degrees. And I show them why, you know, extending each of the little lines and say, and we talk about that seems really weird because you, you surely think it's the entire reflex angle around the outside. We talk about how weird that is. And, I'll, and then we talk about your instinct will be to think it's not 360 because that's strange. Should we explicitly just talk about how that isn't what we expect at all. But I don't say what do you think the exterior angles are because they don't really know what I mean by exterior because they think the entire reflex angle around the outside of each vertex. So the question won't make full sense because they'll be picturing different things. Um, so we just, I just dive straight in and tell them the ah, fact. That's and, that's, and, that's, and is yeah. the logic so.
0: there that they're going to just be more confused if they try and if they try and figure it out? You'd rather tell them like give them a well thought out explanation that you've planned in advance because that's going to help them understand it more as opposed to them trying to articulate what they're thinking getting muddled up and so on is, is that the logic there that it's, in that
1: in that one the logic is because the, any question i could ask would be too ill-defined like i could draw right. them a triangle and say what do you think the exterior angles are going to mean i have to first tell them I mean i have to tell them exterior are which already is kind of ruining the question because then I'll say oh it's the ones on the outside but now I'm <laughs> repeating right. because then of course they think it's the reflex angle and that's terrible because now I'm letting it right. and the first piece of information I give them will be slightly off and they go well oh, yes it's that you know they look at the equilateral triangle and go, oh, yes so it's going to be <laughs> and what have I done that's just so unfair because I've let them deeply think about something that's completely incorrect and misleading yes. so I'll have to first of all Tell them what an exterior angle is, and it's actually it's the angle on the line. Uh, we extend the line, so it's going to be the complement to 180. Um, so I've already halfway, but told them anyway. So I'm, <laughs> I might as well just tell them the rest now, because it's, it's, so the question would just be too ill-defined. And even then, I say, what do you think they're going to add up to? And they'll kind of sit there, but I it depends on the shape Miss, and uh, and that's reasonable they'll say oh right, draw yourself lots of shapes what do you think it's going to be and i could take 10 minutes before they draw right. some extended lines i'm not sure they're definitely going to extend the lines right because for some reason children find that really hard and um, when they're at the early stages and i'll measure stuff not measure that accurately if they're doing a I'm it's going to take them five minutes to measure them all and add them up and then they might get slightly off and go oh it's 324 I go oh god and it's just, yes and i might as well have just told them and then so the way i'll I've done it, I did it, was um, having the shapes, showing them what exterior was, saying it's not what you expect, you think exterior's coming the whole way it's actually the straight line what is exterior, and then I'll draw a shape where I've drawn, one's the full reflex or the full complement around the point and one's the straight line, which one of these is the exterior angle, just checking they've gotten what exterior angle is, so highly factual, just checking they've Uh, correctly understood what a definition or recalled what a definition is and they can spot it in different ways and then say, okay, well, this one's an equilateral triangle. I know that you guys know what the individual angles are. What do these three exterior angles add up to? There you go it's 360 oh that's interesting maybe it's because it's just to do it. and they'll say oh is it because it's double the, the shape i'll say oh maybe right. it is less <laughs> of so a so then i draw them and i'll, I'll draw regular ones just so that we don't yes. have to bother ourselves okay here's a square and i'll extend it and be really careful so it doesn't look like a swastika. and then you say well what about this one and they go oh it's 360 and they're like oh and then in you know, this stage you said like, oh something to do with what you've already got and then we do it for a pentagon and that takes a little bit longer and they go oh it's always 360 and we say yes and then i sh- and then i'll show them the y where i have the, um in the booklet we have a shape that's shrinking um you know the the, the internal polygons shrinking the, the extended lines are and they see it's it comes to a little point and they say ah oh, yes, that. yes and then there's an image showing that the extended lines could have been drawn to the left going clockwise or anti-clockwise it's still going to be 180 um or 360 either way so all those things are in there to help them really build up the scheme in their mind and see how many ways it can represent itself and with irregular shapes and so on
0: and just on Probably a practical weird. level, there, Danny, are you what what's stopping them kind of looking ahead in the book to, to kind of spoil the surprise? Is it a case of like book's closed now? Look at me, we're going to talk through this now. Open your booklets back up. Um, I'm
1: trying to think because they don't for some reason. I'm trying to think. <laughs> I don't, and I'm sure they being controlled. I'm trying to. Um, one is if we're actually reading, um, they have their rulers on the line that we're reading for accountability to make sure they actually are reading. Um, so pretty hard to read ahead if you've got to have both hands on the ruler the rulers on the line and you can yes. kind of expect to see that it's looking towards the rulers yes. um, you know, the, the, the line above it so if we're actually reading it's really quite difficult to read ahead if i'm explaining they know all the time they're going to be held accountable for um trivial recall in the sense of if i say the angles in a polygon uh, the exterior angles sum to 360 degrees what are the exterior angles sum to tequila If she can't say 360 she'll have a demerit not because um uh, she's a bad girl for not understanding. I haven't actually explained the reason why yet. I've simply told her a fact, but because it means she wasn't listening. So right. if a child thinks I'm gonna read ahead, they might miss a crucial thing. And the reason it's a demerit isn't because you know punishing them, but actually if they miss me say it's three sixty and they don't think, Okay, three sixty, that's interesting, they the lesson will fail for that child. So we want them to be highly accountable for listening to what the teacher's saying. And we will say, This is the most important fact that I'm going to ask you this these angles of any polygons some to 360 some to kid uh, and they say and they say good so 360, you might even say good because it's just a fact like it's not really worth praising it's like good You're Here, you well done. Not, obviously that's not even really performance that's really just accountability questioning but uh they'd be really taking quite a risk if they read ahead because they especially if i ask a question they say i don't know of course that's fine if they don't know they'll say what was the question? And then if they don't know, then it's a demerit because it means they're not trying to learn Um, because we expect them to trust that what we are doing with them is a good and hopefully optimal way for them or as close to optimal as we're ever going to get way for them to be learning so we do expect them to get on board with the way that we are teaching them in the lesson and
0: got it and i love this danny she's teasing these demerits for later as well <laughs> this is good this is keeping the listeners hooked and i like it okay so are we at the stage um where the kids are the kids are kind of going through examples themselves and if so yeah. are they are they in the booklets like that yeah so pre-
1: so all the questions are in the booklets so it might be the first we have some trivial ones where. Um, it might be some mixed questions when I'm trying to think what would be if it was exterior angles where they're given lots of shapes and it might be what do the interior angles sum to because I did that in the previous ang- lesson what do the exterior angles sum to and they're all mixed to make sure that they aren't just going 360, 360, 360 yeah. because that's utterly thoughtless and pointless they're having to think okay it's interior oh I need to calculate that one. Oh, it's exterior I need to use my fact um, and you know, then I've learned more advanced things than that in the lesson as well like um, how to Given an exterior angle, how can you find the number of sides? Given the exterior angle, how can you find, find the interior? All those kind of things? Given an angle where, given a polygon where two of the lengths are extended, so they've got a vertically opposite, can, from there they can find the other angle on the line to find the exterior, now they can find the number of sides, you know, all those sort of things. So they're going through increasingly difficult work. The teacher might say, just do the first two of... Um, Question one, I've written answers on the board. If you get them right, go on to section two. If you get them wrong, put your hand up and I'll help you. We generally display the answers while they're working, pardon me, so they can check themselves. And they, I mean, we've, we've talked very seriously about how foolish it would be to simply copy the answers down. And they know they'll be chastised quite heavily for that. Um, but it means that then every few questions, they look up, check their works. Yep. Judge moving freely. Okay, I've got this wrong. I don't know why. Um, sometimes they, a few of them will put working with it, so they can go, "Oh, that's why I went wrong," and it's fine. So we want them to be as independent of us, or as non-dependent, if that makes sense. Both because uh, when you're helping a child, you're not helping 29 others, and you're not seeing how 29 others do, and you're not focusing on the ones who you know tend to make mistakes or maybe less mature, checking themselves, and also just your focus has gone off the class and. They just might then be working as hard as they could. We wanted to work as hard as they possibly can. So they learn
0: as much as possible. Yeah, and this 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 thing about um, share, like giving answers out, mm-hmm. uh, it's a recurring theme throughout mm-hmm. guests that I'm interviewing. Mm-hmm. And the more I think about it, the more. it I'm convinced it has to be the way, right? Because yeah. you, you you don't well for the, all the reasons you've said, and also you don't you don't want kids practicing things that are wrong. You don't want oh, them making no, mistakes early on. Yeah, and just it... because I think again, I'm, I'm, this will not be the last time I use this phrase, Danny. But one thing that struck me when I, I heard your excellent talk at MathConf was your. Um, your practice makes permanent, practice doesn't mm-hmm. make perfect. And if, if the kids don't know that they're getting questions wrong, yep, yep, yep. what is the flipping point in having them carrying on practising the <laughs> way through them? So you're right that you've got to get that culture right. You're right that mm. your kids kids have got to know that they can't copy down. But once you get that established, it surely it is only a benefit to have kids yeah. know their when, answers. When we were
1: in school we had textbooks with the answers in the back. Yes. And we all, we all would put like a little pen or pencil on the answer page so you could keep flicking back and forth. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Our experience of maths was the experience of flicking around the book all the time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, and you know we are judicious I, mean, I don't know I was fairly serious pupil uh, I was judicious about checking every few sure, and review questions um, but you know we described them especially if the class weren't sure we say this is what I expect to see if I see that you've got the question the answer no working that will be. I'll be very cross at you because that will show me your copy and will say, you might think, oh, I'm so good at doing this in my head. I don't need to write it out. But if you don't, then I don't know if you've copied the answer down or not. So you need to do it so I can see and I can be confident that you're doing well so I don't have to yes. worry about you. And we explain about like how unfair on the rest of the class it is. If you just copy the answers down, then that will mean you need more help later and you'll be stealing time from the others because you didn't make the right choice today, that kind of thing. So there's a lot of heavy narration and a lot of uh, physical things that we expect to see in their books to show that they're making the right choice and things oh, yeah. like
0: that got it fantastic so yeah where where are we at in the lesson now then so uh, i assume that's that's then, quite a large chunk of it, yeah
1: right? just, they just uh, a... practice and practice and practice and we might you know stop them and then show them something so it might be the examples have been broken up um and then the lesson's over we don't do any plenaries we don't do anything like that because we get a lesson each day um we kind of don't see that because a plenary I mean, you might ask some questions at the end that are still conceptual ones, because they're very hard to, ch- to test in written work, because what, what does the answer even look like for that? If it's a conceptual thing, like explain why the angles in a triangle sum to 180, that's right. like kind of a mess. Like, what are they going to write down? I struggle to write it down. Um Or those kind of things. So you might finish the lesson off asking a few of those kind of either total factual recall questions where it's like excitement and pace to see excitement is a bit generous pace (laughs) so they can all see like, oh, yes, I've got all these like fingertip facts that I know just as quickly and might be conceptual questions just for the teacher to get a sense on how well they're doing the conceptual ones. And then they pack up and go, we don't see much point in plenaries, because either it's a really difficult question, which they can't do because you're not taught to them, and they just feel rubbish about themselves, or it's a medium difficulty question, which they've just been doing anyway, so there's no point. Um, so other than like maybe asking a couple of conceptual ones, I just don't see what else you would bother doing at the end. Of the- I mean, you can reflect on your learning in the sense of, I do say... Uh, who's able to do things they didn't think they'd be able to do at the start and they're like oh me well, and like, oh well done Athenians. but otherwise I just don't see <laughs> who still thinks this is very difficult and they say me I'll say oh good I was hoping we'd have more time to do it tomorrow so I'm glad you want that
0: as well <laughs> and, oh and as if like oh thank you children <laughs> but can I ask can I ask on that, Daddy? So, well, t- two, two things really. The um, you mentioned kind of at the start of the lesson, you'd almost do a little teaser of like the kind of hardest question that they would be kind of be working up to, and ask them who thinks they could do this now, having seen my explanation and so on. Does is that not kind of the end of the lesson? Do you ever yeah, return really, to that final question?
1: I'll say who th- who never thought they'd be able to do, and I'll point to that hard question. Who never right. thought the- who thought they'd never be able to do something like this, and lots of them are like oh, and I'll say and I might ask things like. Who wanted to give up when they saw the first one? Right. And who thinks, like, they're amazing because they can do it now? And, you know, I mean, this is obviously, I'm with, this is with group four or four. I wouldn't talk like this, too, because it depends <laughs> on the children and their, um uh, their personalities. And there might be a lot of, like, oh, well, then who thinks they need to do more work on this? And <laughs> yeah. like Oh, good, okay, we'll spend more time in it tomorrow. And I'll think, good, that's what we planning to do. <laughs>
0: but, <you>
1: know, <laughs>
0: So can i ask you get on that danny can i ask you just two two quick things and then i think we're almost ready to move on from angles in polygons which is, <laughs> which is amazing um the, the first is um you mentioned before and I, I hope i've quoted you right here that that differentiation in michaela is done by is done by time the amount of time um you, you spend on things so these booklets just so i've got my head around this are they they're not divided up into this is lesson one this is lesson two this is lesson three and um, is it is it the case that You literally Mm. can just work through them at their own pace. And then if you don't get as far as you thought you were going to do in one lesson, you can literally pick up where you left off the next lesson. Is that right?
1: They really are just a textbook. They're broken into lessons in that um, there's kind of like one core concept or procedure or thing. Like there's one that is exterior angles or there's one that is calculating missing angles in a polygon in the interior of a polygon or vertical opposite angles. So actually I think that would end up being three lessons because um, it turns out to be surprisingly difficult. Um, but depending on the class, like probably group one go to pace of about one lesson or one booklet lesson per hour and everyone else kind of <laughs> goes slower from there, um, breaking down. Also, it can be a surprise what they find hard, which is why the booklets yes. are over-resourced. You can also just use the same questions again because other than we've got one girl who seems to have a photographic memory, uh, no one else remembers. Like you don't remember it from day to day anyway um, if it's for the relatively procedural ones, and even if it was something where it was about like, ah, that's what you need to do. If they're struggling, they're just going to have that experience again anyway. God, oh yeah, that's still what you need to do. Yes. <laughs> so you can just reuse them anyway.
0: Got it. Got it. And my me fi- me final question on plenary, standing. This is this is something I'm kind of debating with. I almost wish sometimes. I, I could just read one thing and then just not read any contradictory opinion, and then I just know <laughs> this is just the way forward. But I'm, I'm in a real dilemma with when it comes to comes to plenaries, and I'm just wondering just what side of the argument you fall on this. So there's kind of again going back to going back to Robert Bjork. He, he, again, if I'm quoting him right, he would argue that you you want to leave the kids with something difficult at the end of the lesson so that they're contemplating it, that stays in their head, that they're, they're considering that those concepts, they're struggling with those concepts. So, therefore, there's more likely that it's going to lead to mm-hmm. a kind of higher storage strength and memory and all this kind of mm-hmm. thing. So, you want, you want to leave mm-hmm. kids struggling. The flip side of that is, and this is something when I interviewed Ed Southall that he pointed, and again, I've done a bit of reading and research on this is that you want to leave the kids feeling good at the end of the lesson. You want you want them to, to leave that lesson feeling that they have achieved something. So their confidence uh, stays high. They have a good um, view of maths. They're looking forward to the next lesson and so on. So you want to end with almost a, either a mid-range or an easy-range question so they feel good about themselves. <laughs> do, do you have a strong opinion either way on, on, on those, Danny? Uh, I
1: think it. I, I think the Bjork one makes sense. You want them to mull it over. But it only really make sense if all they are ever learning was maths. I think it's probably a little bit unfair if within 90 seconds they're sat down in their MFL lesson (laughs) and they suddenly have to get their head into something totally different. They're still going, oh no, but let me think about those denominators. Um, It's possibly a little bit unfair on the child and the teacher given a quite fast turnaround between lessons in our school. I know that in... um, I, I gather that it's much more common in um, Chinese schools, or at least in Shanghai, that there's quite a big gap between lessons, so that the children have time to really contemplate what they I mean. As if I can really purport to understand the, re- the the reasoning, but I get the impression it's so that there's the lesson is so intense, it's so they have time to kind of decompress and really contemplate and then mentally prepare themselves for the next lesson. As well, there's a 10-minute gap between lessons. I gather is the reason. Um, given that that's not what we do in our school, and I think probably in general in British schools that. Um, maybe is just not fair on the next subject. You want their minds to actually kind of empty out because they're very quickly going to get right into the next thing. But... Uh, who knows on that with the uh, experience of struggle or success at the end of the lesson it probably depends on the class with A Athena, i want them to go out thinking they're the kings of the world and that yes. they are you know just that they're amazing and them to think i'm good at maths miss quinn knows how to teach me maths where i'm <laughs> brilliant and for them to be like have that positive experience given that they're not um they didn't come into this world ready for positive experiences of maths um but then if i had Nine Athena, I might be thinking you guys need crushing. You're really arrogant. Yes. And Sometimes um, I'll see their teacher gives them a real shocker at the end of the lesson, being like, "Who thinks they're really good at this?" He's like, "Well, can you do this?" And they're all like, "No." And so he basically like, "You still need me." <laughs> so, so, <laughs> don't get too big for your boots, <laughs> <thing>. <laughs> So, well, um, I mean, no, he's, not, he's not so nasty as that, but, you know, the sort of it really depends on the class and the culture and the mood of the children and their self-image, um, I think. So I don't see the is really about or I don't see the end of the lesson really being anything to do with um, probably learning games, but more about opportunities to shape self-image or just prepare them for the next lesson, get them. Calm down um for the next lesson so uh, that's a probably a terrible answer <laughs> um I, I don't see how piano can help with learning that much because they're just so tired after an hour of maths i mean even for us if we go to work at a level of maths it's at our level of pitch of difficulty an hour is actually really tiring um
0: so i just don't see how much more they can possibly achieve in those final minutes yeah got it that makes perfect sense Okay, Danny, so after probably about two hours we've we've got through that that lesson which is absolutely amazing level of detail that's fascinating, but um there's one thing you've been kind of teasing all the way through this and this this is the tests and this feeds into The competition thing we talked about as well, and I know that it's uh, having read the the Tiger Teacher book, I know it's a key part of teaching Mm -hmm. and assessment and so on, and feeds into your homework strategy as well. So, I wonder if you could just talk us through, yeah, basically how how the how the tests work in in Michaela in
1: maths. So the I mean one of the biggest uh, I suppose educational goals in the school I mean this is everyone's goal but I think because we've made it kind of forefront in our minds is that they have, their long-term memory has changed. They actually remember what they've learned. Um, I'm sure when you interview Chris, he'll talk about the, I mean, sort of stealing from him, but the story of a child saying to him, a girl saying to him, what's the point in earning this? And she didn't mean, what's the use of trigonometry? I'm never going to measure the height of a ladder against a wall. She meant... I'm going to forget it anyway. So why are we bothering uh, to do this? And that's the sort of the experience that a lot of children do have of all the subjects, but particularly maths, where they genuinely are swearing blind. They're like, I swear, Dan, we were never taught this. And they're not lying. They really do think that they were never taught it. I mean, they aren't. Taught, they are, it's not true. They have been taught it. They just genuinely have no memory of it. Um, so we're very, uh, we really don't want that to happen. because it's such a tragic waste of their time. It's also such a, Purposes, you know, it's just all awful. So, we're very focused on them remembering everything they've been taught. So, the two strategies we have for that in maths, and there are similar strategies for that across the other subjects, is they have maths homework every day, which is done online on IXL, and we try to have it always be a revision topic. Uh, so, we might even pick topics from year four, or five, or six. Um, and like, sorry,
0: Gally, what's, what's that? What do they do the homework
1: on? So, IXL. So, it's an online platform. So, the I think just, it's, it's, um, you do, you can drill down to a specific topic, which would be maybe multiplying, dividing, directed numbers, or uh, placing coordinates in the first quadrant, or placing coordinates in all the quadrants, or plotting coordinates in all the quadrants, or solving linear equations, or whatever. So you can, um, uh, or just finding the mean, or finding all four values, uh, or all the four different measures, um, given particular types of data sets or whatever. So it allows you to be quite specific on the, uh, exercise you set for the children and they do one question at a time if they get it wrong it gives them feedback it shows them how to do it and what the correct answer was and then it goes to an easier question so it, it's adaptive if they're getting everything right it makes the questions harder and they'll have a set number they have to get done each night say if it's relatively easy 30 if it's quite difficult or extended problems it might be only 10 um so they have that every night and we can deliberately you, again, don't want it again
0: to be danny just just on that because i um have you have you dabbled with my maths in the past has it always been IXL? <laughs> on and what what because um, the reason the only reason i ask this is i've, I've never interviewed or even been in a school where, where people use this and I've, I've looked at it myself and i'll place yeah. a link in the show notes but what do you see as the advantages of it's, of it's that very system? expensive
1: it's more expensive than any of the alternatives which is obviously regrettable um we uh never used my maths because i found the double problem is they the uh the questions on my math simply have too much in them in that they they're trying to span an entire topic which will go from the easiest to the hardest things in the topic which means most of it is either pointless or inaccessible for most of the pupils also children uh, i've realized that they're even though the question the numbers change if you redo it they are in a cycle of six the reason I know this is because the children, found, <laughs> the children in my first school found this out. They said, oh, yeah, the first five times you just you just take a photo of it the first time when it shows you the answer. They just put in five random answers and just wait until that one
0: comes you're back joking. You're joking. That, yeah. that is a world exclusive. That is amazing. Uh,
1: so um, th- 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 thank, thank you to the children in my first school for that. I mean, <laughs> so that was horrifying because obviously the, their intelligence has been rewarded by being wily, which is the problem with yes. any homework is, yes. is if, if you've got a system where there are consequences for not doing it, wily children who are not bought into the purpose of doing things will just find ways to get around it so you have to find a system that has the smallest number of holes in the net because yes. for reasons i don't understand children focus their intelligence on finding holes and nets rather than just getting smart yes. there we go um <laughs> yeah, so we then tried um well we didn't try my mouse because we knew about that flaw so we began by trying uh hegarty maths which was at the earlier days that he'd set it off yes. so i think it was still at the possibly still the beta stage, where it still did have glitches, which I'm sure it doesn't now. I, I gathered that it's had extraordinary success. Yes. But because... For us, um, and this is why we've gone by Excel, because it's such a, they have such a powerful um, software behind it, because our kids have to do the homework every day and they do get a detention if they haven't done it. We want it to be uh, pretty much foolproof, which I'm sure HG Maths is probably there now. Uh, so, I, I you know, mean, I'm, I'm sounding very mean about a, something that now surely is an excellent product, but he's also trying to build from scratch Uh, But we can't afford, if the children are, uh, it's possible to get a punishment for not doing it. It mustn't be not their fault that they couldn't do it if that I
0: think makes sense danny you could not be speaking more truth there because uh, again once kids know there's a potential glitch in something that just becomes the excuse for everything right yeah, and 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 it feeds into the parents as well and you yeah. just lose so much credibility yeah yeah, 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 if, yeah if you yeah. want to be punishing a kid for something you have to be a hundred percent sure it yeah. can't be their fault and if there's any element of doubt the kids latch onto it the parents yeah. latch onto it yeah, and yeah, you yeah, haven't yeah. got a leg to stand on that's fascinating and just because um you mentioned kind of the area and the intake that Michaela has how do you ensure kids can all access you know, the, the technology <laughs> oh, stuff to do poor,
1: it poor Naveen one of the maths teachers she's um, I mean because she's uh, so fierce with the children I mean very she's she's got the patience of a saint <laughs> combined with terrible fierceness right. so she's ended up being the um the having the unfortunate uh role that she um is the one who chases the children over it and she I mean other people do shift but it's mostly her leading the charge. <laughs> right. uh, she supervises uh IXL club I mean I say club uh the room where you better do your homework. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> so every day at lunchtime there's half an hour available to do homework in the ICT room and after school uh, up to as late as six o'clock. I mean, ah. they're meant to all be out by half five, but there are times that you pass through and you still there with one child helping them, like, near, she's almost in tears with the frustration. <laughs> yes. So the children are so lucky. To help her. Um, so we have, I mean, that's obviously very extreme, um, but partially because detention can go till half five, she sometimes will stay later so that the the last most naughty child still has their chance to get their homework done. Yes. So they don't begin the next day with a detention. It's, you know, So they, they have the positive start the next day of, well done, you've done your homework, you start the day right you know that kind of thing so we have uh the ict room available and if there's loads of demand two ict rooms we open up which given the size of school is absolutely fine got so they can know. get their homework done some children just like leaving knowing they've already got it done <laughs> uh, some like it because they get the help because we always have math teacher stuff in it um yeah so some of the weaker children like to come at lunchtime times they know their teachers there. That kind of thing
0: and the um, um, the, the homeworks danny that, that you set on that are they um they're, they're topic specific are they are they based yeah. on the the learning that's or the, the the content of the lesson that they've had no, that day? We,
1: no. very specifically deliberately not yes. ever we almost never based on unless it's a topic where it's just actually hard to pack enough practice into the lesson we don't want to pick things they've done recently we want it to be old things so they're not forgetting old content um so it's usually something they've learned in the last, sometime in the last one, two or three years, uh, on purpose so that it doesn't get forgotten.
0: Got it. And it's it's everyone in the year group gets the same homework, or is it yeah. different?
1: Yeah, yeah, it's the same for everybody. So we pitch kind of towards the third quartile in terms of the difficulty because they do have access; either can do it at home and get help. It does give you feedback for each question. Uh, Naveen, when she sets the homework, she does it on a little sheet where she draws out a couple of model examples from to see goodness she works hard um uh, <laughs> so they get to see a couple like oh this is how much we did it and then they so they have that for their homework so they can see and then they set off or they can just come at lunch or after school and do it with their teacher before go. they head off the day some of them come and do five in the room and go oh yeah okay i get it and then they go home and finish it at home because they with their confidence they, they've not forgotten how to do it we set bonus topics for being at least half the children the homework is you know giving them revision but not challenging revision and there are loads of merits on offer if you do the bonus topics and that will be really hard stuff
0: got it and not again compulsory. got it and this is this is my kind of geeky side only because I'm, I'm reading a lot about spacing at the moment what um do you have like a set amount of time that you wait to retest them on on um, um via via <laughs> homework or is it yeah how, how, do, you, be... how do you decide
1: I um <laughs> I wish we did that. I mean, I th- that's the idea that's guiding me in my mind, but we simply <laughs> haven't got the time yeah. to be that detail. In the same way that, like, I wish I had the time and space capacity to make everything so well designed at the meta level, but there simply isn't that time. I think sure. it would be a full-time job to do that level of design. So it's mostly the teacher's feedback. Yeah, the kids are really rubbish at this. We're like, okay, let's go to ourselves it. <laughs> once <laughs> <Got> a week. <laughs> that kind of thing. <laughs> Or something that, you know, if it's very high leverage, or very easily forgotten, or um, very uh, standalone, like it's it's easy for it never to get recovered, then that's like an often a reason that it goes into for Excel homework. I mean, they do one every day. When I mean,
0: you quickly just start running out of topics, so yeah.
1: as well, so um,
0: and that's, it's not a problem for us. And can I just ask as well, just on the on the practicalities of online homework? Are, um, you say obviously um, you, you don't mark books, and we'll touch upon that um, in a second. Do the other kids expected to show working out for their homework? Yeah. And do you ever request to see it, or how does that so work?
1: They they have a sheet that they're doing, so they're doing it online, but they do their working and they write their answer on the sheet, and they are meant to tick as they go, so they can count up the ticks to check they've done it at least the minimum, and then they hand that sheet in. So if they've not handed the sheet in, it's counted as the homework hasn't been done. Because for all we know, they've given the password. To their friend and their their fast ah, friend right. has done it for them um which you know is rare but we have had what happened with one kid first she i don't know what i can't remember the nature of the deal they were doing but, <laughs> but one of them was better at writing and one was better at math so they were just like swapping and nice people. i like it um, so they have to hand it in us working but that's mostly just for the basic accountability so we're not too fussed what's on the sheet it's just it's yes. partially that if we're suspicious we can look at, because it um adapts the questions if we if we're very suspicious about a child we can look at the sheet and you can go on their kind of see the actual questions they answer so if it doesn't match up you know that they've copied someone else's yeah. and they know that we can check so obviously there's low no probability we'll check them but they know that we can um so then they can't they know that if caught they will have no legs to stand on so that tends to make them just do it properly um we just throw those sheets out at the end of the day because we couldn't really care less what's on them. Yes. Um, it's just a, an accountability measure. And it means we can see how long they spend. So if a child's been really struggling, there's one girl that always takes her an hour to do it, even though it's only 20 questions. As soon as she spent 35 minutes, we say she doesn't have to have detention, it's fine. We haven't told her where the number is. So we don't want her to work towards that time. Right. Um, Naveen just says, oh, well, I can see you worked very hard. It's okay, there's no detention. Well done for working hard. And then it's just left at that. So, so there's lots of judgment
0: still in it. Got it. Fantastic. And that's just to clarify, that's a homework every night is set on this on this system. Yeah. Um, but with potential for bonus, bonus yeah. homework and those bonus homework. Sorry, would they be um, they wouldn't be set on um, the Ix system? Would they be kind of um, like more problem solving questions on paper? No, we or we do
1: them on IXL as well, just because it's easy to it's just right. so easy to download and see what they've done. It would just be a harder topic um, that isn't necessarily accessible to the whole year group because we wanted I mean, we want even the weakest child in the year to still have a good to get benefit from the home. we I mean, obviously we want them to get benefit from the homework. Um, it just might take them longer to do it or they might need more help. Um, our ideal situation, we've had some children say, Miss, can we not just have five UKMT questions to do every night? Which I've said, oh, I'd, I'd absolutely love that. Uh, <laughs> so we are thinking about potentially using like diagnostic questions or something like that for the bonus things in the future. The only thing is uh, workload. It takes more time to, if you're using multiple platforms, yes. it just does add on that little bit of time every day. If it adds on 15 minutes a day, that means you have to find someone who has an hour and a half a week to give over to doing that and actually that's not costless that's an hour an hour and a half of contact with children or whatever so we're just trying to we know the children would really like that and we'd quite like that Um, but that's we're just working that out uh, now they're making those requests we might make those changes for year 10 and 11 that they get that sort of difference
0: yeah so that's what I was going to ask us again just in, in case listeners aren't aware this is uh, currently year 7 to 9 right um, mm-hmm. people's yeah. of your school so yeah uh, and the homeworks. this might be a ridiculous generi- generalisation <laughs> but they would be predominantly kind of skill based would they kind of A01, uh, it's A01. all A01 absolutely yes yeah. so you would look to possibly in year 10 and 11 to expose kids to the more AO 2 AO 3 multi we, we, maybe we build do those suppose, as part of the homework, or we we do that in the, through the quiz. So actually, as to ah, be right. we, we had
1: been trying so when year nine, we give them um extended homework where we were trying that. So that once a week, they have a longer written homework one in each subject. So each day is one. So one day they have to write a history essay, one day they have to write an English essay, one day they have to do a long translation in French or whatever. So for maths, we were giving them A O two A O three questions. We realised when they brought it back, and it wasn't very well done we simply couldn't tell the difference between yeah. children who had done badly because of a lack of effort and those who done badly because uh, they found it really hard just to yes. know how to begin and that again if you're having a system of high accountability of the children where you are in trouble if you haven't done it we can't have a situation where it's unclear why they've not uh, met that criterion so um because it's it just it's the worst case scenarios children are being punished for finding something hard that's just that that is the nightmare situation yeah. so we've moved away from using them ever for homework or at least the kind of homework that you can have a consequence for um so routine homeworks so we want homework to be in a very clear routine so it's very easy to do the right thing and so on so we have instead absorbed them into their weekly quiz so they have a quiz um because we're so obsessed with them, improving their retrieval um, and the quality of their memories and how well they're remembering things and also their experience of success. We do a quiz every Monday, but we also do a little practice quiz every Thursday. So the qu- the nature of the quiz is in three parts, where the first part is knowledge. They have a knowledge organiser for every topic. It might be a those sequences, the names, the four types of sequ- I mean the four types that they learn in, in secondary school, um, linear, geometric, Fibonacci and um quadratic and then the, the definition of each sequence uh listing the first 10 square numbers first 15 square numbers listing the first 10 cute numbers listing the first 10 uh, triangle numbers saying the formula for each one all the, you know all those kind of sequence things how to find the nth term of linear sequence how to find a specific term that's in the knowledge organizer because that's just like that kind of what we'd say is fingertip facts just things that you can just quickly recall um, so the first third of the quiz will be knowledge either recent knowledge they need to use for the topic or older knowledge like this week eight athena half the knowledge which is just their fraction decimal conversions which practice it all the time then a third is procedures of so what they've learned that week and it's all more extended challenging problems I mean there might be a couple AO1 questions in there just to um, give them a bit, a bit of a boost um, and a starting point and then the final third is all revision and it's all um, AO2 and AO3 questions of things they've learned in the past will be uh, more complex involved ones so they might have a shape where it's a square. You're told the perimeter of the square is 36 centimeters. There's a shaded shape that's like, you know, multiple triangles were drawn inside. Find the area of the shaded shape. And that's a nasty hexagon. So you have to find the triangles, subtract them, find find the area of the shaded shape. Find the area of the whole square. Give that perimeter. Then express it as a proportion. So like a four marker or five marker type of question. They do a few of those. So do the practice version on Thursday. We spend all of Friday's lesson is always revision based on what we've seen through the course of the week or things that we know. Are important for them not to forget um how to construct graphs things like that and then on monday they do the real quiz and they've had that practice quiz over the weekend to practice with and the quiz on monday is very very similar pretty much just the numbers have changed for site tweaking so that the purpose of that is that if you've done badly in the quiz, it is linked to your effort, not to your ability. Ah, right. um, so that's a bit like the homework. So both in homework and in the quizzes each week, um, and this is true for the other subjects, we want to, it is publicly accountable how you've done. So we do show up on every day. There's a, a little league table goes up of who did the most questions for the homework and who did the fewest because we want them to know. We want them to see people who didn't do it. We know who they are. And it also, what's interesting is the weakest children are never the ones who are at the bottom of the league table for homework. There are plenty of children in group four who are in the top 10 who get called out every day in assembly and get to stand up and get a clap and things and are getting loads of merits and praise and all these things. Um, it is very tightly tied to effort rather yes. than to, well, it, it's just as fascinating. Like, there's one boy in year nine who is by miles the weakest child in the year. I mean, he's, he's statemented it's all due to, uh, neurological problems that he has he has never had attention for his maths homework to my knowledge he's never been at the bottom of the league he's frequently in the top 10 because he just loves he just knows that his way to get praise and adulation from others is he's going to do his maths homework and he's going to do extra every night yes. um, whereas the ones who are down the bottom are the ones who the they don't want to work and so we want them to see that you are being found out if you don't work hard we know who you are um and they're accountable and also for the others because other children know who the lazy children are and we don't want them to ever think that um well he doesn't do any work and he gets on fine because then they'll see well this kid doesn't do their homework or they do the bare minimum every day and that's the same child who doesn't do very well in their quizzes there's such right. a fascinatingly strong correlation like in eight athena there's um the worst quiz results are never the weakest children, because those children, I mean, it might, it's always the ones who are willing to put the least effort in. They're the ones who don't bring in a practice quiz. So we give them a blank practice quiz, take home the weekend to redo, and they can read all their notes, and their annotations, so practice one and take it again and mark themselves and write down notes, and some of them write themselves extra little questions or ask their cousin to write them questions. And <laughs> the very weakest children always do absolutely fine in the quizzes, and they you know, get lots of admiration and things like that. And it's the ones who do the least work in lessons, just do the worst in the quizzes. They don't bring in the practice one. They've not taken down good annotations. So the reason we're very comfortable with this public display of outcomes is because it's outcomes on something that they really can control, but yes. that does really matter. So we're tying the target to the outcome we care about the most, and we're getting them to target something that they really do have a great deal of control over as well. So I think... And I think why well, the reason that we do then on the Tuesday after we've marked the quiz, and that's the only marking we do, which I'm sure you want to ask about, um, it's very quick marking. We don't do written feedback on it, but we do like see what percentage they've got. We just negatively mark it, and it's quite simple. It is say, we'll narrate like who's improved, who's disimproved. Well, oh, you've done so well this week, Christian. Tell us about what you did. Why did you manage that? And they'll say, well, I got my mum to help me, or I did the practice quiz. We'll say, Duh. <laughs> but he's always is, like, well, I decided I'd do the practice quiz. The <laughs> nice, and I'm like, oh, really? That made a difference. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but it's so comical how simple. They're like, why did you do well? And they're like, I tried. <laughs> it was frustrating, but also kind of like good. Because it's just such a simple message, like effort yeah. outcomes, effort outcomes. And then some of them... Like we'll say, let's say, um, I'll, I'll use a fake name, um, Abdul's done badly this week. And I'll say, Abdul, was there any day, Did how many detentions did you have last week for not doing your acts? Oh, I oh, had oh, uh, two miss. I'll say, well, Abdul, I'm not surprised you've done badly. <laughs> I would have predicted you'd fail your quiz because last week you weren't putting any effort in your homework. And I'll say, hands up who got, um, hands up who did their practice quiz over the weekend and handed it in, So handed in so they can get married to having put the effort in. Um, and also so I can see if they've done that, then I would never... Um, give them a consequence for doing badly in the quiz and I'll say keep your hand up if you got over I'll strategically pick a percentage but if you got over 75 percent And their hands are still up. I'll say, see, everyone, look, the ones who work hard are the ones who get results. (laughs) And they're all like, oh, good for me. And they're all smug and things. But as we really want to control that narrative, because we all know the maddening child who appears to do no work in lessons, who boasts about doing no work. And then they get a bloody A star. And (laughs) And of course, those children are working. They're doing two types of work. They're doing secret work at home, which they don't tell us about. But they're also doing a form of work in class, which is they are thinking very hard. They just make a show of doing the superficial signs of laziness. But actually, the children often are deep thinkers, making lots connections. They're just being um, unwittingly very selfish to their peers because they're making a physical display of laziness yes. because they know that they can get away with that. So we want them to, we want the children to, so if those children do well, I'll say, I mean, I had a boy last year because I had uh, group one in year seven and it was, it was maddening. There was this one boy who just did so well every week and he was so ostensibly lazy in lessons. He did the minimum of work, but I could tell that he was thinking hard because his, his questions were always exceptional. So to me as a teacher, it was obvious that he was cognitively working very hard, it was maddening that he did so little physical work. Yes. And you have to really control the narrative. So to go from one kid, there was one girl who I knew just found it so difficult and I'd be really pleased if she'd make it to 75% and it'd all be about improving. What did you do to improve? You have to push yourself come on we need to get to 80 if you only get 80 it still means it's a fifth of the stuff you didn't know come on keep <laughs> improving well done don't give up you know staying at 80 every week still means you've learned 80 percent of that week's work la la, la. and then i turn to him and uh, let's let's call him um tyreek for the sake and i be like tyreek another week you've not gotten 100 <laughs> <laughs> percent Right. <laughs> and it's like obviously you're on a tightrope and i'll but I, i'd even say i have to control really carefully how you say it so you're not ban into, you know feeding a narrative of smart not smart i'll say i know for you it's very quick to make these connections you don't have to put as much mental effort in which shows me that actually you're being lazy in lessons because you find it very easy to see how things are connected uh, whereas other people have to think for longer to make these connections so if you've only gotten 92 percent that shows me that you're not really bothered getting to 100 because it wouldn't have taken you as much effort to do it and like so having to like because, I mean, we all know as teachers, there's some children, like, they feel like they're more intelligent or smarter. I think what's going on is they find it very easy to make connections. They f- find it very easy to form memories. I don't fully understand what's going on. Um, I, we do know that children who work harder do better. It's just something starting from a low point or it takes more work to achieve the same. Mm. So trying to – I mean, and the children can see that some children are – smarter or whatever word is the right word to describe what's going on they make easy quick connections and i don't want to pretend that's not the case because they can all see it these children ask amazing questions they give amazing answers they coast to 92 percent um so you have to still control that narrative and i'll say you know Whatever girl, you know, the girl who's struggling, is like she works so hard every week to achieve 80%. But that's, I can see that she's going to do really well because she's got a really good work ethic. She knows what it's like to feel like giving up and to keep going even though she do, even though she feels bad about it and she keeps going. I can see she's improving. I know because of this work ethic, she's going to get an A star in year 11 because she knows what it's like to work and achieve. I'm scared for you because you want to do the bare minimum. You're happy with 92%, which means you don't know how to do hard work. You don't know how to struggle. You avoid struggling. You're not learning what you need to do to become the best. You ha- you are lucky. You're given, you are know, given, depending on their religion, some of them are very religious. I say, God gave you a brain that makes connections really quickly. You're throwing it in his face by not trying to use it. <laughs> Just very like at them because you have to like kind and of this, narrative.
0: This is this is fascinating. This and is this this kind of conversation you having? Is this in front of the class or is this kind of a one to one? Yeah, it's in front of the you? entire
1: class, and it's done in front of the whole class on purpose. I mean, depending on the child, there might be separate private conversations. Right. But all the children know all these things about each other anyway. And if you don't tell them, they'll make assumptions. And if you don't tell them, they construct their own narratives. And their narratives are often quite poisonous. They'll say, oh, some people are just smart. Of course they did well. Or he's really lazy. He doesn't even try and he does well. So why am I bothering? So you want them to see, actually, if someone appears to other children to be very smart, that's a disgrace if they're not working as hard as possible that means they're throwing away like how yes. arrogant yes. they know that you struggle and instead of being a role model of hard work they are throwing it in your faces that person should be ashamed like that kind of like trying to construct that narrative I mean, this is more inspiring for them, like there are some children who've now really bought in and they do find maths easy, but they work even harder than everyone else. And we yes. talk about what a role model they are, like they find it easy. And instead of relaxing, they think, how can I find more hard work? How can I be the best I can be? And we talk about what a great role model they are and say, like, if God gave you the gift of being able to see things easily, you're throwing it back in everyone else's faces. You don't even use that gift and you're making other people feel bad about themselves, you could be inspiring them with your results and showing them where they can achieve and like setting the bar high for them and that kind of thing. And it's also as well that um I mean it depends on the child. You have to really judge it by the child and how they'll take it and all those things and how bottom they are and how much they do believe in effort more you know, if they've got a growth mindset and do believe in that. Um for example there's one girl who <laughs> she just drives me mad. She's like my main focus in my in group now, that she was doing terribly. She's very babyish and immature. She doesn't listen she'll ask a question and ask your answer you see her she's just breaking her rubber up and things just, <laughs> you just, you just losing your mind that kind of kid and she was doing terribly and every week I'd say in front of the class uh, I'll say Well, this week in the lesson, there were three times I had to give you a because you weren't paying attention. So if you had to ask me to predict who was going to fail the quiz, I would have said you because you didn't pay attention. And look, you have failed the quiz. And I'm saying to the others, you saw what she did in the lessons, i.e. she didn't work. And look what's happened. So they're kind of a cautionary tale to the others, but also to get the kid to realise the reason this has happened isn't because of me it isn't because of fate yes, it's because yes. of your choices and we're trying to constantly get to see choices consequences choices good consequences or bad so even though in that moment it feels like oh my god this is incredibly harsh what would be really harsh is if they thought oh it was just preordained i was going to fail this yes. quiz no it wasn't it was your choices and i'll say what are you going to do differently this week you know describing to them and say when i gave you that demerit for blah 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 because i wanted you to pass this quiz but then you kept doing and this is why you failed the quiz And now you have to catch up on this work and things and then she started doing better, she started changing her behavior. And oh my god, the praise I got lavished on her week on because she her behavior changed and immediately her quiz results started changing. <laughs> and she started getting you know top five of the class. I'm like, I'm so proud of you for making this change. Make sure you keep it up. You know, don't forget you still have things you have to catch up on, you still have a big way to go to catch up to the rest of the class. But look, when you work hard, you find you do better than other people. Think what you could achieve. You mustn't give up, la, la, la. And she's really proud about it, la, la, la. Those telling, I said, why, after three weeks, I said, why did you decide to change? And she said, oh, because I wanted merits. <laughs> and God help. And then I was like, that is the worst reason. For because that tells me, you're only going to improve. And there are adults there praising you. You should be doing it for yourself. You should be doing it because you're good. You have the capacity to be good. <laughs> oh, you a poor girl. <laughs> and then i was like you must never do things for the merits. you must be doing things the mirrors are to remind you that you're making good or bad choices and not the reason we do things la, 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 la. And that's like a whole thing narrative we have in the school with the kids and then it's interesting we've gotten to constructions which she finds very difficult i mean she's one of those kids who holds the um who holds the compass like it's an axe or something oh, and, yeah, yeah, nice. yeah. <laughs> and she's been doing the thing that children often do especially with constructions of going oh god you're so bothered and um I think again I have a good trusting relationship with this class I have a very good relationship with this girl and I know she's tough and I know she needs to be shocked at changing and the other children see her fail when she fails and she just does absolutely pants in the quizzes due to lack of effort and she'd done really badly and in that lesson she'd ended up gaining attention because several times she hadn't um, uh, been paying attention in, uh, when I was answering her specific questions or giving her help and she's needed a lot more hands-on help to to do things and making like uh, I mean, obviously, children, I mean, everything's hard to learn, but she's making mistakes that suggested a lack of effort or focus. Um, you know, Of course, there are other types of mistakes. And so in front of the class, I said, um, I'm getting really cross with you. And I think if I was in Nine Seuss, I'd think... Uh, I'll, I'll, call, I'll call her um, Fadila I think I like Fadila and she's a nice person but I wish she wasn't in my class because she takes up like, all the teacher's time and she doesn't even use it and if Fadila wasn't here Miss Quinn could be helping me instead of helping her and she just doesn't even bother using the help that Miss Quinn gives her and I'd be thinking Fadila that if I were you I'd think I need to change straight away because otherwise the other nine students would be really cross that I'm in the class and someone started nodding going yeah <laughs> oh, <gee. laughs> and she changed she came after school for an hour and I helped her and now she can do everything. So it was obviously a huge gamble. And we had a visitor in at the end. He was like, did she not cry? I said, no. Nah. she's said, you should be done. It was what." And she, didn't, and she changed. Like, she came at lunch and after school. And I helped her. And she, I, mean, I thought I was going to throttle her. After half an hour, she goes, Miss, this is actually really easy. And I was going to scream. I was like, I know, it just the attention. <laughs> so, you, I mean, of course, I wouldn't do that. That wouldn't be the right choice with every child. But sure. I thought, actually, I'm in such danger of the rest of the class losing faith in me and resenting her because she acts pathetic and useless. And she's being rewarded by my attention. That is a terrible incentive to set up for the other children. They're seeing her have that experience of changing working hard getting good results and now she's sliding back i mustn't let them think that this is okay so sometimes when we chastise the children it's not actually just for that child So the yes. chastising is an important message for them but actually for the others to learn because you can learn from your mistakes we you can also learn from others mistakes as well as long as what's it made clear what the mistake is and why it is a mistake so it obviously that makes it sound like all i ever do with the children is get very cross with them the child, I've, got a <laughs> I've got a great relationship with them we've Never fallen out. I mean, she was utterly unembarrassed coming back after school and expecting me to sit with her for an hour, which I did, and at lunchtime, which I had no problem doing, because she knows that all this is being said because I yes. believe in her and blah, 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 all that. Mm-hmm. Thing. But it's like that with every child. So it's a very, um, very frank. We're super frank with the children, um, but only if it's something they can control, like their choices.
0: This, I mean, it's fascinating, this, Nanny, because this... Uh, again you've you've worked in a what it's your third school now if if i'm right this this doesn't happen in every school right there's (laughs) there's very very much a culture of um like uh, and again i'm not saying this in a negative way but don't embarrass the child in front of in front of other students have those kind of conversations in private and so on but well a couple of things really for you is is the power in this mainly in the fact that it is kind of being made public and um Secondly, is this something and it may be an impossible question to answer this, but is this something that say you went to a different school that didn't have the kind of same behavior structures that that Michaela Mm -hmm. has in place? Is this something that you as an individual teacher, you you think you could instill into into your lessons, this kind of being public in terms of Mm -hmm. praising and also Mm -hmm. chastising? Or is it something that's specific to Michaela?
1: Um, I think it's something that only works if the children understand and you constantly reinforce why you do it. And I will say, I'll say, Fadila, I'm going to get really cross at you, for bad in front of my colleagues, (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I'm going to get really cross at you because I think you're doing something that's bad for for the whole class and I want everyone to get a chance, you know, talking about why or saying, I'm going to get cross at you because I'm really worried you're going to throw away the chance to get good at maths and... Afterwards, i say, I'll say, why did I just get cross at you? And they just say back, why? Oh, it's because, of right. you know, because I'm wasting chances to learn. I'm not paying proper attention and I'm doing badly. I'll say, so tell me, why did you fail that quiz? And they'll say, oh, because I didn't try doing the practice quiz and I, I kind of gave up on my lessons last week. And I'm like, what are you going to do? So constantly, why, why, why did I do that? And um, it's partially, I mean, using a cross voice and things like that is funny because I'd, I'd rather it could just be a sensible, rational conversation but they're children. They're just not very sensible. They're not very rational. They haven't even got the freedom to do lots of the awful things that adults get to do, and they're already making terrible choices um, because they're humans. Um, so you need to show to them, like, I'm cross because I care so much about you. And it's also, you're not shouting at them, you're not screaming at them, you're using a cross voice, a uh, disappointed voice, uh, that kind of, but also to show the difference between the happy voice, the pleased voice, yes. the normal voice, the teaching voice, so they can see that. You know, you're pretending you're cross. You're not really that cross. She's just doing exactly what I expect because she's a child. Um, so it's partially so I can see that you really mean it. You really are very worried and very upset about how they're going to do. Uh, and about their future and things like that. Um, so I think it's something I would do if I were in another school, but I would do it with a lot, even more narration about why I'm doing it, whereas right. there's so much narration across the whole school about why we're honest with the children. We, talk, we call it being honest with them, which is honest. I mean, the reasons she's found the quiz are the reasons I say. Uh, so I'm being incredibly honest with her and all the teachers are. But about, we're honest with you because we respect you. We're honest with you because we think you can handle the truth. We're honest with you because we think you can improve. We're honest with you because we think you're tougher than you believe. We, if we, I mean, Catherine says to children all the time, if you want to make your, um, if you want people to improve, you tell them the truth. If you want people to feel better, you tell them what they want to hear. And we explain that to the children. Um, So if they, I mean, it's something that, um, it's hard, it really, hurts sometimes telling the truth because it feels so wrong we always want everyone to feel really good it's a really natural human instinct to want if you're a nice person which teachers are to make people feel good because it's really gratifying but Catherine always talks to us a lot of the time that the reason we want to make people feel good is because it makes us feel good because we get to be the source of their good feeling so we're really just flattering ourselves like oh I'm so nice I make people feel good children love me because I make them feel good but you're not necessarily making them good at what matters which is getting better at maths and meaningful improvement that isn't about you you're still tying them to you and how you can make them feel and the gratification
0: you can offer them um, can i ask can i stand on that do you ever do you ever get any kickback from parents because i again just just i'm just imagining if i well i've had this in the past i've had parents complain because i've i've kind of said mm-hmm. in front of other kids um you haven't put enough effort in this test that's why you've messed this test up straight away the kid's gone home Oh, Mr. Barton has embarrassed me in front of the whole class. Parents have been on the phone, and I've had to apologise <laughs> to to that child. Um, so, so we, that, you, I mean, that is the really big difference. If you've told the child the truth,
1: because it's important that it's a truth that is important them to hear, and obviously we would be sensitive. But for example, I had a, a boy; his his father had gone to hospital on the Friday, and it was something quite serious, and he. Um, did badly, he didn't do the practice quiz. It was, he was in your race, so it wasn't a detention, but he normally does it. He normally does well on his quizzes every week. And he was he was telling me about, oh, I've done so badly. He'd, he'd come to me beforehand and said about his dad, and he said, I'm just to warn you, miss, I'm gonna do badly in the quiz today. And he's, he's already upset, and he's very upset about his dad, which is all very understandable. With him, I had a separate private conversation first about, you know, so important, you don't let this be an excuse not to achieve. I mean, if you do badly today, you need to know it's because you didn't do the practice quiz. It's not because of how you feel about your dad. It's because you won't have done the work and you... Think about your dad. What does he want to hear? Does he want to hear that you got upset at school, or you succeeded at school? What's, what story do you want to tell your dad when you do the quiz next week? What do you want to be able to tell him about your maths? And he's like, he'll want to hear that I got 100. Like, percent Yeah. So you have to do the you know think about what your dad wants you to achieve. La la. la. Your dad doesn't want to hear that you cried at school. Your dad wants to hear, and of course he's upset. And I say, I'm so sorry to hear about your dad. You know all the like comforting messages yes. and saying your dad's so lucky to have a son who loves him so much. La la la. But say you're so lucky to have a dad who believes in you and wants you to do well at maths. The thing that will help him feel better is knowing that even when he's sick you're still trying really hard and think you know you bring your test into him next week what are you going to do like even if you feel upset are you going to think i won't do the practice quiz or i will do he's like oh i will do the practice quiz and like yeah because think about when you show it to your dad and so like thinking like yes i'm sympathetic but there's not a reason not to try. Acknowledge it's going to be even harder to try. Gosh, you've got a huge challenge now. I'm going to respect you so much when you have to put in twice as much effort, emotional effort to achieve the same outcomes, but it's going to be twice as beautiful when you get to show your dad that achievement and he feels so proud of you, so that's a private conversation. But then in front of the class, I said, Um, so and so, you know, this is much worse than usual. I know we've had a conversation about why and how you're going to change things for next week. So the rest of the children think, Oh, gosh, he's gotten a telling off, but because right. they don't know the personal circumstances gone on there. Um, and that's fine, they still think, Well, he's gotten what's coming to him for not working hard, and yes, he has in a way, but of course, it wasn't insensitive. I mean, I don't know, some teachers might listen to what I just said and thought, "Ugh, how horrid. Um, I don't think, I mean, all that will happen, one day he must make up that work if he's going to achieve his goal, which this boy, he's in eighth Athena, he really wants an A, well, grade nine. Um, and if I let him off because of his dad being ill, when is he going to make that work up and also if I say okay well you don't have to do your homework this weekend I'm just saying take an hour to wallow in feeling really sad about your dad when there's nothing you could do about it I mean if he wants to have time with his dad talking to him spending special time with him of course he'll have loads of time he's not and actually the practice quiz is a chance to do purposeful work where he could think I'm building something that really matters that my dad really values too and like frame it as stuff that's valuable to his relationship with his father if that makes sense
0: yeah got it Fli- flipping heck it yeah it's I think what's going to strike listeners here I don't want to put thoughts in in their heads but it's just it's it's a complete shift it's it's a completely it's a completely different culture this this public acknowledgement of I mean public acknowledgement of effort is is something that's fairly common in 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 other schools but kind of almost public condemnation of lack of effort and um, I yes. I think you've hit the nail on the head with this control in the narrative because mm-hmm and and as i think that system works as long as there is that correlation between efforts mm-hmm, and achievements mm-hmm, if mm-hmm. that correlation breaks then i think then <laughs> don't, don't make it then public. there's trouble yeah. right yeah. Yeah, yeah okay yeah, yeah. They yeah just that... shouldn't be public then
1: yes. um yes it, it must be that it was possible for them to do to get the full to get the best results um uh, yes it's a, it's a funny one even things like um um, there's a really, really sweet boy in that class who finds math so hard. He's now been improving, but I think actually the turning point was he'd been improving a little bit. And I said, you know, la, 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 these are the people who got scores that were okay. And his was in there. And it wasn't an improvement from where he'd been, so he used to fail his quizzes every week. And I said, and... Oh, I'm glad, I'm glad to see you're in that group now as well of people whose scores are okay, but you, know, you shouldn't be happy with the scores. They're still not good enough to get you to the best results of GCSE and you're not going to be really good at maths if those are the results you're getting, la, la, la. Uh, but he was happy he'd improved and I was really happy to see that he was happy on you know, that gratifying feeling of like, oh, isn't that nice that he feels better? Then yeah. the lesson on the way out, and he's really cute. Um, he looks up at me, his massive eyes, because Miss was, was 65% a good score. And I was just about to go, oh yes, it is such a good score. Well done. And I looked at him and I thought, I, I, can't, I mustn't lie to you. And I said, yeah. no, it's not a good score. It's an improvement from where you were, but it's not a good score until you're close to a hundred. And his face oh, fell because he back. was, he was really just fishing for a compliment. As He walked out the room and God help me. Didn't expect to get a kick. Yeah. <laughs> he walked out the room. <laughs> and I knew why he was saying it. And the easiest thing in the world would have been, and this is just a private conversation. It's why I didn't say in front of the rest of the class, because yeah. it actually is so crushing to have come. He, you know, he was getting in the thirties in the weeks before to, say miss reassure me i'm good and go no nope, you're not yet but i was saying that because i knew that he. i just knew he had to be able to do better and yes it's been vindicated he has improved but he had to make drastic changes like he spends an hour a weekend every weekend now with his cousin who helps him and he, he gets his mom and dad to write him extra questions and that's all massive effort but he wasn't he is never going to get a good gsse until unless he puts more effort in than the average child because he's not been given average yes um, cognitive capacity um he can achieve the same as everyone else but it just takes more for him and i mustn't lie to him about the facts of the matter and the sooner he starts putting effort in the more he'll have in his mind to stick new concepts to and he's now been there's been a snowball effect in how much he's improving because he's working harder and mercifully Um, but it was in that moment the temptation to lie to him and tell him that was good (laughs) was so high and if i lied to him he would have never gotten to where he is now which is every week he's in the top five of the class he's getting in the 80s and 90s um, and it was very instructive to me because really his face, he nearly cried when I said it and I didn't yes. say it hard it was a private conversation. Um, so yes, it's yeah. very, very hard telling them the truth because it feels mean but that's because the facts of the world in that moment are mean uh, or not mean. Yes. They, they're, un- they're unflattering. They show us in a bad light. We don't like to have it shown to us. Like just like when you're a student teacher and a lesson goes badly and some and you know, you've loads the lessons that go badly. You've planned very hard and it's really frustrating but sometimes a lesson goes badly and you're like, it went badly because I didn't actually prepare it properly and that is so you kind of lie to yourself Max. it's so galling to accept that your failures are in your control we always have excuses for our failures but then we have no agency we must uh, we must let the children see the agency they have in their lives if they're going to actually achieve without us we need them to
0: be to not need us eventually yeah, you're right. And I think again in part 2 when we when we get onto, <laughs> onto or maybe part 7 when we get onto uh, behavior it's, it's it's down to consistency, right? As long as you're consistently honest with the kids then i think that's okay yeah, but it's it's when you pick and choose
2: yeah. as
0: you as yeah. the temptation was to do for for you in that instance with that that lad uh, with his 65% mm-hmm. yeah it's it's down to consistency um can I, can i just ask danny just one last quick thing on the on the on the tests mm-hmm. and i think yeah, forgive me if you did say this but could you just clarify the um rough proportion of questions that are based on um the current topic that the kid kids have taken that week um versus um stuff from from pr- the previous topics that they've learned what what is it roughly on on, a, on an a, a average ba- test?
1: about a third to a half is that week's worth and then the other two thirds to a half are previous stuff either previous recall factual stuff or um AO 2 ao 3 kind of extended questions that are synthesizing quite a lot of old things together that are more complex
0: got it got it and you would you see again if i've got it right you set the first kind of the iteration of the quiz on the Thursday, mm-hmm. and they would kind of maybe do a bit of revision on the Friday. They take a the quiz home with them over the weekend, do the new quiz on the Monday, and then does is there ever any kind of follow up if if the yes. quiz yeah highlights that there's a big area of weakness when, when does when does that happen? In the next quiz. Oh, right, <laughs> yeah. in the quiz, yes, yes.
1: Uh, dividing by a decimal. Ada Thine have not done that for five weeks in a row, because was uh-huh, no at right. it enough. Um, so it. Well, every that... Friday we spend a little time practicing dividing by a decimal, and now at the stage we do one of them every day, because they just find it very hard to remember what to do. They get it. Like, they can all show me... Not all, I mean, sorry. They can... When prompted, show me a little diagram about why when you divide by 0.5, like four, and they'll draw little circles and show, and they'll show it to me with fraction, like convert it to a fraction, and they'll, they'll roll their they'll roll their zero point zero zero point five one, all that. But as soon as they're confronted with, you know, 42.6, or so divided by 0.03, they go, and they just start, like, moving decimal <laughs> points around. Um, so they're just not automatic at this. And as soon as I say I put it over a fraction, they go, oh, yeah, and then they're fine, but they're not making that jump themselves, that connection yet themselves Go. so that's just in their quiz every week until i get we take stuff off once it gets about 90 um accuracy of the, in the class
0: so does that mean that the quizzes each year eight class doesn't get the same quiz no. personalized to them and if that's the case as a, as a head of department are you concerned about the kind of consistency of the questions that get asked across um, as a year group
1: I look at people's quizzes. A lot of people, sh- I mean, it depends on the teacher. Um, they'll show me their quizzes. We'll talk through their quizzes afterwards about things that are coming up. Um, depending on the group, like for 8 hey, Athena, I'll give them lots of gimmies so they so that no one gets 0%, unless they're pretty just terribly lazy. Yep. Um, with 9 Athena, Hintai doesn't give many gimmies. They, they launch straight in with an incredibly hard question, <laughs> um, partially to minimise the amount of marking. There's no point in the brightest and so the the child is you know who's doing best and the child is struggling the most doing the same questions because the child is struggling the most needs to do much more many more questions that are minimally different so i can see where they're falling apart whereas the child who's finding things really easy we're only trying to find out um can they do it when it's synthesized with other things so there's no point in the same otherwise you'd you'd it would take far too long to take the test and it would take far too long to mark it even it was just negative marking by the time they actually do the real quiz, we just do a negative marking um, with no written feedback on it, other than I might circle a few things to draw their attention to it. And we then only spend about 10 minutes the next day going through it, because at that stage, you've actually done so much feedback on that content. You've done the practice quiz on Thursday, you've fed back, you've annotated, you've looked yeah. at answers, you've revised the content on Friday that they're a week on, and then the, they you know, should have revised over the weekend. By Monday, if they still can't do it, you're not going to make a big difference by doing a little bit of feedback on it on the Tuesday. You're just going to do it again the next Tuesday or Friday and spend much more time on it when you've actually had time to plan for it as well. It's good to see it.
0: Fantastic, and just again, just as a little teaser for uh, for listeners for for kind of part two of this interview, you <laughs> mentioned they're minim, minimally different. I can't even say it, minimally different examples. We're going to pick mm-hmm. pick that up when we look at the kind of uh, drilling side of things. So I think that's an absolutely absolutely fascinating uh, mm-hmm. fascinating area. And um, last thing I'm g- going to ask you, Danny, for for this uh, this this part of the interview is just I wonder if you could. Um, <laughs> again it's probably my favorite bit as well this what if you could pick a lesson uh, that you've taught whether it's uh, mm. recently uh, or in one of your previous schools or something a lesson that went badly um, and <laughs> uh, tell us in as much detail as you feel comfortable but uh, what went wrong and crucially what did you learn from it
1: um i'll save i, I think one of the twitter questions prompted something else that also save one about metric units for um if if we ever get to that um, in another day (laughs) um the one that came to mind is one that i'll I'll give this example because it's one that i used to think was one of my best ever lessons and i look back at it and realize it was terrible um uh and i think probably reflects on how much being at michaela and also having been at trinity has changed how i think about teaching because they're both they're both trying to shift the paradigm in different directions is in my first school i had two lessons I did for mayor 10, group one, that I thought were amazing. I think it was, even, it was somewhere deep down in the archives of my blog. I'm, probably, I'm pretty sure I've written about it because I'm so proud of it, um, <laughs> which were, uh, one was about spheres, and it was about um, uh, the formula, finding the formula for the surface area of a sphere and also seeing how it connects to, um, this is in a double, and also then how there's a link between the radius the surface area and the uh, volume as well so the first part of the lesson was they had each, they're in groups of two or three or definitely each had a, a mandarin or a clementine whichever was the mandarin of that round it's probably a clementine <laughs> and they had to trace around the clementine because obviously it makes you a rough circle if you trace yep. around it um, and obviously that is the same as the area of the of its inter- of its cross section yes. and then they had to peel the clementine they were eaten, um <laughs> and break the skin up and see how many circles it filled.
0: Perfect. And it fills oh, right. roughly what four. What could go wrong th- here I like this. this is well, good it did
1: not go wrong. They were a lovely class. I mean I was i mean I was lucky I taught them for three years. So by the time you're near ten, they're so used to you and you're so used yeah. to them that they actually were um they were lovely. Um so I mean I wouldn't have if they were a very difficult class, I would not have been giving them squishy fruits. Yes. Um, <laughs> um and and I was like, this is amazing. This is really showing the relationship of four pi r squared. And, and obviously the really sharp kids got it. But when I think about it now, there are also the kids whose parents had paid for them to have tutors or revision books. And they already read ahead on this sort of thing, which I did not make that connection at the time and reflection. Like, oh, yeah. And of course, loads of children didn't see this at all. And I was like, oh, it's really good, because they'll really discover for themselves that it's 4 pi squared. Except they weren't, because they weren't really seeing that it was, like, a, a unified thing. They were most seen. they were trying to measure its actual radius, and then they are figuring out, they are trying to, like, find the, ra- the area of this actual circle, and they weren't seeing, like, they were just so confused by what they were trying to do, because I, I was like, oh, they need to discover for themselves so they really remember it, and... They were, again, eventually, you know, like all teachers trying to discover and learn, you give in and you just tell them. And <laughs> you kind of hate yourself for it as if it's yes. cheating. And then I remember afterwards thinking, well, still a good lesson, because then I showed them how. So, then I was like, well, okay, I can throw the the, the um, peel away. And here's how. And then I modeled a few of how to actually use the formula and what the formula was. And then they finally They get on. They do it fine. I mean, they're, you're 10 group one. Of course, it's, that's just simple substitution. So, of course, they're perfectly good at that. Um, so, then, I, so I was thinking, I was like, gosh, well, this is very successful first part of the lesson they can they discovered it for themselves and now they can do it (laughs) Mm -hmm. Uh, not recognize that actually what they were doing was trivial um because it obviously it looks hard to an to an outside eye because it's got pie in it so they think it's hard um (laughs) (laughs) um, so and even then for probably the rest of the year i was still quite um satisfied with the lesson so say um you know, something about surface area of sphere, and I'll say, Well, remember when we had to do it? Wait to peel, and they go, Oh, yeah, 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 with the orange.
2: Yeah, and yeah, I'm like, oh, yeah, good, yeah.
1: they've remembered this really well. <laughs> yeah. No, they haven't. They remember the <laughs> mad day that Miss let them peel an orange in a <laughs> lesson. They've not remembered how many circles it filled in, that it was four. They've not remembered the formula. They've not remembered anything substantial. They just remembered that it was really fascinating that they got to have an orange in the an lesson. And <laughs> <laughs> I was confusing the memorability of the lesson with the memorability yes. of the content. And now I look back and I just think, oh, well, because of course in the end of year exams, none of them bloody remembered how to find the surface area of a sphere without being given the formula and or why it was. And of course, this, even then the oranges didn't actually show them the reason why. That's something you find because you have differentiated from the volume and think which was far beyond the, the time to show the why. And I just think how are biases or hindsight bias i don't know what it is it i did the task because i wanted to do, achieve a certain thing and i saw that and i convinced myself that that was what's happened because my goals were around engagement yes. and memory yes. but i wasn't thinking about what they're engaging with and yes. i wasn't thinking about what their memory so they were incredibly engaged i mean all their little faces they look gorgeous and yep. their memories were incredibly strong just none of it, it was all off the right target and the same with them. Um, i mean these kids, in terms of uh, what people think great teaching was, they were having the time of their lives. A few weeks later, we were doing, you know, the next day we had old balloons they had to blow up, and every after every one or two puffs in the balloon, they had to measure its circumference and then calculate what the volume was and draw a cubic graph did it been cubic? Yes, so I can't even remember now. Showing the relationship between the circumference, and the radius, and the volume, and all these things, and how it was decreasing. Um, it's had a decreasing function; actually, it's so an increasing function, and in why? And all these things like, oh, this is great of course all they remember the balloons and only one table could actually explain to themselves how what it was and why which just so happened to be the table at the front of the room that I spent the most time with um, fancy that the ones who I actually taught I mean it's just when I look back and I just want to die yeah. and a week later we're doing more on grass we did the Barbie bungee, which is really popular yeah, yeah, yeah. I went to Toys R Us I think I spent my half my month's wages on Barbie there's really rubbish ones called Cindy or something but <laughs> and you know they're all there at their elastic bands and they yeah. <laughs> You know, I mean, they, again, they weren't naughty. They weren't, like, hitting each other over the head with the Barbies or anything. I'm very clear. If I see anyone pulling up her skirt and being salacious with it, you're pissed. A <laughs> <laughs> of them, like, elasticated her skirt to her legs because they were a bit nervous that I kill her. So I was thinking, you know, this is great. They're all being so well-behaved. And They had to like, calculate the height of the school. And a few bright sparks did realize we measure the height of one step and count the number of steps on one floor. Then we just multiply the height of a step by the number of steps by a number of floors. I was like, oh, this is amazing. They've all come so far. Yeah. But, of course, the other 27 kids had no idea this had happened got nothing. Out of that because oh, I just I just want to cr- I just cringe thinking about this. And of course, they're doing the experiment. It takes a whole lesson to drop all the Barbies off the top the top balcony and things. And then we get back and I'm like, oh, this is amazing. The graphs are really going to show how the C is the yeah that's the height of the bar because the minimum distance she can fall has to be her actual height and the gradient is the distance each elastic band makes. And and I wow, now we have all realised this. None of them had realised that. No. Of course, none of them <laughs> had realised that. So I hadn't. Like I only understood that because I already understood linear graphs. Like I just yes. I was having this like wow, isn't this amazing? It's so interesting. So I assumed that they found the same things interesting. Of course, they didn't find the same things interesting because they didn't know how to think about it. Because I hadn't told. Oh. I, like, I almost can't express how mad I am at myself am <laughs> because I was so fooled by it. And I'm getting other people in the department to do it. Oh, God. Mercifully, I got to Trinity. My colleague Rose I was saying, I will do this. And she just looked and she goes, but won't they just practice throwing Barbies? And and she's I think she'd only just finished her tea year. And thank God she had the counter to say it. And I went, oh yeah <laughs> it was yeah. just so refreshing when i thought about it so my ch- the children i teach now will never have the joy of peeling an orange blowing up a balloon or throwing a barbie off a balcony which obviously is a shame but they will probably know something about diameter radius and surface area which is a gift for life they could throw barbies in their own time so. that's
0: is absolutely brilliant Danielle. absolutely amazing because there's a few things i love about that firstly the fact that some lessons you come out of and you think, that was crap, that. But you've oh, come yeah. out of that lesson thinking you've nailed that lesson. I know. <laughs> yeah, that, that, that's that's probably my favourite thing about it. Um, the second is, I mean, I've, I've been there myself. I have. Um, I was in school, uh, what day were we, Sunday, I was in school on Friday and I bumped into... Um, one of my year 10s who I taught in uh, year seven and eight hmm. and she said to me we were just talking about maths I haven't seen her for a while and she went oh sir do you remember that great lesson we did where you brought Swiss rolls in oh no and I was like oh yeah 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 and I said just out of interest Lucy what was that lesson about she didn't <laughs> have a flipping clue did not have oh, a flipping no. clue it, like it was supposed to be about equivalence of fractions and so on oh and really I've, I've never this thought so as much about a lesson in my ta- uh, in my life and all she remembered was that we chopped up swiss rolls and, and ate them at the end and Aww. like this this strikes me i've been reading a lot of dan willingham uh, recently mm-hmm. and he makes the absolutely mm-hmm. key point and it's so obvious but it's just it's changed the way I approach planning lessons, and that is students remember what they think about, yeah. and if they're thinking about in my lesson cutting up Swiss rolls, or in your lesson bouncing Barbies, or peeling satsumas, or whatever, that is what they're going to remember. They're not going to they're, they're not thinking about the things you want them to. And the, and the final point I'll make on this because I feel very passionate about this is when you do activities like I've got my Swiss roll out and you've got your Barbies out and all that you've got to think what what is the opportunity cost of of doing Mm -hmm. that activity and if if it takes them half an hour to cut up a swiss roll or half an hour to bounce a barbie in that half an hour the cost of that is you could could probably have explained it in five minutes and had 25 minutes of them practicing it applying it and so on and it Mm -hmm. these are the things that don't strike you right like it's that if you ask many teachers and and the the key thing here is Danny, if people watched your lesson on barbies if it's been observed people think it's flipping brilliant you'd be knighted and all that would be like the, the best I lesson had, I had a pc
1: soon in and he's like that's the best lesson I've ever seen <laughs> and at the time I was like oh thanks and now I feel so guilty I feel like I need to ring him and say don't do it
0: <laughs> <laughs> no that's 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 flipping brilliant that. that's amazing um, well daddy I'll tell you what this this is, um, what I'm going to do now is do a bit of a teaser trailer for, for <laughs> what's to come, because I've got, got my plan of questions to ask, and I reckon I'm, I'm bordering on about 25% of the way way through them. So <laughs> part two of this, this interview, we're going to cover drilling and thrilling because that is <laughs> absolutely amazing session I saw you do um, in Bristol, and I want to really dig deep not into just how you do drills but what the benefits are, which mm-hmm. topics you drill, which you don't drill, and how you develop problem solving from them, and so on. I then want to touch upon the kind of wider aspects of maths mm-hmm. teaching. You, how, how do you develop problem-solving? What's your mm-hmm. view on group work? Differentiation you've mentioned um, is, is through the time you spend, but how does that work when kids are struggling and so on? And, and what's your view on? Well, we kind of touched on it here, kind of discovery based or inquiry learning. <laughs> is there still a place for things yeah. like that? And then the big one, I've got, got to get into behaviour. We've again, we've, we've teased that a little bit here, but it's it's one of the things that people most speak about when, when you talk about yeah. uh, Michaela. And I want to just get Get into the actual practicalities and and kind of demystify some of the nonsense that's spoke about it. What actually happens in my with behavior? Um, it's very got...
1: strict. I don't want anyone to mean they're going to hear about a very strict school.
0: Fair enough. That is ideal. That is perfect. And then I've got my list of questions from Twitter to, to get through as well. So it could be another epic. But oh, um, Danny, I just just want to say at, at this stage in the kind of halfway point uh, <laughs> of our epic, the bill, Just thanks, firstly for, for for giving up your time. It's a it's a. Sunday day here it's mother's day it's a lovely day outside so firstly th- thank you for, for speaking to me for, for flipping over three hours now and 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 secondly just thank you for being kind of open and honest it's fascinating to hear so this has certainly been the kind of interview where the planning process has been far different from anyone else i've spoken. to and this is probably the 21st um, kind of one of these interviews yeah that i've done but it's it's interesting to hear that different perspective but also the rationale and the, the logic behind it and so on so just thank you for for being so open and honest and, and sharing that with us and as i say if you don't mind if we can have you back on the show at some point for part, for part two i would be eternally grateful so so danny quinn thank you so much. thank
1: you so much have a good day
0: So there you have it. There was my interview with Danny Quinn. I really hope you enjoyed that one. I had an absolute blast. Now I know some people like to listen to this podcast on the way to work. Well, flipping egg, you could have done a fair few journeys uh, by the time this one's finished. And I also know some people like to listen to this podcast whilst their newborn babies are going to sleep. Your babies could well be teenagers by the time you've got through this one, but I really, really hope you enjoyed it. Now, in terms of a takeaway, well, there's just so much to think about. There's The thing with Michaela's practices is there's so much of it that I kind of admire and there's so much of it that I think is transferable to to situations that aren't the same as Michaela. Now, obviously, Danny talked about behavior being a whole school approach and so on. and, And this kind of competition element as well, I think, has got to be part of a whole school approach. So there's a danger that you can kind of dismiss stuff saying, well, it only works for them because of the situation and so on, because they've only got years seven to nine or because this is happening in every single lesson. What good's that for me? Because my school isn't like that. And and that's fair enough. But there are certain bits that any teacher can use. And I'm just going to focus on one of them now in the takeaway. And that's. That's this idea of these weekly tests. And as I said at the start, um, as a result of these interviews, I've been doing a ton of reading, a ton of reading of research papers. It's absolutely blown my mind. There's there's a link to my page where I've summarized all these um, on, this, on this podcast page. But the address is mrbarnmaths.com forward slash teachers forward slash research. And the bit I just want to focus on here is, is the power of retrieval, because the idea of Testing students it never goes down well uh, with students themselves. And I think that's understandable. Um, but I think the reason for that is that the tests students often do are fairly high stakes tests. And by that, I don't just mean like GCSE and A level or even end of year tests. I mean those end of term ones or end of half term ones where students think, oh, flipping heck. I'm going to get a grade or a level based on this and maybe my parents are going to be informed and um, if I haven't made enough progress, I'm going to get in trouble, blah, 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 blah. They're high stakes tests. Now, for me, they have a place um, because sometimes we need to make comparative judgments um, across and uh, Daisy uh, Custodolo's wonderful book on on, the diff, on formative assessment really goes into kind of uh, when, when tests have good summative value and so on. So th- there's a place for those kind of high stakes for want of a better expression test. But the ones that Michaela uses and the ones I want to focus on are low stakes tests. They're just regular tests that the students have every single week. They're low stakes in the sense that students know they're not gonna be moved up or down set. They're low stakes in the sense that students are used to them because they're regular. And according to the research I've read, and honestly, this blows my mind, the effect that this can have on students is stunning, absolutely stunning. So, I've, um, Look, you can read all about this on the pages I've linked to, but I've just picked out four things and um, four kind of positive effects that the power of retrieval, the power of doing retrieval during testing can have. Firstly, there is very little doubt that students practicing retrieval is far more effective on long-term retention than trying to encode that information during by any other method. So particularly when students reread over notes or flip in, get the highlighters out or do a mind map or something like that, forget that. Practicing retrieval was found to be more effective than any of those kind of traditional revision strategies. So if you're listening to this um, in the build up to GCSE exams, get your students doing little mini practice tests at home or in lessons instead of reading through notes and so on. That's the first one. Now related to that, secondly, students' predictions of their performance was often uncorrelated with actual performance. Students often think that doing these mini low stakes tests and these practices of retrieval doesn't actually affect their long-term learning. Now that's related to a few issues Um, and there's there's an absolutely fascinating field of research on memory that the more difficult you make learning and the more it actually kind of hinders progress the better it is for long-term learning which is absolutely fascinating but just be aware of that the students may say to you oh it's a waste of time doing these tests i'm getting four out of ten and um, i should just be rereading my notes look rereading notes feels comfortable it's easy you can convince yourself you're learning doing the actual test is the key to it but that students will not think that they're doing well so just m- maybe make them aware of it make them aware of this research what about this one as well i mean this this blew my flipping mind and i'm yeah i'm, I'm gonna say i'm still not entirely convinced but i've, I've read three papers on this now Retrieval practice can actually produce learning, as opposed to kind of being neutral, as opposed to just kind of practicing retention and so on. It can actually produce learning. Now, it's not entirely clear the cognitive processes that that this is down to. It's possibly due to the cognitive strain experienced when trying to reconstruct knowledge. But not only can it improve retrieval, it can actually produce learning. Mind-blowing. And I'm just getting into kind of related to that. Reading about how testing students on stuff that they haven't done before, kind of a a pre-test, even if they get it wrong, can actually be beneficial to long-term learning, which, uh, again, mind-blowing, absolutely mind-blowing. But what about this for a final point? You may be kind of listening to this and thinking, oh, that's brilliant, because what we do with our Year 11s is from kind of day one in September, we give them a past paper every week to do. And that's a test, right? That's a test of retrieval. Well, it is. And some of those questions will be really beneficial to students on there, but some of them won't be. And the ones that won't be are the kind of problem solving questions that cover either elements that students have never studied before, which I want to just uh, pull a distinction from what I said before. The pre-testing of kind of um, skill based tests um, skill based questions, A1 style questions, that's okay, But problem solving questions that either involve concepts that students haven't studied before or they cover concepts that students aren't secure in. The evidence suggests that students don't actually learn from doing these. And again, I refer back to, to Greg and cognitive load theory and you can read upon this. There's a there's a there's a kind of feature called problem solving search where students are, are trying to kind of fill their working memories up, trying to pull in different areas of mathematics to try and solve this problem. It can be a real cognitive strain to students and crucially students can look like they're working hard, but not actually be learning anything. So my advice when it comes to past papers is by all means, give them to students, but certainly in the first instance, make sure it covers material that they've already covered in the course and ideally are reasonably secure at it because that's when you're going to benefit from this retrieval effect, in my opinion. And that's my kind of reading of the research anyway. But my kind of, as I say, my kind of key takeaway of this is. Tests are amazing. Tests are absolutely amazing. But for them to be amazing, for you to reap these benefits, kids have got to see that they're amazing. And for me, the only way to do that, and it sounds kind of paradoxical or contradictory, is to give them more, more tests, but make them low stakes. If anything, I'm not even bothered how my kids doing these tests. It's just the fact that they're there, they're trying them out, they're practicing this retrieval, they're making their knowledge more secure. So my takeaway from this is and it's not going to go down well, but I'm not bothered more tests more tests but low stakes tests and if you want to follow up on those papers that I've referenced and kind of my takeaway as I say follow the follow the link on the podcast page but it's mrbartonmaths.com forward slash teachers forward slash research anyway as this was part one and as this has been the longest podcast uh, possibly in the history of podcasts there is no podcast puzzle uh, this week so all that remains for me to do is to once again give my huge thanks to Danny Quinn it was an absolute honor and a pleasure to speak to her absolutely loved every minute of it and um, as ever podcastthemes.com for providing the lovely jazzy music that you've heard throughout the show and a big big thank you i can't forget this to my loyal listeners it's I did the maths conference in Bristol fairly recently and a load of people came up to me. I say a load, about three or four, but it was still lovely. Just saying that they're really enjoying these podcasts and that they're seeing it as really effective CPD and listening on the way to work and all that kind of stuff. I really hope you are enjoying them and find them useful. It is transforming the way I approach my teaching. And I hope that there's enough little takeaways in each episode and that it's really benefiting your teaching and your students learning as well. Anyway. I'm going to shut up now so you take care of yourselves and I will see you in the near future. Take care. Thanks so much for listening and bye for now.